I'm Monica Schiltz from voicefarmers.com, and you're listening to another episode of whatcopswatch.com. They all wear uniforms. They're honored to wear the badge. They defend life and property and carry guns. While they're often called superheroes, they, in the end, are humans, just like you and I. This is WhatCopsWatch.com. I'm Captain Chris Giuseppe. I'm an author, a screenwriter, and I've been in law enforcement for over 20 years. I'm Mike Wilkerson, the media generator with thousands of entertainment podcast reviews across a decade plus, loaded and ready for bear. The television programming is out there. The feature films are bigger, more action-packed than ever, and out there too. It's a growing world of media, both on and offline, but what do cops watch? Get ready to cross the yellow podcast tape and learn more about the thin blue line. It's time for another episode of WhatCopsWatch.com. A man, a famous one, a surgeon that's murdered his wife on the run. The city of Chicago, law enforcement on his heels for two hours and ten minutes, non-stop. 1993's The Fugitive, starring Harrison Ford, was one of the most popular movies that year and continues to satisfy to this day. But what is it that makes it work? What doesn't work? What is it that you'll find in the movie that doesn't fit? What about what's real? What about what's not? We'll find out from law enforcement professionals of all kinds inside this, the perspective review of 1993's The Fugitive, starring Harrison Ford, Tommy Lee Jones, a huge cast that weren't super famous yet, directed by Andrew Davis. Greetings, everybody. I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm Chris Giuseppe, another host. Chris, we're joined by so many awesome people inside the studio today. Absolutely. Who else have we got here? Uh, I'm Pat Doring, sometimes a host. I'm Tommy Model. I'm a cop on the south side in and around Chicago, and I host uh, Free Field Training, a YouTube channel. I'm Rick Knight. I'm a retired federal marshal, actually senior criminal investigator with the Marshal Service. Now I'm just kind of semi-retired. I'm an investigator still. On my own, doing a lot of corporate security stuff around the country. Which a whole lot of work gets done in any way, as well as a monumental drive recently. So thank you again for coming in, Rick. It's great to connect with you. As, As everyone can hear, we have a massive source of knowledge information and perspective here inside this perspective review of The Fugitive. I can't wait to get to it. First, some quick housekeeping. The Editor core. Now, I realize that this perspective review will actually be about 11 hours long. Yeah, absolutely. When we finally that's, right. that's because we have, we have so many people. We, I mean, we, people, we, went, right. we went, what, three and a half hours just with <laughs> yeah. three of us. Oh. We might get out of here <laughs> the tomorrow. Torturous Star Wars days. May, maybe 12 hours. I'm not mm-hmm. entirely sure. But the bottom line is that the guys over at the Editor Core, editorcore.com, get us all in line, sounding perfect and polished. I want everybody that either has a podcast or has considered a podcast to get your butts over to editorcore.com and make sure you utilize their services they are professionals they've been fostering me now for almost 13 years in podcasting and they will help you make your podcast soar yeah we couldn't do it without them they remove all my um uh uh like that that mike loves yeah and we appreciate them that'll make sure those particular bits get left in that's awesome okay the voice farm my dad who passed away in january this year unfortunately had a concept now 
more than 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. And it was where people that were interested in starting a voiceover career could go and learn the craft from people that do it. They didn't have to worry about all the crap that happens inside the voiceover mm -hmm. industry. Well, we built it. We built it four and a half years ago. And it continues to this day. It helps foster all of the advertisements, all of the blurps that we'll have inside of the podcast that we share between all of your programs, as well as a wonderfully diverse professional listing of voiceovers. Again, it's the Voice Farm. For those of you that are considering voiceover at all, make sure you go check out the Voice Farm where you can grow your own voiceover talents. That's voicefarmers.com. Do I hire one just to follow me around at work to use the voiceover? You may when you enter a room right. or when you're That'd exiting. That'd be awesome. Sure. Yeah. All you got to do is make sure people shut up and right. well, Chris can help you with that. <clears throat> and I remember when Mike approached me with that, he said, hey, you know, your voice, we could really use somebody for us, you know, that's bland and, and uninteresting. So, you know, you need to get over there. I I haven't gone yet, but, you know, I look forward to it. It might be a good idea for me. I've kind of ruined the voice that I have. It'd be nice to have another one. You know? <laughs> Your accent like is people, awesome. I grew up in Arkansas, and, and my name was Richard. And then, you know, people would say, why did you change it to Rick? And i say, well, I ruined it the first 25 years, so I changed it to Rick. <laughs> now I'm go. 50. I've ruined that. I don't know what to go to. <laughs> That's the secret. <laughs> That's right. great. And remember, if you've got an accent. Tommy, did you want to chime in with your wonderful... I don't have an accent. What are you talking okay, about? That's what we I do. Great. He doesn't. We do. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> that's awesome. Also, why do you all put ketchup on hot dogs? That is the weirdest oh, thing Oh, no. Ever. I knew this oh, was coming. Here we go. Ketchup band. Have you had toasted ravioli yet? No. We got oh, we to take him. We Can I get you a pop real quick? That sounds food. disturbing. How about a toasted Coke? Ravioli. Can I get you a Coke? What's Coke? Pop? Everything's a Coke. Yeah, I can relate. I'm from Cleveland. I can relate to pop. Lay off the pop, all right? That's right. Anyway, when you're done getting done with our cultural diversity here inside the, the podcast make sure you check out voicefarmers.com and again thanks dad it's time for the perspective review of 1993's the fugitive starring harrison ford tommy lee jones directed by andrew davis sponsored by sprints relay missouri the voice farmer voiceover academy acoustica's mixcraft recording software and the editor core helping your podcast soar are you looking for a unique, perpetual advertising avenue? Be sure to contact WhatCopsWatch.com now about the power of perpetual advertising as you help to foster along the relationship between the public and those in uniform behind the badge. The Hype! The hype for this movie was something completely different because you have to remember, this was 1993. We're not talking about something that was a couple of years ago where you're going to see a diverse social media following and then 700 trailers before the movie comes out that show you 99% of the movie. And then you'll have the sneak previews three days before the movie. And then you'll have the movie. You didn't have hardly any of that. If anything, you had maybe one chance at a summer trailer. And that was it. Typically, it was in front of a big movie, uh, especially with Harrison Ford involved. It's going to be there for sure. Right. But the hype was a completely different beast back then. Chris, what do you remember from this film? I don't remember. I don't remember the hype. It was 1993. Like I said, I, I was, let's see, out of the police academy in 1991. I was a couple of years into my career. Mm -hmm. It would have been a movie that I was interested in because it was law enforcement based. Right. And I just, I remember Harrison Ford, Tommy Lee Jones. I mean, you can't forget that. Yeah. So it was uh, definitely a movie I saw and liked back then, but I don't remember the lead up. Yeah. I don't remember the hype. Tons of impact with the stars inside of this one for sure. Right. How about you, Pat? 
Yeah, I don't remember a lot about it. I mean, it had Han Solo in it, so I mean, you had to go see it, right? <laughs> right. That's, that's what I mean. That's what I kind of remember. Yeah. So, yeah. oh, Han Solo's in this movie. You got to go see it. This was the middle of his career where he yeah. really did have a whole bunch of you know striking, going upward moments before he got into things like Firewall, which right. was kind of a meh. You know, you get yeah. into the middle of that and you're like, what is it that I'm actually watching here? Right. Uh, th- this was definitely at that point. T- Tommy, what do you remember? Well, I was born in '83. Yeah, thanks. So in '93. That would have been my second or third year going to Cub Scout camp that oh, summer. Great, great, great. When it came out. What better to go so to Cub Scouts go see the Fugitive movie? Come on. <laughs> was, was, it rated, all was it rated R? No. I really feel old because he, he was born in 83. <laughs> I got my first law enforcement, civilian law enforcement job after serving three years in the Army and the military police prior to wow. that. Wow. So I really yeah. feel old. So I actually, like, seriously, what do you mention from the about the hype of, of this movie? Do you remember anything about no, this? No. No, I don't, I don't think I ever even saw this movie until I got a blockbuster card when I was about 16. Right. Wow. Hmm. Actually, the movie wow. was taken from a TV show yeah. in, right. in the 60s. I remember that. Fugitive yep. Where yep. He was Dr. Richard Kimball. And I can't remember the actor's name, although I can see his face very vividly. But he was, like, moving around the country in different places, you yep. know, always keeping on the run. In, uh, you know, a little bit. Of, he'd take a job at this location and work a yep. while until detective, and I think he was a police detective, would finally kind of catch up to him or get close to him and then he's off and running again yep. and and he was always after the chase for the one-armed right. guy and so did this move the needle at all knowing that it was based on a show that maybe you watched when it was on well i think so i think a lot of people uh, interest was in the fugitive because they liked the tv show the fugitive and so it kind of brought it in you know until the late 80s and, and early 90s aspect of the fugitive and kind of put a little twist on how they did it with you know changing the character of uh, of the police officer from a police detective who's chasing a fugitive to becoming a kind of a, a federal fugitive type investigation that we kind of got into with the marshal service. I know used to nobody knew anything about the U.S. Marshal Service other than well, sitting around in courtrooms and yeah. and so in the early '90s we we began nationally doing these fugitive operations. We started with things called FIST. Fugitive Investigative Strike Team, Star, and things like that. And actually, in 1992, I had my first opportunity to spend 10 weeks working with the Phoenix, Arizona Police Department's fugitive detail. That was an eye-opener for me. I came from, other than the military and being in the Marshal Service, which is a large organization but very small in the scheme of the things federally, to actually work with a large metropolitan police department. To see all the bells and whistles and things that are available, you know, not have to make something, you know. Uh, And so in 93, were you with the Marshal Service yet? I was. I I actually went in the Marshal Service Mm -hmm. in 1985. Okay. And uh, was assigned to St. Louis here in 86 or so. I transferred across the river to southern Illinois. was in East St. Louis for about a year and a half and then got transferred temporarily but i met a girl and you know the rest is history, <laughs> the rest is history. <laughs> well you know the mar the marshal said you go down there for six months and i'll let you come back to st louis i met my wife and game over and this next april <laughs> will be right? 30 years and that's the yeah. longest six months of my life. No, there you go <laughs> that's what I'm saying. But the, the best the best six months right but i spent i spent 26 <clears throat> years in the marshal service and wow. nine years with the military now I'm just having fun. Well, well, first, thanks for your service. And second, 
I'm so glad that you're here because in addition to giving us perspective on what actually happens inside of a movie set, because what we also don't yet know is that you were one of the technical advisors on the second film based on this franchise, the the U.S. Marshals movie, right? I did have the privilege. Of course, the, the crash side of the U.S. Marshals movie with Tommy Lee, which was the spinoff or the sequel yeah. of mm-hmm. The Fugitive mm-hmm. with the, the same, most of the same actors, not the same fugitive. It was a different person. But Tommy Jones playing the deputy marshal, Sam Gerard, Again. and mm-hmm. then all of his crew, most of them all the same actors from the first one. Mm-hmm. And that was filmed in uh, deep southern Illinois, down on the Ohio River, Bay City Blacktops, what they call it. And a friend of mine, actually from the northern district of Illinois, was the assigned technical advisor on that set. And he had to be gone for a while, so I got to step into it and... And be there, and it was an eye opener for me, you know, to be actually on a movie set, uh, Warner Brothers. It was it was awesome. I love that. The other thing you're going to give us is some perspective from a law enforcement standpoint. I know Chris and Pat and Tommy, they've all chimed in on what we've seen inside of entertainment and how law enforcement is represented. But I mean, this literally has the moniker of your division of law enforcement on it. It does. So I'm, I, th- that's why I'm super grand happy that you could be inside <laughs> of this perspective review because it's something we just simply don't have. It's going right. to be great perspective. I remember this film mostly because I had a subscription to a magazine. I know all of you that are listening are going, Mike, what is this magazine thing you're talking about, dude? Well, ba- way back when, you could get a subscription to a magazine, a paper thing that would arrive in your mail. Wait, what's what's mail? Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. As we record inside of Going Postal. (laughs) And it was Premiere Magazine. Premiere Magazine was one of the very few dedicated feature film magazines that wasn't super Hollywoody. It would dig specifically into the how the things were made, how the directors got involved, the cinematographers, where they were leached from and why, some of the details of the makings of a feature film. But they didn't just delve into ridiculous Hollywood gossip stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I really did I really did revere the magazine. That's where I remember reading specifically about this. I remember reading inside of another magazine that is one that I've been reading since uh, just forever. It's hard for me to, to think about that because you never see anybody reading magazines or books. They're always... <laughs> right, right. You know, I noticed the, the other day I was sitting in the it's terminal to just come back from a, a trip and... I think there were 50 people, and everybody's got their phones out. Like, yeah. They really have magazines now? Yeah. Right. Unless you're in the bathroom of the police station, in which case there's always, there's always gulls yeah, or police right. ones yep. sitting yeah. in the basement some, bathroom. Yeah, kind awesome. Of well, I'm glad that I'm in some sort of interesting cohesion going on there. Anyway, the name of the magazine is Cinefix, and Cinefix is the premier magazine of special effects, how the movies are made, all of the details hmm. that you can imagine down to the most minute detail. It continues on in printed version, but the giant get of going digital now is that you get to get all the pictures high res. You can look at them on your television set. You can push them over to your phone, whatever else. We'll include all the subscription information for Cinefix, but we won't be including Premiere Magazine because, ding, 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 there is no more Premiere Magazine. But what I will do is I'll go dig up the cover of them showcasing Fugitive inside of inside of that. I also do remember the trailer, which we'll also link up to inside the show notes for this episode. Remember, you can go and look at that over at twoguystalking.com forward slash The Fugitive. The money! When we talk about money today, we talk about billions and billions of dollars. Right. right. Way back then in 1993, it wasn't always gajillions of dollars, in particular on opening weekend. And this is where I lean over to Chris 
and ask, do you have any idea what this made domestically? Just here? domestically. Yeah, just domestically. So I can't compare it to what a movie brings in these days. So I'm going to have to, but this was a big movie mm-hmm. because these were big stars. So huge. I'm, I'm yeah. going to have to go 70 million. 70 million. Okay, Pat? Yeah, I'm going to go 95 million, maybe. I'm thinking, you know, this is a big okay. blockbuster. So it had to have been probably during the summertime. You know? Okay. So, yeah. Tell me what he got. This is right when I wish I had looked it up so I would sound <laughs> smart. Uh, how about 53 million? 53 million. Tell me going the prices right route. Okay, and Rick? In excess of 100 million. In excess of 100 million. Okay, the domestic for this movie. To date has made $184 million. Wow. Now that's from back then to now. now. So that's going to include all the time that it was in theaters, if there was a re-release, which I don't remember for this at all. And then the DVD Blu-ray sales that are also in. I'm also going to include that this is also some sort of digital get as yeah. well for when things are bought and sold. Although I've not verified that. It's on Amazon you, and such. And yeah, that's well, how it, I, I had to buy it off there well, to watch I, it. I went and bought it also because I wanted to see, one, if the features were available. They're not. I also wanted to make sure that there was closed captioning available. There is. But I also wanted to see if the quality of the transfer was acceptable. And, guys, it's tremendous. It was, yeah. Some of the captures I caught on my phone and sent over to Tommy, especially uh, in regard to the bus that I sent over to you, it's amazing. It, it is amazing that it comes through that crystal clear. Even, even all the special effects stuff mm. that were used inside of this, and there wasn't much. A lot of this was practical effects. But there was a significant amount of special effects used inside of this yeah, film. You're which... talking about those special effects. I was reading and had a little bit of inside knowledge of that. The actual train crash when he hits the bus, they actually crashed a train. Right. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't special effects in the studio that made it look like it with a computer module. They crashed a train. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they crashed a the train. They did. <clears throat> uh, they did do miniatures for it, and then the jump of Richard Kimball. That is digital. But they, they, you're absolutely right. They did crash the train. Hmm. I thought and, that was all miniature when I watched it. Uh, I just assumed it was in miniatures. Yeah, when and there who's is. dumb enough to crash a train? Right. This was <laughs> this was the days when traditional model making or miniature making and model making were not thrown out the door instantly because of CGI. And the vast majority of this film is not CGI. All of the special effects that you see are almost all practical, with the exception of him jumping off the bus. That's it. The, the rest of them are all either in camera or some sort of practical effect, which is amazing to me to pull off this kind of rich storytelling and not have to dig deep inside of some CGI ridiculousness. It's really great stuff. So we're going to go foreign. Chris, do you have any idea what the foreign take was here? Not including the domestic, you're saying? Not including the domestic, right. Just foreign take. I don't know. $78 million. Okay, Pat? Um, $83 million. Okay. Tommy? $53 million. I'm not. I'm not real creative. I gotta be. Eventually, if we do this enough, I have to be right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That's totally true. Now I'm gonna go find a movie that made fifty-three million dollars. It's like a clock that stopped twice a day. (laughs) Twice a day. Okay, Rick. Around one hundred and ten. One hundred and ten. Okay. Well, guess what? Rick wins again because it almost mirrored the intake for domestic, which is one hundred and eighty-five million dollars. So total. We're talking about $369 million in takes since That's a lot more than one. I would have thought. Yeah. Me too. Me too. I wonder uh, what the cost for 1993. was for production. That'd be interesting to see just what the cost back then was. <clears throat> the production budget for the film was $44 million, almost a $53 million, Tommy. Almost. Yeah. But again, yeah, this is one of those triggers where when you make giant bonzo corn combines of cash, what happens, guys? It's time for a sequel. Oh, yeah, definitely. And so, obviously, uh, shortly after the very first weekend, you can imagine this going where, okay, it's time to just start writing the sequel. And they did. 
And then they went and looked for a technical advisor, and whoops, they found Rick. Five years ago, or five years later, <laughs> 1998, or around in there, they Copelson. That's awesome. Movie. And again, I, I don't think people appreciate the money numbers that we're talking about there. Back no, then, that's a lot that is a lot of money. Sure. Pretty good bit of money today for some oh, people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The good. My goodness. There is a ton of good to go through in this movie. We're going to just start now. The peppering of flashback. Does it work? We've all seen movies where flashbacks are used and very often used maybe a little bit too much. Yeah. And then you've seen movies, and t especially television shows, mm -hmm. where they actually use it and not only is it annoying, it actually detracts from you sitting and watching something. And so initially, especially watching this as an adult after doing so many different reviews like this, I looked at it because I got to tell you guys, I don't like flashback stuff, like at all. Inside of a movie, traditionally it yanks me right out of the storytelling. Uh, especially when it's not done with a lot of care, where whatever the flashback is, eventually it'll mean something. I don't do real well with that kind of storytelling, especially inside of feature films. Um, when I'm sitting in a theater, I kind of want to be spoon-fed a bunch of stuff, and I don't mind making a couple of jumps, but if you feed me stuff that in the third act of the movie I'm eventually going to get, don't you traditionally think it, lose me. I think it was necessary in this movie, though. I think it definitely fosters the kind-hearted nature. Mm-hmm of what you think about Kimball as a character. Right. It definitely helps take off some of the hard, murderous edges that could be on him. Right. I, I think also, as the story goes by, you kind of know, is there ever a time in this movie where you think he did it? No. No. Okay. Really. I think so so I, I, I think it really does foster that along. What I also love, and we're going to talk about it a lot later on, is that because Tommy Lee Jones' character is right so often... Mm -hmm. You've got to have some of the real story peppered sure. to try and offset what's going on with Tommy Lee Jones. And I think it's one of the big striking pieces of the movie. Right. Is there a feature film or a television series you know that has used flashback that failed? I can't think of one. I just watched one like not too long. I can't remember. The, as soon as you said that, I was like, oh, man, I, I totally lost. Well, the bottom line is that everyone in the audience can think of a series or a feature film that you've watched before and it just sucked. And it's largely because they went back and either... There's a whole bunch of Netflix streaming stuff that does yeah. this often. Mm -hmm. And it's because there's no context. And then what they're hoping is that you're going to take the puzzle pieces and somehow manufacture them together. That's why I could deal with, the, with what's going on inside of the flashback here. Mm -hmm. Because it really does start adding giant puzzle pieces. Especially in the third act of the film where Big Pharma is then somehow incorporated into the film. Traditionally, you start throwing in Big Pharma into a feature film for me, I kind of pull the ripcord. It, it starts to get into conspiracy stuff, and I don't care. This was painted appropriately, and I didn't pull the ripcord. I really yeah, I like agree. the flashback in this movie because it it's not just there to tell you about what happened. It also enhances the character. Right. Of Kimball, because you get the idea of the of the the PTSD that he's going through. Because half the time it's flashbacks, mm. he goes What's to that? sleep. You get a flashback, and then he wakes up out of his sleep, having a nightmare of the flashback. Right. So you yeah. learn something new about the story, and you're also learning about the character at the same time. Oh, I totally agree with that. Now, that's, a, that's a very good point. There was a uh, there was a case, and I'm gonna I'm gonna defer to Pat to help me with this. There was a case that we studied in the FBI National Academy that was about a high-ranking military officer. And this mm -hmm. guy was, like, captain of the uh, football team. Um, yeah, I mean, he was top, top yeah. honors. And his entire family gets murdered. Oh, wow. Wife, kids, everything. And what he claimed was 
that some hippies back in the day, this was back in the 60s, it was I guess, close, right? It was close to the Manson thing. So yeah, they tried Charles to, Manson. Yeah. Th- these hippies, in his words, broke into his house and murdered his wife and children. And oh, wow. he had a couple superficial, I think, uh, wounds, wounds, right, yeah. where, where they thought, you know, were self-inflicted, where he alleged this. And I wonder if the concept uh, for the basis of this movie was based on that crime. And that real life incident. I'm trying to recall that movie. I'm, was, I'm was familiar a with that. TV movie. I'm that familiar with that. Being a former Army CID agent, I'm familiar with the actual investigation. Mm-hmm. But the actual person, not the actor, but the actual former Army doctor mm-hmm. that was convicted of this, I actually transported the real person back. We have. Uh, a large number of aircraft in the Marshal Service and call it. It gets nicknamed. You you see it in this movie, uh, the U.S. Marshals. That's supposedly what crashed, but it's called our U.S. Marshal Service airlift. He was actually aboard that aircraft. Wow! And and he got off, didn't he? Did he eventually no, get off? He, no, he, he went to jail, but he, he never. His name was. I believe his Donald name was like was it Jeffrey Robert McDonald? Yes, yes. yes. Right, he was an American medical doctor, right. yeah. a former U.S. Army officer. He was convicted in 1979 of murdering his pregnant wife and his two daughters. Right. He, I believe, though, to this day, I don't know if he's still alive, but he still contends yeah, that still he is innocent. To, yeah. uh, what I had heard was that the uh, the victims, the the wife's father, went back in, reconstructed some of the. Uh, crime scene i think there was some issues with the crime scene or something yeah like carl that. malden played the, the yeah that's the, it that's the it. That's uh it. Yeah. the yeah. father-in-law yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. of the doctor he actually there were things that after the murder of the wife and the children it was all this family distraught thing and then donald uh, the real mcdonald kept doing peculiar things and doing things that just caused the father-in-law to just become suspect of his actions Mm -hmm. and so he actually hired if i remember correctly a private investigator that started the initial investigation army cid come in uh and ended up convicting him uh, Mm -hmm. of murdering that Uh, i can't remember the name of the movie that they made of that. Well, there was a book called Fatal Vision. Fatal that's Vision, it. that's, that's it. it. Fatal, Fatal Vision, Vision. that was the movie. Yeah. We actually had on the airlift, and I, I was acting supervisor of the airlift on that particular trip, and we actually moved the real McDonald wow. on the aircraft. He was wow. a federal prisoner. He was being transported. I remember that and uh, remember his face very vividly. Yeah. Wow. So, like I said, it, that's what it reminded me of that case mm-hmm. and, you know, him being a doctor and such and the outrageous allegation that somebody else came in and murdered his family. And that's, I wonder if that was kind of the basis that they set this up. You know, an outrageous allegation, a one-armed man came in and murdered his wife. So Very if, interesting. Very interesting. A lot of people milling about. This is really something to talk about, too, that uh, there's a variety of different YouTube movies that I've seen in just the last six months that have popped up where inside of procedural television series and feature films, they're now going back and grabbing the crime scene investigator folks to tell you exactly what is wrong with insert scene of whatever movie and or television show. And I hope that we're the precipitous for something like that because we've been doing it for a very long time, going back and figuring out the goods and the bads and the details. Mm -hmm. Uh, The bottom line though, is that 
a lot of the people that are inside of an investigative scene, like what we see at the beginning of this, there's a bunch of people just walking around with no perceived pur- purpose, yeah. as well as no protection at all, no personal protection stuffs mm-hmm. right. for themselves inside of the scene, which is alien. Uh, one of the things in an environment that you would see like this is everyone would look like they were essentially in the movie E.T. the last 25 minutes. Uh, it wouldn't be the giant hazmat suits, but it would definitely be protective suits, like the uh, like a painter's suit that you would wear. Everyone would have gloves. Very mm-hmm. often there would also be masks, uh, depending on how much blood was involved. Mm-hmm. And none of that is seen here. And I, j- I just want people to get familiar <clears throat> with stuff like a murder like this mm-hmm. and the story that's attached to it. That entire house mm-hmm. is a giant pool of evidence collection. However, we do have to we do have to go back and take a look at the times. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to go back to 1993, and maybe Rick can help us out too. There wasn't always all of the protective things that we yeah. do, yeah. and all of the uh, you know the the mask and gloves well, I think and things until like that. The Simpson case, you didn't get that. Yeah, everybody DNA, should be wearing right. booties. Everybody so, should be wearing gloves. You know, everybody should be there wearing there were more careless handling of crime scenes at you know at times just depending on where you were at too right so depending depending on and know, i think i would agree with stuff, you especially so. when this happened i, I mm-hmm. totally agree with you i think there's some egregious stuff later on inside the feature film that i think all of us can agree where wait mm-hmm. a minute what the hell just happened right. right and that's really the best some of the best parts of what happens inside the perspective reviews to give the audience where it's definitively a storytelling device to just kind of egg on the story and get people hyped up for what they're watching mm-hmm. when in reality it's it's just not real it's right. it's not procedure of how it would work. Harrison and a beard. All right, I'm going to go around the table. Chris, thumbs up or down? For this movie, For thumbs up. Okay. Yeah, I liked Pat? it. Pat? Uh, I wasn't a fan. Okay. Yeah. Tommy? I'm always pro-beard if I can get it. <laughs> there is a fantastical beard video that we will link up inside of the show notes for this episode over to freefieldtraining.com where you can actually get all kinds of awesome from Tommy, I think, what, pre- I'm still really salty about having to shave off my beard. I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm pretty salty about work changing the rules on me. That's all right. I think you but, look fantastic. But Harris, I appreciate it. Harrison can grow a beard, like a good, full, yeah. solid beard. Mm-hmm. So within his I, character, too. Yeah, and right. within the character, so yeah. I'm pro-beard on that. Okay. Right. Although it would seem like for a doctor, especially someone that was a vascular surgeon, mm-hmm. yeah, they just, wouldn't want to have... Right. That much hair going on because it would be too. more to. It wasn't like a. It would be more to have the kind of looked like yeah. greasy headed there. I mean, you know, right. your picture of a vascular surgeon, right? As you said, but you he know, looks more like the vascular kinda, surgeon at the end of the movie. I don't right? know. I think that he had to break away from the Han Solo stuff so people like Pat Doring would, <laughs> you know, quit following Look, around. Look, it's not Han Solo, right? right. So that's awesome, Rick. Yes, thumbs up for a beard. Then yes, no. Why? Well, you know, I like beards. I've wore one a number of times through the year. They just had him kind of a grungy look, but still, yeah, sophisticated doctor look. Too. I thought it was very interesting, mostly because of his ridiculously drop dead gorgeous wife. Because that's the guy with the beard is not the guy that I would see connecting with her. So, so I thought it was a very interesting story. award. Too. I don't know. Back in 1993, Mike, that was the thing. Okay, <laughs> right. yeah. just saying. Maybe, maybe the guy. That's a- the guy is a vascular surgeon at Cook County Hospital right. in Chicago. Money talk. Right. Yeah, it's very true. Not Cook County at Northwestern. Well, that's maybe, big. Oh, yeah, that's that's it, yeah. big money, Northwestern. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that it's all connected maybe, together. Maybe the wife hooked up with his paycheck. Yeah. There you go. That's got to be it. That's got to be it. James Newton Howard does the soundtrack. Are you guys familiar with James Newton Howard's name at I am, all? I am not. No. 
No idea. Okay, one of my other favorite soundtracks from him that all of you will now go and look at is called Cinderella Man. Do you guys remember Cinderella Man? Yes. Yeah. Okay, that is a... F- Probably my favorite all-time soundtrack from him. We'll link to his entire discography as well as the ability to buy the soundtrack that is lilted in here and there inside of this episode so that you can get a a good atmospheric flavor for what he brings to a soundtrack. But it really is impactful. A lot of people hate it when I go and just yammer on about the soundtrack inside of a film. But if you watch this film and you turn the sound off, you know what instantly happens? You instantly get taken out of the movie. And it's not just because of the thunderous train wreck not missing. It's because you are not guided by the soundtrack for this film. It's everything from the touch, the most touching moments when he's with his wife and nothing is, no hullabaloo is started to everything to where, you know, it's all just hit the fan. Everything in between is conveyed by him. And I call that movie magic. Again, we'll link to the soundtrack over at twoguystalking.com forward slash The Fugitive. Can Tommy, from South China, Chicago, thank you again for coming down, can you name a prestigious Chicago-based surgeon? Ready, go. Only one. If you say Kimball, I'm going to vault the desk. No, only okay. one because he operated on me. Fifteen years later, I looked him up and found out that there's no way I would have been able to afford it had oh, wow. I pay for it. Oh, okay. I, when I was born, my feet pointed at each other. Mm-hmm. I had bilateral telpedes, which sure. most people call clubfoot. Okay. And in 83, when I was born, I'm sorry, to everyone else here. But in 83, when I was born, that would have involved pins being put into my foot yeah. in order to straighten them out. And I would have probably been able to walk. And the surgeon that I know, is his name is Dr. Quo. He's like a $400 an hour surgeon mm-hmm. that if it wasn't for Shriners Hospital in Chicago, I would never have been able to afford to have what at the time was an experimental surgery. And God, he operated Tommy, on my feet, are, and that's you, that's why I can that's why I'm a cop today is because Doctor Quo did the surgery on my feet. But the only reason I know him and know that he's prestigious <laughs> is because he operated on me. Otherwise, you, no. You are a movie in the making. I don't right, think anybody yeah. understands that. That's awesome. Well, that's if anybody awesome. wants to buy the rights, I'm extraordinarily cheap right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Can any of you name a prestigious surgeon inside of any of your cities? Ready, go. A prestigious surgeon oh, inside, inside, inside the cities. I'm sure we've got a bunch of them, but no. Okay. Dr. Oz. Uh, Isn't Dr. Oz prestigious? Maybe, but... Dr. Phil. You know, Dr. Joel Ray in Cape Girada is a well-known back surgeon. Matt Gornett here in in the St. Louis Mm. area. I mean, he does a lot of the sports medicine Mm. athletes. I mean, he's pretty expensive. Yeah, the only doctor I can think of that maybe is prestigious is my buddy from high school, Dr. Mark, who is now one of the preeminent concussion-focused doctors in our area Mm -hmm. that... Uh, obviously, if he had accidentally slash one-armed man did it, murdered his wife, mm-hmm. I don't think everybody would go, oh, Mark Halstead? Really? No way. There's no way. I was trying to think of the surgeon that my wife talked to down at Barnes not long ago, and I give him a little press, maybe give me a little break on my wife's <laughs> medical. <laughs> <laughs> Always working this side right. hustle. I love that's it. Right. I love it. Hey, we're cops. We had to come up with something, <laughs> something on the exactly. side. Something. That's right. <laughs> Mrs. Kimball is striking. This is the second time you've mentioned it. it. Is? You really it's want to highlight be the last that. One. Now, who I do. Was, who was this actress? I can't. I do. Michelle Ward. She's very beautiful. What she, else was she in? Because she looked really familiar when I saw the movie. I, been, I don't know, but I want to run through her entire jacket. It's been a while. After going to meet her and talk to her passionately mm-hmm. and talk more to her because she is just out of this world gorgeous inside of this film. She reminds me very much of my wife. She reminds me very much of 
Jackie Kennedy. She has that incredibly striking. You you instantly stop what you're doing to look at her. What I want to know is your wife listening to this broadcast. She's not. She's deaf. Okay. Ha ha. Get down. <laughs> anyway, the the, the the gist is that she's gorgeous. Somebody hit him. <laughs> she, she's gorgeous. She does exactly what the role needs. There's never a time inside the feature film where she goes over the top. No. There's never a time where you think, oh, they inserted this scene to try and just milk more of the emotion that's going on. There was none of that inside of the film, especially on her part. Well, she was. She comes off as a doctor's wife. She's very classy. She's yes. very refined. And limited time that she spends in the film, uh, she... Mostly they still, in flashback. They, right. But mm-hmm. they also, they don't give up on trying to place emphasis on her characterization. Yeah. And I thought that that was, that was good on the part of the uh, writers and producers. She has that southern charm because he's from Meridian, Mississippi. There it goes. Oh. There you- and, and that's the gist about all of this is that there's always something special about an actress that can be pulled from looking at their bio, which is why I'm going to be looking through hers incredibly for the next several days. Uh, The other thing I wanted to mention, too, and this goes directly back to storytelling as well as character development that Chris and I talk about all the time, Mm -hmm. which is the opening and closing of loops. Right. The best part here is that with the flashbacks, it's actually done in reverse. Right. And that's you see the loop close, the beginning right, of the film. Extremely difficult to do. Incredibly difficult. Yeah. And I think that's why, especially this movie soars with flashback, because without doing that, she's just a murdered body in a chalk line. Right. right. She doesn't mean anything. Right. And so being able to develop that in flashback, what an art. Well, really and, that, well done. and that's exactly what uh, kind of sucks you in. Oh, they, yeah. You, yeah. you characterize, characterize her, and you get a little bit of insight of who she is mm-hmm. and what she meant to our main character, it tries to rope her in and rope the audience into that emotional loop. And I think they do an extremely good job at uh, rounding that out. Mm, Super Rick is showing me a photograph where it mentions Celia Ward's run for Senate. No, her husband. Oh, her husband. Her husband's oh, a huh. oh, Democrat gotcha. candidate for the U.S. Senate in mm. Mississippi. Oh, gotcha. Mm. Is she Very married to him or his paycheck? Uh, she's married to him. I'd say and the benefits. he's married, yeah, he's to, her married to her paycheck. He's kind of reversed that a little bit. It, it works for the benefits. She doesn't she's have to worry about She's been in several things. I've seen her in some. I can't think of everything she's been in, but uh, she does have that, that southern charm. Yeah, we'll, we'll link up to her entire jacket of work inside go. of the show notes for this episode so you can go and And, you know, she wasn't like in this movie very long, and most most of what you see in the movie of her is all the flashback stuff that you're right. talking about. Right. And half the time she's just about murder, dead. You know? yeah. Yeah. She's yeah. in a little bit of the first, and so she's probably got a pretty good paycheck to die. Awesome. Just great stuff for sure. Not interrogation 101. Yeah, the scene where they have Harrison Ford and they have him in the interrogation room mm-hmm. and yeah. they're going over the incident. Right. And he's reviewing that, and I think that there's a flashback or multiple flashbacks that come about within that scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that I appreciated is the acting, the the emphasis that they put on him being an innocent person. And, you know, when I look at him and his reactions, his reactions to the questions, his adamant, I guess, the, the how offended he is when they accuse him is is one of the things that, that is actually true with people that are telling the truth. You know, that, that emotional adamant protest when they go over uh, interview and interrogation through statement analysis and they look for veracity and deception one of the things with veracity is this expression of emotion 
So I think that he does such a good job because he's a great actor, but I also think that they paid particular attention to maybe get some consultation on how to conduct the interrogation scene. Not that I think that the police did well in the interrogation scene. In fact, you know, from what I recall, I don't think... Uh, Detective Rossetti? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think that the, it was the that, that well portrayed, but I think that the reaction by the yeah. suspect seemed genuine. And I like that they that they hit on that. You gotta love Detective Rossetti. So he's like in what almost every '90s movie, and he's a cop. Yeah, and he has always because he was a Chicago detective. Right, he's retired. And I and I think that he has the same exact script and dialogue in every one of them. And outfit, the same outfit, and glasses, and hair. As soon as you see him, you're like, that guy was just in the movie I watched yesterday. We must be watching a cop show. That's exactly what happens. Him, him, and this other guy. The code of silence, right? Yeah, yeah, code of silence. He was also there. Detective Kelly. He, he's actually in, a, in several, yeah, 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 several that one too. police yeah. movies also, yeah, yeah. The, TV shows. The, the, again, the casting for this film was just outstanding. Right. Just I don't know how it could have been more perfectly played. What's even better, and I, it doesn't it doesn't happen all the time, but very often when Hollywood ends up portraying law enforcement as stupid people or anyone mm-hmm. that has an alphabet insignia in front of their on the back of their jacket as an idiot, very often they just throw them to the wolves and they make them look absolutely laughable. What happens toward the end of this film is kind of that. The difference is that you're not focusing on it because you're focusing on the exonerated hero. Mm-hmm. And that's a piece of storytelling that I think is also really well done where you're not you're not grabbing the back of a law enforcement agent and shoving him in front of a camera and go, look, an idiot. They're not doing that towards the end of the camera because of the storytelling focusing on the exoneration of the hero. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't happen nearly often enough rather than making stupid cops look stupid inside of feature films. That question is asked inside the script because that's what sets him off. The instant that the doctor detects that, wait a second, why are fingers pointing at me? Mm-hmm. I'm the one that came home and wrestled right. with the one-armed man. Right. right. What are you talking about? And his reactions How were... How dare you? Yeah, his reactions that's, were great. Yeah. They were, it, no, was, it, was, it was portrayed great. It was stellar. Well, watching Harrison Ford act really at all, even inside of terrible movies like The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, even watching him in those moments... Harrison Ford is just such a credit to his craft right. that he's thrown into so much crap, especially in the in the ebb of his career, is terrible. But inside of this this film, just absolute knockdown, perfect, great stuff. I yeah. like what they did with the the gun on that too, because there was a, a gun left on the scene that they mm-hmm. recovered, and in that circumstance, especially in Chicago at that time, just owning that gun and it not being registered <laughs> would have been a reason to hold him in county longer. Mm. And it would have mm. put more pressure on him for the investigation. So I could see where that would have come up really fast. Do you own a gun? And that their follow-up question was, is it registered in your name? Because they're going to go check mm-hmm. the right. Chicago Police gun registry against the gun that was recovered on the scene. And if he says it's his gun and it's not registered to him, mm. they're going to lock him up just on that. Okay. And now there's more pressure on him to to give up more information to try to exonerate himself and dig himself a hole. Very okay. interesting. And again, I, I love the little pieces parts that we can parse out of something that we've all watched within the last month-ish to go and pick out pieces of what you hear and see inside of the film to talk about in here because it's what should happen inside of everyone's brain after you're watching a movie, mm. especially multiple right, times. Right, right. And, and that really is a credit to the feature film, too. This is not the one-and-done movie by any stretch. No. Right. It's just not. It's just not. How fast can a man go to court and be convicted nowadays? Years. Especially yeah. murder. I mean, murder. Well, a capital murder case like that would take three years probably yeah. Yeah. before it really goes. I mean, yeah. you got a lot of medical stuff to go through, psychological evaluations, 
any capital case he's entitled to two attorneys anytime you get one attorney involved in the crime lab stuff's got to come back even a rush on the crime lab lab. the thing Uh, we were just talking about the the interrogation that at the end of it he says oh his fingerprints are all over the house right which even with a rush on it right no no way way. and they they meant something about his his skin went under her fingernails yeah a high publicity (laughs) case like that involving a doctor like that it would take they're gonna draw it out it would take it would be drawn out out. and in the capital case you're gonna have you know the the second phase of a trial which would be and all i want to know is who was his attorney he's got to have some money his attorney couldn't get him off on this one yeah that's the guy he called on six attorneys the guy he called on the phone right from the yeah, like, Jeez, come on. <laughs> it's the injury guy from the commercial. That's oh, who they call yeah. him. Bottom line is, oh, and what about then? What about back in 1993? Still, still think? I, st- I still, still would have taken okay. yeah, yeah, years. Okay. Yeah. Well, and that's something else I want people to focus on because it's something Chris and I have talked about specifically inside of our reviews of television programming mm-hmm. is that inside of a 43 to 47-minute television program, you got to wrap shit up. Right. And I realize right. that that is anti-storytelling especially if you want to include factoids. Right. Because nobody wants there to just be a span of, and then three and a half years later, nobody wants to see that card inside of whatever well, that, the hell right. you're That watching. would be the reality. You getting the cop on the stand and him going, Man, that was five years ago. I can't remember that. That's reality. <laughs> because, you know, in these high-profile cases, they don't go to court. Even some of these cases that aren't high-profile, the court system, the criminal justice system, is going to tie that case up for a long time. Yeah. You yeah. just don't go to court overnight. And a lot of times... That may benefit the defense. Yeah. And again, that's the emphasis of bringing up a point like that, especially with a movie that's this great, is that it would not happen this quickly. Right. There's just no way. Even processing the scene wouldn't happen this quickly. Right. A man murders his wife and he's saying he's innocent. You're going to be there two days. Yeah. yeah. Just just taking pictures of blood splatter. And then waiting for the lab to come back with results. Yeah. yeah. It might take long, six months to get the lab back. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got all kinds of legal challenges for this. And yeah, that. back in 1993, DNA was not what it is. I don't even know. Did we have DNA back in 1993? I can't remember. It had to been really... I mean, it would have right right taken a infancy. long, yeah. long time yeah. Yeah. And to get there, it back. It looks like this wouldn't hit the courtroom for, I'd say, at least two and a half years. Yeah. So... In any case, we're going to link up to that video that I mentioned, too, where it talks about the various movies, and there is blood splatter that's mentioned inside of there, as well as a number of other uh, evidence handling procedures and stuff. We'll put that inside the show notes so that you guys can go and look at that as well, because it, it really is striking to look at. Changing detectives' clothing. Chris, I think you... Well, no, Rick, you'll also have some workings, I think, with the detective folks. Do they traditionally wear the same outfits all the time? As far as when they report to work or like when they're on a crime ever. scene or because each of these detectives they all got the same clothes on every single well, day right. back in that day you know a, a suit and tie for everything right and long trench coats you know you're wearing those things there and t- traditionally you'd wear the same trench coat whether you got the same suit on is it's a different story but mm-hmm. nowadays everybody's wearing tactical gear right you know, but, but I can see the same jacket. Yeah, especially you know, either it's cop salary. Come on now, Mike. You know that we can't afford to be you know dressed out every day. So especially in the nineties, they're probably they have one jacket and that's what they throw on all the Tommy's time. He's got and, three or four hundred jackets and yeah. shirts and stuff. He reviews them all. You've got to have the money. But yeah, but I always just wear the black T-shirt he's, everywhere unless I'm. See, a lot of these guys. I mean, they wear the same pants and the same coat. Yeah. But they just changed the tie. Well, so then it's, whole it's absolutely perfect inside well, I mean, the these, film. Then. These guys even right? wore the same jacket and tie and coat in different movies. Right. <laughs> so maybe they, they were just... trying to show how long they had been at work on this case. 
that yeah. they hadn't even Across gone six home. movies. Haven't gone, haven't gone yeah, home in right. days. And really, dedicated. I don't know exactly, but this guy that you're showing there, he uh-huh. was actually the snazzy dresser. The other guy looks like a bum. Right. <laughs> yeah, too true. Although I, I like mean, the, the nothing matches in this awesome. day and age. I mean, you know, right. you don't wear in, in there. You got a striped shirt on. You got a striped tie. You didn't wear that back in that day. The uh, the, the, the glasses looking... on this guy are just awesome, and he's always got them. He's yeah. always got yeah. these glasses. Yeah. They usually have a shade in them as well. My dad had some like it. You know, these guys were so jealous in this movie because this was their investigation. This was their murder investigation. They got a conviction, and now this guy has escaped. They want to lead this investigation, but it's not their investigation. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, even, though, even though the investigation ends up in their backyard, they can't lead the investigation. And for that, they're really, and, uh, you know, and, and, and that happens in real life. We where, need, yeah, we need to talk about that. You too. know, when you get the yeah. federal government, particularly the Marshal Service, I remember back in the middle 80s, before I came in the Marshal Service, I was involved with some investigations in northeast Arkansas with the posse commentatus, tax protest groups, and stuff right. like that. There were a lot of problems. There was a Missouri Highway State Trooper that was killed down around Springfield. Mm-hmm. It had to do with what they call the law mm-hmm. in Long or What do they call down it? Down Springfield? Was yeah. that uh, Jimmy Linegar? Yeah, I can't remember. We had that, a big so trial it, that, yeah. was, uh, uh, that was in uh, federal court here in St. Louis. If it's the one that I'm thinking of, it was the guy that the was order. a fugitive. It, yep. The was, order is what a, they call it. He yeah. was a fugitive from justice. They pulled him over. He came out with a machine gun, and he he killed the right. one trooper, injured the other one. In fact, the other one was a uh, became a dare instructor, and I remember him telling that story when I was in dare training of his. But what I'm getting to back then, there was a lot of problems between sometimes state agencies and federal agencies over jurisdictional boundaries because yeah. here you had a Missouri Highway Patrol guy that was shot and ambushed. He was yeah. killed. And, you know, it's an FBI investigation what's going on. It had to do, I think the name of the group was called The Order. Okay. And they actually had a compound down in southeast Missouri. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, down what there, so what I'll do is I'll, I'll find some details on the Internet to link up to inside the show notes. And jurisdiction is something we're going to hit thick here in just a little bit for sure. Tommy, familiar with Menard? No. Really? Isn't that a store? I know where it's at. Menards? Oh, no, Menard, smart ass. I know where I know where Menard's at, but I have I have never had the pleasure of driving six hours to drive to Menard for anything. Okay, interesting. It's the it's one of the very few cities that's mentioned inside of the entire film, and so I thought for sure there'd be something Menard, Illinois. It's actually in, it's actually in Chester, Illinois. Chester, Illinois. Actually, okay. Home of Popeye. Oh, and uh, yeah. you got the I've Popeye statue. The Popeye Menard statue. is a is a very old limestone statue. type institution. It's been flooded a number of times. Right Mr. Along Hardware the Mississippi Star Smartass has actually been to this yeah. place. That's yeah. awesome. I don't Great. know why we were there, but I remember the Popeye statue. Everybody well, had their yeah. taken. I've been to Menard <laughs> numerous times, both transporting prisoners and, and, and how big doing is that investigations. City? How, how big is that city, Rick? Chester. Chester's probably between four and 5,500. Menard's maybe. actually the prison. Menard is the prison. There's no town named Menard over oh, there. Is, okay. is the town basically there to support the prison? Is uh, that kind of how it works? Is that's the yeah, that's yeah. the base that's the for factory. for the town? Yeah, that's yeah. the factory for the town. It I've is Menard is a, re, a receiving facility. Most people that go in the Illinois Department of Corrections will go to Menard and then go out to other prisons mm-hmm. from there. Gotcha. It is a very old institution. Uh, the psych unit is there. We don't have a death penalty in Illinois anymore because of the moratorium, but. Uh, there used to be a death house there, and then it moved to Tams, which I don't think we have it anymore. 
but it's a very old prison. It's been flooded a number of times. The Mississippi River will flood. I've seen the water all the way up to the administration building. Wow. It, it's it's, a, it's that, an old institution. That would be an it has interesting— has a lot of gang problems. I mean, it's it's it yeah. has a name for itself, like Marion, like Joliet, yeah. and, and all kind of stuff. That, that would be a very interesting tie-through if you then reinstituted the death penalty and just let the floods do the work. Well— I'm not we might get in trouble for that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I don't never think mind. Might, I don't yeah. think 2018's the time. For no. that. Yeah. yeah. That might not fly. I'm okay. uh I'm not familiar with the actual uh prison. Never been over to uh Chester, but before my law enforcement days, I worked down in East St. Louis in uh for St. Louis Auto Shredding. I was like 19 years old. They put me in charge of uh rail yard. We used to load barges with steel. And such and I had a crew that used to work for me and it was just terrible working conditions and so forth so the only people they could get were right out of Menard prison wow so you know what question I ask here don't you sure what did the hair look like Chris Oh, my hair? Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. It was, it was, it was co- just it was a comb over. Yeah. You know, I was <laughs> not, <laughs> 19, I still had it. Yeah. 19, I, st- I still had it. Awesome. So. Awesome. I, again, but. I love the perspective that you share. More importantly, that the, the detail of a prison that no one would think of and is a throwaway line inside of a movie. Again, I love the perspectives that we can capture from so many different sources because it really does help color what's going on inside of this movie that no one would have thought of. Well, one of the one of the perspectives that uh, I learned from the people that worked with me was exactly what Rick said. There was a lot of gang problems. Each one of them was in a different gang, and they had uh, they had a lot of gang affiliations that came out of that prison. So. Mm. Mm. And, and they still do even today. They have a mm. lot of that kind of problem there. And do you foresee a day where they finally shut that place down? You know, they should have shut it down a long time ago. <laughs> We've actually built here in Illinois, you talk about a waste of money, I can name one prison that was built, and, and before it opened, they shut it down. It sat there empty, and now it, they sold it to a local organization or city or something like that. But you've got an old institution like Menard that's there that is really not in a very good location, costs an astronomical amount of money to run. I, I don't know why they don't shut it down. Maybe they just like Because it's a budgeted item in the, in the state budget. There you go. It's already budgeted, and, and so it's getting more money. Yeah. yeah, but it's yeah. falling and apart, isn't it? Right? It is. It, it is falling apart, and, and particularly when just uh, not too far removed from there is Tams, and that was a very new modern institution. It was actually what we consider like Marion Penitentiary. Marion Penitentiary, then at that time, not today, but then was the most secure prison in the nation and housed, uh, you know, the control unit there and all the spies and, you know, people that uh, inmates that couldn't adapt in a normal prison environment would be sent to Marion. Where the guy, they don't the always, they're not always, they're not always federal prisoners. They're state prisoners that couldn't. I've gone to several prisons around the country and brought back inmates to Marion that could not adapt to a normal prison environment. Wow. They couldn't control them there, so they would they would bring them to the control unit in in Marion because hmm. it was twenty three hour a day lockdown, you know. And so those people wouldn't be federal prisoners; they'd be state prisoners, but they'd be farmed out to the federal government. Wow! wow. But you've got Tams Prison, which was new, but it was the location of would be considered the death house where they do the death penalty cases. And because of that being there, they just shut that institution down just really kill the economy down there and and then you've got a state-of-the-art modern facilities just sitting there rusting away wow tons of perspective
how often does prison garb change and why? I don't know the answer to this, I and I didn't look on the internet, but I was wondering if maybe any of you know. Prison garb as in clothing? Yeah, so like the, you know, he's rocketing the the yellow eye dock outfit? I don't think it, ch- I mean, I don't know. I, there, I wouldn't there think are, it changes There are much. different colors for different things. Juveniles would be in a different kind of color. Oh, wow. Death penalty people may may be in yellow. I don't know. I mean, most of the time they're in orange. But right. they wouldn't uh, change but, the colors over no. the years, would they? Yeah. No, I, that's just, I don't know why they have yellow. <laughs> keep, um, you know, they keep it the same. Interesting. Yellow might be a holdover from Cook County, them, them being transported down there it could from be. Cook County. Because yeah. Cook were... County uses a color system to, to differentiate the risk level of the inmates. Right. So your your high level risk people that are up for murder charges or that have previous convictions for homicide are going to wear a different color than the standard tan uniform that Cook County Department of Corrections uses yeah. for you know your guy that's in there because he can't bond out. But if you're talking about do they do they update the uniforms or the things that the well, prisoners are in yeah, over so a period of time? I would say no. Well, so ninety three to now, if we go there now, probably, I don't know. Probably the same. Yeah, I don't know. Most of the most of the, there were in most of the Illinois prisons around. They wear brown. Maybe they wear blue pants with a light blue shirt. You got a difference between what they wear normally during the day in prison versus what they may be wearing tra- getting trans- transported. Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Different thing. And like, yeah, what Tommy uh, said, it's probably true because a lot of the transport uniforms are a brighter color, just simply for take for instance, if there is an escape. Oh sure. It's going to so be easier to find out. somebody wearing a bright yellow uniform right. than it is somebody that's wearing OD green yeah. or a dark, you know, you know, federal or prisoners. They wear <laughs> you know brown. I mean, because they're kind of like military colors. You know, unfortunately, they can hide. Yeah, very interesting. I've, uh, again, the the stark yellow is something that we just don't see often. You look at feature films like uh, Con Air, for example. Everybody's wearing that super ridiculous hay orange of some kind with either tape or something all over it and so i, I just well, want to the... orange I, you know it's kind of like hunters yeah that color you oh, know yeah. where so you can be seen, seen. that's right. what's what that Stand idea out. is about. sure yeah. yeah is illinois still a death penalty imposed state i didn't know this and you've already mentioned it rick but... right well governor george ryan signed a moratorium on the death penalty mm-hmm. and i think it's still in force we do have i mean people can get sentenced to death there's just no there's no process currently. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. And most of them don't. In fact, you know, you probably get less than a thing today. Hmm. A bus, a gun, and an escape. Again, this is the prelude to one of the most exciting scenes inside of the feature film. But what do you guys know about transportation regulation? Like, is there a gun on a bus like that? Yes. And also, there's generally a, a chase vehicle. Particularly if you're going to transport a bunch of murderers, you're going to have a chase vehicle. <laughs> You know, and, and what I mean by chase vehicles is just to follow yeah, car. just like the and wide usually, load trucks. The difference yeah, is usually that there, is, there is a, a, a firearm, uh, but it's not in the compartment where the inmates are at. Right. Well, and this, and one, this started, one wasn't yeah, either. This one there. started out, right. yeah. you know, uh, but when you have a train hit a bus, the gun could end up almost anywhere. <laughs> anywhere, right. <laughs> yeah. 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 This, was a, this was set up as a great action scene, but oh, yeah. it also, one of the things that I highlighted was that uh, it continued to draw out uh, Kimball's character. You know, when he's down there, the uh, the guard is dying, and he saves his life. Mm-hmm. He, he stops to save him. Mm-hmm. They uh, they continue to insert those things, 
and it uh, I liked it. I thought it was uh, yeah. I, you know, it, I thought it was just more more of them trying to bring out his character what? and not just insert that action scene and just leave it you know leave it as all action. What I appreciate about scenes like depth. yeah, what I appreciate about scenes like this inside of feature films is that you guys know this because you do it for a living, but there is there is that little waft of what is that I smell? And the answer is nothing good inside of a developing scene like this because okay, we just got on the bus. Okay, it's time to go to your final resting place essentially and oh wait a second, dude's having a seizure for no particular reason. <laughs> Something doesn't smell right. 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 And yeah, you know what's going on. Well, if you right? remember back yeah. in, back in the movie, if I if I recall this correctly, there was an inmate had some sort of a knife or a shiver or shank, yeah. Yeah. those sort of things. Yeah. He actually stabbed the guard, mm -hmm. and then the other guard who was outside, who was the driver of the buses, or if I remember correctly, he had access to the shotgun. He actually shot the guy that had the knife. Right. And then he's begging. Uh, Harrison Ford or Dr. Kimball yeah. to help Do the guy. Yeah, and then he turns around, yeah, you help off. him. You right. know, help him. You're a doctor for crying out loud. And so he does. I mean, you know, Harrison Ford's character, then he's, he's uh, he is a doctor yeah. and he's going to stop to help this guy. And then uh, yeah. the train's coming along. You hear the train whistle and, you know, the, the hero guard there just abandons everybody. <laughs> Bails out the window. Out, and that you know. sets up, and that sets up future questions by Tommy Lee Jones of why is he doing that right why is he showing compassion you know right. and the the pacing of that is just incredible yeah it's tremendous what i also love mm. is that harrison he demands that he be unlocked that is so outside the what you would have expected especially inside of that that compressed piece of action mm -hmm. it's just like well help the man and he literally looks at his wrist and he goes he tells him he, he compels him unlock me he doesn't ask. He tells him. Right. I, I love that piece because it's stepping outside of traditional storytelling. You need to unlock me. It wasn't a request. It was a command. And to know that when everything's gone to hell, it's all hit the fan, here's Harrison Ford already taking the pieces parts to try and get the solution in place. If I'm going to help the dude, unlock me. That's the first step of the ten steps that he's already figured out in his brain that need to happen. And, oh, wait a second, a train. Now that piece also becomes incorporated in what he's doing. And that's what I really appreciate the, about the actor, or about the, uh, the character mm -hmm. that they've written, written for Richard Kimball, is that he's a man that's always thinking, even if you don't know he's thinking. Right. And those are the characters that I love regardless of who they are. It's even more fun when you see a villain do it. Right. There aren't many villains that do that because, you know, who wants to root for a villain? Right. Only answer is if they're really, really smart, well, you can tell great storytelling. Right. I'm there. Right. Silence of the Lambs is a great sample of that where you know you nothing good is going to come from Hannibal yeah. Lecter, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> okay, but what you don't know are the 30 other things that he's already thought of that are terrible. And right. it's not that you're rooting for him, but you are rooting to be part and witness to whatever story is going to get concocted because, damn... Storytelling. Well, I think with the villains, people like to see a villain that will turn. Yes. Or become good or show some compassion or do something right. And it seems like uh, people get attracted to that. So, I mean, if, uh, if you can tell that story in that manner, I think it's a win. Yeah. Integrity out the window, literally. Rick, you've already mentioned it, but... The reason I love doing these is because I get to surround myself with people of integrity. And then sometimes I get you guys. 
Oh, so, you got to right. settle. Yeah, right. that's no. that, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the gist is I love to work with people that have high integrity value, i.e. they know what's right. They know what they need to be doing. They can structure their lives and live out some sort of integrity. Right. And we see the antithesis of this inside of the guy that all, that not only authorized the shotgun use, but then gives abandons. up and then completely yeah. abandons right, everybody. Right. But not before <laughs> blasting off with the shotgun. A whole bunch of times when he could have just closed the stupid gate. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like the first blast, guy stabs the guard, blasts him with the shotgun, doesn't know what's going on. Things happen. Guy's got a shiv. We don't want to get stabbed. That's fine. But then he just starts blasting around the inside of the yeah. the cab of the bus when he could have just closed the gate or maybe dragged this guy in, closed the gate. And have a completely different afternoon. Completely. Yeah. Right. And didn't but he shoot the bus reaction. driver? Isn't that why he went off the road? Yeah, isn't that what yeah. happened? Was he was going nuts with the, the driver. shotgun? Yeah, yeah. 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 The, the, the driver, the drivers, just had a drive. I mean, he knew nothing, uh, and that's terrible. Anyway, yeah. So there were three people. Generally, they are on those buses. I think three people mm-hmm. up there, right? And, and it's kind of interesting. We're talking about you know saying unlock me after he's going to help this guy. That's why he wants to be unlocked. He's not thinking of escaping mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. He's thinking of helping this guard who just got stabbed. Mm-hmm. But this guard, this correctional officer gets his keys and fumbling around with him he drops him on the floor mm-hmm. if i mm-hmm. remember correctly right and then you know when later on in the obviously when tommy lee gets there he's like where's your keys uh i don't know you know yeah because right. he knew well right. somebody had yeah. to and then, <laughs> you know and going going back to the integrity integrity thing too this guy he leaves his partner he leaves his partner in he there does. to die. He leaves them all. And he yeah. le- right. And so it's, as much as it, you don't want to foster the the awesome day of a murderer, the fact is that every guard that is in charge of prisoners is in charge of prisoners. It, it, it's a piece of the integrity call that if you have the opportunity, don't leave the prisoners and your buddy in there. Well, right. right. And, well, right. Okay. And in the law enforcement circle, how uh, I'll, I'll throw it out to the crowd. How uh, egregious is the sin of leaving your partner, of leaving somebody to die, leaving another one of your fellow police officers or fellow marshals to die. That's just, that's that's a line that you just don't cross. Yeah. And not even trying. Right, yeah. Right. Not just he tried right. to pick the guy up right. and he's already right. injured. He, he couldn't just, get him out the window. Right. Well, Jetted. things happened, but he was like, peace out, <laughs> yeah. and right. took off. Yeah. <laughs> and out the window. That, that whole scene, you know, I wanted to. first the... thing, his, his care in custody is those inmates. Yes. And, yes. you know, I can go back to. Back in 1987, I was involved in an accident uh, on Interstate wasn't 70. It wasn't a bus rollover, was it? Actually, we were in a, what we had, one of them long Chrysler maxi vans, 15-passenger van. Oh, wow. And I had three fairly dangerous inmates, mm. me and my partner, taking them from Marion Prison to Terre Haute Prison. And one of them was a murder as well. We were setting on Interstate 70 for a work construction crew, and my partner was always like this. He was very good about it. He always left enough space between him and the car in front of him in case he needed to get out. Some people think like that all the time. He always also had, you know, I had one gun, he had seven uh, on him. You know, he's always <laughs> thinking we're going really to get ambushed. <laughs> but anyway, Bill, Bill's a good guy, and he just happened to, is one of them split-second things where you hear a squeal. Bill saw looked in the, the rearview mirror or side mirror on that van and saw this vehicle was coming right at us. He wasn't going to stop. And, you know, you didn't get a lot of force, but you had the vehicle in motion. He mashed down on that Chrysler minivan. That's, you know, when you hear that go up, you know, because it didn't just take off and squeal tires. Uh, Too much gas going into the carburetor. But it put the vehicle in motion. So when the guy hit us, 
he knocked us 120 some odd feet down that interstate wow. median. Yeah. And uh, inmate one inmate was faking an injury. We kind of suspected, but my point is, I was injured in that wreck and later kind of passed out in an ambulance with an inmate. But you know, you're thinking you have to you have care of those inmates. Not only do you not want them to escape and write that report, but you know they're they're in your custody and care. Right. And and here this guy, we're talking about integrity here. You know, I remember uh, the first thing that happened when our vehicle came to a stop. I looked at Bill and I said, "You okay?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, "Look, the inmates. One guy's laying on the floor. Everybody okay?" One guy's, you know, saying, "I can't feel my leg," you know. And I'm, I told Bill, I said, stay with them a minute. Let me go up here and see about this driver. And I go up there, and his car was all creamed in the front. And I had to pull him out of his vehicle. And, uh, you know, before the day's out, after the emotions come down and your, your adrenaline kind of lowers, then, you know, you start looking at what happened to you. My first concern was those inmates, not only from the public aspect of them escaping, but for their health. Right. And right. this guy yeah. just like. Out the Heck with all of them, I'm gone. <laughs> yeah, yes. right, right. And it, what I love is to that the the actor there. I don't have his name in front of me, but the actor is a wonderful character actor. They pick the perfect actor to just bail out the window. Right. It, it's it's perfectly done, and it it showcases especially with the following the follow up scene, uh, a perfect picture of integrity, literally jumping out the window. Well, here's here's a guy that he's going to be the more the most cowardly person on the scene. Who Save ends up being, yeah, saving the day. He's the most hero guy right, at yeah. the end. Right, right, right. You know, one of the things, too, that the public might not realize or audience might not realize, too, is, you know, when we're out on scenes like that or, you know, Tommy's making a traffic stop, he gets somebody out of the car, he's responsible for their safety. So if they get injured and so forth, it's on him. And that's why, like Rick's saying, he's got a responsibility and a liability with those prisoners, and I don't know that everybody realizes that. I agree with that. So, you know, there's a lot of times, you know, we'll come across somebody that's walking down the road drunk, and we've got to take them in protective custody. People don't understand, why do you got to do that? Because once I contact them, I know that they're drunk. I know that they're going to get killed. And sometimes it kind of goes to the point of, well, people can't take care of themselves, or they're not acting in an appropriate way. They're going to harm themselves. It's on us. Right. I don't agree with it all the time. But it's on us to try to think for them. And like in my situation, and I know a lot of police officers and law enforcement people that are like this, they're thinking of others before they're thinking of themselves. I'm thinking about the inmates I'm with. This guy's thinking about himself. He's like, I'm getting out of here, man. Heck with this stuff. Yeah. The the, the other component is that everyone loves to just say, yeah, well, Darwin – and I get that, and there are even cases where I can look at it and go, what the hell happened there? Well, it is Darwin. But the instant that you evoke law enforcement and then you let the reins of responsibility fly off inside of a television series or a feature film, you really are playing with the integrity ball. And unless right. you're going to write that into the character run of something inside of that story, right. it is completely misplaced. And I just, again, I want people to focus on that. A quick discussion of makeshift weapons, hidden weapons, and the most memorable hidden weapon for you. Tommy, we're going to start with you, mostly because one of the very first videos that my dad sent to me was your video of kick-ass hidden weapons. I've forgotten what the actual title of the video was, but essentially the, the one that I remember seeing was this really beautiful comb. 
And if you take the top of the beautiful comb off, you have what amounted to, I think, a four and a half inch knife yeah, that would instantly go into your neck. There's a lot of there's a lot of companies that make uh, daggers and dirks and billy cubs and things that are designed to look like other objects. And yeah. I've done, I have a whole collection of them because I like to bring them up and, and use them as training props with new guys. When we get somebody out of the academy, they know to search for a knife or for a gun, but they don't know to search for things that could be you that know, something exactly, something else that look yeah. similar. But yeah. you have to be able to catch the like. A lot of people would would feel a comb and not think, hey, I should pull this out. They would just put them in the back of the car. Oh, it's just a comb. And there's combs that are made with four-inch long daggers in them. It's horrifying. It's absolutely keys, horrifying. So even if there's little keys that have knives inside of them and yep. pens with knives inside of them, lipstick containers. And then there's the stuff that people build that walk that they right. walk around with on the street. You find kids with a sock with change in it. And two innocuous things, you put them together, and most people would never think of that. And you pat them down and feel their pocket and you feel oh why is all there this change in there and if you reach in you pull a sock out with it well now they've got it's a melee weapon yeah yeah, they've got a leg club basically in their pocket yeah and this in this movie we had the classic prison example of that was making a shank out of what looked like made a shank out of a toothbrush yeah rick what your your most memorable hidden slash striking what the hell is that weapon I've had a bunch of them. I'll bet. You know, in in the marshal service, I mean, we do a lot more years ago than I think they're doing today, transporting prisoners within, not only within the district, but uh, nationwide on our airlift program and stuff. And you just don't let them have anything. I don't care how, what you think it is. I mean, it's just a comb. It wouldn't hurt anybody. They don't get anything. Take everything from them. Uh, They don't wear belts. If they're wearing a belt, it's coming off. You know, uh, and how? And, what does that conversation sound like? I mean, I can imagine it, but what? What is that? I'm the dude, and I've got all kinds of stuff on me. What do you tell me? You're taking it off. I mean, you, you know, it's coming off. Put it in this bag. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's yeah. just the way it's going to be. There's no way. There's no discussion. There's not. You know, he's not going to have a chance to say, "Well, I'm going to keep it on." No, you're not. You know, <laughs> I, there are inmates and and people. These guys arrest you. You see. Uh, piercings in places that are very sensitive places for guys yeah and i actually had one who had a piercing in a particular location wow and uh you know we do strip searches i mean i i'm not embarrassed to see that Junk. because sure. i've done yeah. it i've done yeah. it all my career you know right. no big you go in any institution first thing is strip you know sure and, mm-hmm. and so you see that and you say hey it's got to come out and then might say no it, it doesn't come out it, and i said yeah it's going to come out <laughs> Now, the appropriate thing would be to do if he didn't take it out on his own is to take him to a medical doctor and and have it medically removed because it's going to come out. You're not going to the institution with it. You're not going to county jail with it. It's coming out before we transport you. But when you go down to the janitorial closet and you come back with a long red thing, boat cutters and tin snips, and I said, you want to take it out or you want me to? <laughs> and you don't have to go see the doc. Right, yeah. right. Can avoid the we, whole medical you know, problem, right? You know, we don't have to pay the medical bill. Right. You, you just get their attention a little bit, and uh, they'll it, it'll come out. If it was put in, awesome. it's made to come out. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Now, yeah. very seriously, they welded it there. Right. <laughs> Pat, what do you got? Uh, like, they also, there's, just, I can't even name how many of them. I do, I do remember one time we had the old cane sword where they, you open up the cane and it was actually Shwing. a sword, you know. Yeah. You always see it in the movies. The, the hat with the lead in it? I haven't, I haven't seen, seen that seen one. That. Oh, somebody well, got belt, me with that. You, know, a few you get years these ago. belt buckles, and I mean, you don't have to be something that just really stands out like, what the heck is that? Right. Just a simple belt buckle. 
and it's made with a little dagger on the end of it. Yeah. I mean, you just yeah. pull it off, and now you got you got something you got a hold of, and I mean, it it can be dangerous. Oh, wreck you! Yeah. yeah, the little push knives. Yeah, sure. And, and, and Tommy, you had mentioned something, and it got kind of covered up in the sound. Tell me more. People for a while, and I think it's now a commercial product, but. I had a guy a few years ago, and he had a normal Chicago Sox, you know, White Sox hat on. And when we locked him up, I took the hat off his head, and it was really heavy. And I couldn't, I mean, you know what a baseball cap feels yeah, like. Right, yeah. Take it off the dude's head before you put him in the car, make sure there's nothing inside. Right. I took it off, and I was like, wow, this, this has to weigh half a pound. And when I looked inside, he had taken a woman's change purse and stapled it to the hat and then put a bunch of lead fishing weights inside hmm. of it. So on the back of his head, he had maybe half a pound of lead fishing weights underneath one of those really tall yeah. ball caps. Mm-hmm. So walking down the street, you would never know, but he could just grab the bill. Whack you with it. And whack you with it. Like he was, he'd reach up, like he'd take his head off and hit somebody over the head, knock you right unconscious. Wow. Like a blackjack. Mm-hmm. And I've seen him as a, as a commercial item. I just haven't, I haven't gotten to buying one, but I, I want to buy one to do a video on because that's. That's an interesting thing that it, people don't think about right. being out there. And somebody just grabbing the bill of their hat, it doesn't look like an aggressive action. And luckily, he was never in a position to use it on us. And I don't know if that was even his intention, was use it on the police or if it was like to rob somebody, hit him over the head and then grab their wallet or whatever. But it's something that I ran across out on the street that I had never seen before. It took, hmm. took me completely off guard. Well, Tommy, it's obviously for fishing. You're, you're oh, so yeah. incredibly biased, yeah. I, I have to yeah. tell you. Chris, what in do you deep got? urban neighborhoods, you do a lot of you carry a lot of fishing <laughs> a lot of tackle. Fishing tackle yeah. right. You know, Chris, I, re- got? I remember uh, never came across one of these, but we, you know, we get uh, reports all the time. We'd get intel shares and things like that of uh, different different things that people would come across. I remember specifically they would take these toy guns. They were larger toy guns, and they would they would retrofit the plastic around a real gun. Right. And uh, fit them inside the gun, and it always it always concerned me. We had opposite problems that we would, uh, if you're familiar with, uh, they they would actually take the real guns and put the orange cap on them, so you would think, oh, it's just a fake yeah. gun. Oh wow! And or it's actually a real gun. Nerf guns, you know? and or, yeah. guns. or in reverse, yeah. the uh, you mean like the 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 uh, BB and pellet guns that are yeah, available the ones that, that look shoot exactly the little white like pellet airsoft. 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 Yeah. So airsoft. yeah, so you take the airsoft. Airsoft guns. We had uh, mm-hmm. an incident with uh, a couple airsoft guns. We had a couple kids running through a uh, grocery store parking mm-hmm. lot. Mm-hmm. Had them in their belt. They look and weigh exactly yeah. like it, the real discernible. weapon. Right. And we had one of our cops, hey, you know, hold them at gunpoint mm-hmm. and almost shot them. For, for those that are curious and haven't ever looked at those, I mean, you wow, can't you can't tell the difference. It's, so it's, it doesn't even function like it. It caused yeah. the slide. Yeah, the action it caused us yeah. to create a new law to ban those to ban replica weapons oh wow so uh you know and and it was because of that incident so but yeah it's i mean there's there's some bad things out there some scary things out there the people creating them are innovative yeah i mean they're they're i guess in some respects you respect it to where you know that was pretty creative but mm -hmm. uh extremely scary well it's the perfect sample again of why we do a program like this because whatever you can think of or imagine there's a hundred other things that you haven't even thought yeah. of yet. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tommy's That's fishing scary. tackle, mobile mobile tackle box is a really great sample. Where, huh? I mean, like seriously, what? Who thought that one up? Yeah. You know, and you think about the inmate. He he had a shank to begin with. Where did he get it? Because most of those inmates, you know, they're getting searched before they get on the bus. Right. And you know, we always search our vehicles before and after, like a police officer should do. You're going to put somebody in there, you want to search that vehicle before you put somebody in there. Right. Because if something's found in there, then you know 
you know, that it came from that person. But I've, I've been around institutions, both federal and state, all over this country. And, you know, you know who cleans those buses? Other inmates. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. And so, you know, if, if, if a guy, guy who's going to run and leave his partner and leave everybody else, he didn't check that bus. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what right. what we're going to do is we're going to uh, have a link inside the show notes to Tommy's videos regarding all the kick-ass weapon, kick-ass asterisk weapons that he's come across inside of the videos that he shared. And if any of you have ever seen one, make sure you go over to our website. That's whatcupswatch.com. Click anywhere on the right-hand side of the page. Fill out the quick web form and tell us about the hidden weapons you've encountered. Time to talk about jurisdiction. This is one of my favorite pieces of this because of the people that we have inside the room. Mm -hmm. Again, Chris and Pat are from a local law uh, municipality. Chris has been in law enforcement for 25 years. Pat has been in crisis negotiation for the same amount of time, about the about same amount of time? 15 or so. 15 years. Tommy has been a cop now for 10 years and is inside of the South Chicago area. And, of course, Rick is a retired U.S. Marshal. And so to have the discussion of jurisdiction is perfect for this perspective review and something you will hear nowhere else. Let's begin. Well, I guess first off, the old, hey, I'm from the federal government, I'm here, I'm going to take over your crime scene. I don't see that. I mean, that's that's not a reality these days. I don't see that. That's not uh, something that typically happens. Now, back in the day, Rick can maybe give us a uh, perspective that maybe that did occur. In this particular case, you, you have a state murder inmate mm-hmm. who obviously it's a high profile case huge in, in chicago huge. itself right. because of the guy's position as a vascular surgeon and you also although you don't find out till later in the movie the connection with police department mm-hmm. we don't know what happened in between there and so you've got this guy in route with other inmates who are dangerous inmates mm-hmm. on their way all the way from chicago to menard which is about six hours south of there. It's not like they went across town. So then you have this escape take place. What's interesting is, in reality, we are, in Marshall Service, we're assigned to judicial districts. There's 94 judicial districts in the United States. There's three in Illinois. Most states have two. Mm-hmm. We have the Northern, the Central, and the Southern District. And you have U.S. Marshal assigned by the president to each of those judicial districts and then their deputies, which I was one of. So if something were to happen to Menard, the marshal service out of East St. Louis would take the lead on that, not Chicago. So to come all the way from Chicago to do this is not, you know, not realistic. Now that train wreck took place and the escape took place in, in the movie, uh, would have been in Randolph County where uh, Chester is and where Menard penitentiary is at mm-hmm. the sheriff or the local police department, wherever that took place would be the primary jurisdiction would lie with them. Which we essentially see inside the movie, so you, too. you see in the movie because the initial, you know, the prison guard who, the hero guy, you know, right. the one who yeah. abandoned everybody, <laughs> took off. You know, he's sitting there and, oh, yeah, everybody's dead. You know, well, where's your keys? I don't I don't know, you know. Oh, look here, what we got. And now his story changes. He gets caught with his uh, hand in the cookie jar, you might say. And that's where Tommy Lee Jones, you know, I, I can only guess it's TV that they end up there because that's how the movie was going to go. But in reality, it would have been the local department. They may ask for the marshal service to come in. you got to think back at the times compared to now. Not a lot of departments had fugitive investigators. Right. They have police, de- 
police right. officers. They have right. maybe a detective, but they don't really work fugitive cases. And and while you might think, oh, that's easy to work fugitive cases, it's really an art because you're working, you're trying to develop facts as quickly as you can to get in front of the prisoner or to get in front of the person you're trying to catch. If If you're always one step behind him, you're never going to catch him. Uh, so you want to try to develop those things. And, and Marshal Service, you know, we have the National Fugitive Program, and that's what we did. Whether it's escapees or uh, bond violators, that, that's what we do. And we would come in a lot of times with local departments, and we would set up task forces because we would bring federal resources into it. And here you've got a, you know, your small county sheriff who really doesn't have the expertise to catch a guy like Dr. Kemble, and it shows in in well, first of that. They so also you, depict him as you know, a fame hound. But I mean, you he's know, ready when, for the right. when, when he's he's mm-hmm. wrapping up his investigation. Oh, this guy says they're all dead. Let's all go home. Let's have dinner. This case is solved because everybody's dead. Well, they don't have everybody dead. And so when Tommy Lee Jones is there, or or Deputy Sam Gerard, and he's wanting to set up these checkpoints, you know, along the road, and he names all the different places. And the sheriff goes, no, we're not going to do all that because, you know, we're going to go home. It's time-consuming, blah, 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 blah. And then you hear Tommy Lee Jones say, well, sheriff, I guess I'll just have to take over your investigation. And the sheriff responds, by by whose authority? The governor of the state of Illinois. So somebody had called the marshal service into that. They just didn't show up on their own. Unlike the other movie, the sequel, that is a... U.S. Marshal Service aircraft that's portrayed in that with an actual federal prisoner. A little bit different. We would have had the lead. Right. But in this case, it wouldn't have been the lead. But we would come in, and, and as it ended up being as they get back to Chicago, I think you had a lot of different agencies were working together, although yeah. Samuel Girard was leading that investigation. Uh, working in task force fashion, which is more like yeah. we do today. And does something that's as high profile as this case sound like something that would pop up on the radar of a governor to then issue an order to have the marshal service take over the investigation absolutely i mean state okay. police would probably okay. be in there too you know it, it, do, do initially state- i would say that you know uh, the local jurisdiction would have been the sheriff but once it's determined who this guy is you're going to have the department of corrections people in there you're going to have the state police in there they would more be leading that investigation and a lot of times the f- the federal government wouldn't become involved in it until it goes beyond the jurisdictional boundaries of the state law. Have you encountered a state police-based organization that would have the resources and experience to jump into something like this? Well, state police would. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they would today. I don't know what they would have The guys on the Fugitive Task Force that work with the marshals all the time. (laughs) Right. Right. You know, we we developed these in the late 1990s. We started coming out with federal fugitive task forces. And we'll talk about this later, a particular incident in this movie, which was something that they kind of took off of what we did in, mm-hmm. in an actual real-life situation. Mm-hmm. We were just kind of getting in uh, in the early 80s, middle 80s, getting into running National Fugitive Task Forces. And local jurisdictions have local task forces, too, depending on the size of your county, the size mm-hmm. of your agency. I mean, you know, we have out here in our county, we have a fugitive apprehension team that's on yeah. the county police. But, but back uh, in the in time frame of this movie, yeah, they, they probably right. didn't have yeah, They, they, they would not have, right. yeah. But, but matter of fact, the year before this movie was made, 1992, as I was telling you earlier, I we had a fugitive investigation called Operation Gunsmoke, take, you know, after the old TV Gunsmoke series with Matt Dillon. 
and uh, we it took place nationwide, but primarily in 14 major cities. Phoenix, Arizona was one of those 14, and I was assigned to go out there for 10 weeks, and we had uh, a number of U.S. Marshal Service personnel, local people as well as out of town, uh, Maricopa County Deputy Sheriffs, uh, Phoenix PD, Tucson PD, Pima County, wow. all working in task force fashion, and I was privileged enough that my partners were two of real great uh, Phoenix fugitive squad, and they had a lot of resources. It's not only about tools; they had the intelligence, they had yeah. the people they'd worked with, yeah. and when we're looking for somebody, they knew who to go to. Right. You know, and that's, that's kind of my the, point. the The whole scene would have been more of a cooperative effort yeah, than an, an aggressive effort, you know. And 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 defer to Pat, who works with uh, federal agencies all the time with you know hostage negotiation. They they don't come in and hey, we're taking over the scene. No, it doesn't. That's not, what I don't like, like about that. almost every TV show, every movie. That's what happens. You and, see the the you. feds coming in, and, and that's totally not what and, happens. In this circumstance, we're given the the impression that it wasn't. Harrison Ford's character that necessarily was their biggest concern. There's the other prisoner right. on the bus, Copeland, right. that was causing yeah. problems the entire time. Like, be good. Right. They make it sound like this guy's some crazy serial killer that's killed 30 people right. Right. that's going down to Menard. You know, and I met that guy in real life. He's huge. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you. I stood next to him in this. He, he wasn't in the movie U.S. Marshals, the sequel. But he just was traveling through the air and showed up on the scene. He he wasn't dead then. (laughs) But uh, he's a big guy. I mean, mean, he's big. He's massive. massive When the Illinois Department of Corrections got word that this bus had rolled over and possibly there were people, you know, that that had escaped, they would have been scrambling for someone to hand that off to. Yeah. And they, they, I mean, scrambling the Illinois Department of Corrections to figure out who they were going to who they were going to hand that off to, and probably the first number would go, hey, we've got we've got this serial killer and this other guy that's going down there for murder, and, and we think they escaped. That would have hit the governor's but, office, the state yeah. police. Yeah. Yeah. The state police would have immediately, somebody would have picked up the let phone. Let me give you an My example. friend's on the Fugitive Task Force. We're going to call him. Yeah. Back Everybody in 93, too, law enforcement didn't jump in front of the media. It, it, back in 93, no. it, was, it was, hey, don't tell the media anything. Yeah. In fact... Everybody, everybody was, is right. tight-lipped, yeah. and our comment is going to be no comment. Yeah, you know we had yeah. we had an escape a case in uh, Illinois just a few weeks ago, with actually White County Jail over in Carmi, Illinois, and and they actually busted through the wall. I don't know if you guys heard that or not. I don't know where the guy got the bar, but they actually knocked a big hole in the concrete wall and they got out three people. One of them was a murderer. Now that's going to be high profile real quick. Marshal Service come in that immediately. Number one, we have federal prisoners housed in that jail, although these weren't federal prisoners. But come in in a task force fashion right. and work together, the local sheriff with whoever is in charge in, in the Marshal Service, with other agencies too. And you work together. And it's not, hey, we're in charge of this. That doesn't happen that way. Well, I, mean, I think just having enough conversations with Pat and having attended a bunch of class like things with you what i find also is that everyone that jumps into a situation where you're working in tandem with another agency of any kind it really is sponge factor right you, you literally jump in not so that you can grab a belt of prestige and notch another table it's so that you can get in there and soak up yeah. more experience 
It's why I do things like this, that I can get all the details and background of things I would never know anything about if I wasn't asking questions about feature films that everybody on planet Earth watches. Right. It's exactly the same concept. The only thing that really looked accurate about that whole handover was that if there was an agency that was trying to be obstructionist to the investigation, they would have got bowled over by everybody yeah, else that I got agree involved. With that. Yep. Like that, oh, if that local sheriff, oh, this is my investigation, the yeah. state police and would have been like, yeah, we're just going to let the marshals. Uh, yeah, go have a here. popsicle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. right, right. Yeah. If let, there, let yeah, the adults if there was, deal with this. If there was any, yeah, any, <laughs> any inclination that somebody was corrupt or something was going awry, then yeah, then that may have uh, that may have been a takeover. Yeah, but typically it doesn't go down. Like that. Uh, uh, again, this is supreme content for the internet because this is not the way everybody writes it inside of Hollywood. Nine times out of ten, maybe nine and a half times out of ten, very often there is all of the gnashing of teeth and egos inside of a situation like this, very much like what you see inside of the movie, and it just does not typically work that way. Well, you know, Hollywood started focusing on the Marshal Service back about that time of the fugitive. Mm -hmm. Nobody really heard much about the Marshal Service. Uh, we're a small agency. Uh, you know, oh, Wyatt Earp. When I, I'm, when I'm, I, I'm, I'm telling you that when the, I came what people knew about, right, about you know, Marshall Service is Marshall Wyatt Earp. Yeah, yeah and which, then they're, you know, they're court bailiffs. They're sitting around a courtroom yes, and stuff. Yes. But what they don't realize is that, you know, you go back to the, the days of gun smoke and those things. You know, the fugitive aspect of the Marshall Service has been there for a long time. Yeah. And, and has an uh, incredibly steep storied history but as we had well. A, That's we had a piece. director, Stanley Morris, uh, best director ever in the Marshall Service, in my opinion, was the director during that time frame of these movies mm -hmm. and the big push was to uh with hollywood and them is to the marshal service to become more known than it is was in times past mm -hmm. and our fugitive operation hiring more people was really growing at that time and i i think that was a big big push on it that's great. And that's actually where we ask you guys, what questions do you have about jurisdiction inside of 1983's The Fugitive? Let us know what you think by going over to our website, over at twoguystalking.com. Click anywhere on the right-hand side of the page, fill out the quick web form, and let yeah. us know what you think. You know, I'll, I'll put this in there because I've been, uh, like I said, this is my 40th year in law enforcement, and I'm still doing it. Mm -hmm. And I go into investigations all the time. And the last thing you want to do is walk in and say, "Hey, I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'll take it over now." No, I go. You go in. You say, "Hey, chief, anything that we can do for you? You know, any resources that we may have, he don't have because of, you know there's budget constraints. A lot of times, you don't know where the fugitive is gone. You don't know if he's fled the state or not. And maybe we have resources in another area that we may think they've gone to." that we can work in the marshal service like if he's got a if, if the chief over here has a fugitive and he's left the jurisdiction here and man and then the guy's gone to houston texas he's got to call houston texas you think houston pd is going to drop what they're doing to do this right not happen a lot but marshal service we're a small agency i can call people and and get action sometimes faster now if you got a high profile murder it's going to be a different story but uh, that's what we come in with with our resources and you know we can that's, have our own people yeah that's terribly interesting and again that's why we've got you here to share some really great perspective in regard to the marshal service public display of disrespect between agencies is any of what we see a reality in any of your experiences over i think you've got the most experience in that you're celebrating 40 years in law enforcement 
Anything. Go I hate to say that. It makes me sound old. I'm really not that old. But <laughs> I started, Lots of experience, Rick. You know, I, I, I wanted, I, I've given up I wanted to be a law enforcement officer since yeah. I was a little kid. And if you, you know, where I graduated high school from, they had this school newspaper. Yeah. I always do a write up on the senior there. Yeah. And it said, What do you plan to be doing in 10 years? I said, I was going to be a U.S. Marshal. And I was a deputy U.S. Marshal. The, the, bottom line about age is this. I can remember when I was Tommy's age and I was giving guys my age the same guff that Tommy gives me. Yeah. And so it, it, whatever <laughs> comes around, comes around, and I, I've just kind of accepted it and we roll and have fun with it. The bottom line, though, is that those more years of experience instantly give you more perspective, which is why someone like you is so valuable inside of a program like this. You you really do. You You just have more experience. It, it mm-hmm. is exactly why we have people like you and Chris and Tommy and Pat in. You know, in this movie, as I remember experience. it and in, in, in what I saw and, and reflected on the last couple of days, you know, Tommy Lee shows up on the scene with his people. He doesn't just jump into it. He actually walks up to where this interrogation of this correctional officer has been done by the sheriff, and he just kind of innocently interjects something, and the sheriff turns around and says, I'll get with you in a minute. Yeah. Now— a sheriff wouldn't do that. Right. You know, he would be more professional, but it was, it was written that way. Right. And, it, and it, you know, if, if, uh, if I went up, if I was called by an authority to come into an investigation and I showed up and someone acted that way to me, I mean, it wouldn't start off very good. Right. No. right. And everybody you know, was and shut it would, down. It wouldn't be you're, happening. You're not going to get the information sharing. Everybody shut down. And it, it, frankly, the investigation wouldn't go that well. Right. So you know, as what far doesn't as, foster any as, as far as the disrespect between agencies and a reality, in my experience, I can't say that I've really ever seen that. What about you, Tommy? No, and, and I could only imagine that if something like that was to happen, if it, if it became necessary, if you had the sheriff was going to be obstructionist to an investigation, he has his little press conference, whatever. Twenty minutes later, in the tent back right. on the other side, yeah, yeah. the commander, the local commander yeah. of the state police, right. the marshal that got right. sent down from the Northern yeah. District, Illinois, and the Illinois Department of Corrections guys would get together and be like, "All right, listen, you're either going to take the proper role in this, or your agency's just going to get cut out of it." Uh, shenanigans out the window. Deal with right. that. Yeah. 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 yeah, you can't be going to the press with this. Right. Right. When we still have people, yeah. now we have people in the wind, and you're All destroying our investigation. I will say, It'd though, be a coordinated that, effort. being yeah. a retired federal agent, I will have to say sometimes you get that level of disrespect from FBI agents. I've had that before. We've had a little run in here and there because they'll show up and they want to take over something we're doing. And say, eh, yeah. Now, that's those Between federal agencies, you'll have a rub occasionally. And, and, and to celebrate the 30th anniversary of Die Hard two days ago, by the way, was it that level of disrespect? Do you remember the disrespect inside of Die Hard where it's the, the two Johnsons show up and... Everybody else can just go to hell because it's our day. I think that's still Hollywood. Oh yeah, that that's yeah. still Hollywood. Okay, yeah. all right, yeah. all right, great. That's you good. Know, and that... the, the the last place I wanted to go, Pat. You, I think perhaps have played the most varied puzzle piece inside of the the disrespect potential parts of different organizations. I.e., you've just been plugged in as a puzzle piece inside of so many different organizations more than yeah. The like rest I said, of us I've, I've never experienced any. I've, like I said, I've been to other countries. And, you know, a cop's a cop, pretty much. You know, we deal with the same mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. Trying to work together. You know, and it's just, yeah, it's just all about teamwork. You know, we teamwork. work with the FBI a lot. If we, if we had a threat on a judge, 
I was a threat investigator. So I'm doing a threat analysis or a threat investigation to determine, number one, is it a bona fide threat? What do we need to do? Do we put a detail on the judge and management makes that decision? The FBI does a counter-investigation. It's a criminal investigation to determine mm-hmm. who did the threat and to charge him. And sometimes, yeah, you could rub people the wrong way. And I always tell people the greatest weapon you have is not that gun or that tool that you have on your belt it's that tongue in your mouth it'll get you in trouble it'll get you out of trouble absolutely and if you go in with an attitude that you're going to show your knowledge your actions speak louder than words right and you know i try to go in very nice and try to be accommodating instead of going in and i mean it come a point where you can kind of interject some knowledge or maybe some experiences you had that maybe they haven't had yet I've never had the problem that haven't been received. I yeah. mean, long, distinguished career, I think. Showcasing leg irons slash evidence haphazardly. And this isn't just this feature film. This is just about everything on planet Earth, where because of the pace of whatever's being filmed, you're often going to see things that are just haphazardly done. This one in particular I wanted to mention because it's Tommy Lee Jones and walking up to provide some more disrespect samples and shaking the leg irons with his bare hands in front of the guy to showcase that, I guess you're wrong, dude. But it feeds right into his character. Oh, it really does. It, it really does. And that kind of gets back to that little pinpoint that I'd mentioned about because Sam Gerard is right. Right. You buy it and you're instantly pulled along with the pace of the storytelling. Right. Period. And, I mean, it, 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 without question. That's how they set him up. He's an egotist. Mm-hmm. He's, uh, he doesn't like people. You know, he's bitter. He's cynical. He's been on the job too long, <laughs> and it's he's consistent. Go- and it's consistent. And it's consistent. And you know what? You like him I for it. Yes. Those really you like yeah. him. <laughs> you know what? And you like you like right. him. Yeah. You like him for it, right? Yes, absolutely. And, uh, and let we'll throw it over to Rick too. When when he's <laughs> going when he, <laughs> when he's going through that, you know, you know anybody like that? I'll throw it out to any of you. You know anybody like that in the profession? Bitter, cynical, they've been doing it, it too is long? Is it that everyone likes yes, him for it, or just I that the people in the know <laughs> like him I was going to say, yeah. I actually have worked with some similar to that. Yeah. Right, right. Very interesting. I wanted to make sure we hit that, because, again, uh, we, we've talked about evidence handling mm-hmm. ad nauseum across just about everything that we review, Chris, but uh, this, in particular, is used as a story plot device that actually propels the story that actually helps solidify a character trait. Right. That's when it works. We right. can handle it, and the pace of the storytelling sweeps you along, so it's just done, and you run. you got to have the right actor in there, and I they love do. It. I love it. One of the things that you got to think about when you talk about evidence collecting, mm-hmm. there is a big difference in a fugitive investigation and a murder crime scene. Right. Like I heard some comments like, oh, these, these guys would always have gloves on and touch it. They're not going to take fingerprints off of them leg irons. They knew who was wearing them. They're not going to do evidence collecting as you would think. I mean, it's just like when I do fugitive investigations. I mean, you know, I, I get bust into a fugitive's house. I'm looking for his body. I don't care what else right. is in there. Right, right. I mean, you know, I'm not going to have make sure you're going to have protective things on to make sure you don't get hurt. Right. But, you know, worrying about fingerprints inside there. To determine where the guy's been in there, I wouldn't be going in there if I didn't know or have yeah, reason. Yeah, if it doesn't, if it doesn't lead to his apprehension, Absolutely. you don't care you don't about, right. about this. So there's right. not a lot of. I mean, there is evidence collecting, but there's not the type right. of forensic evidence that you would be thinking yeah. about. And I love that you brought that up because the handling of evidence is such a completely different spin when you're talking about something when it's involved in a murder case, right. and when you're trying to recover a fugitive. It, it's not a one to one thing. 
And that's the, you know, the type of education I want to make sure we provide. You've here. got a train wreck out there that hits a bus full of inmates. It's kind of like an airplane crash. You've got a ton you're looking of for yeah. You're, yeah. there's body parts all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. You don't know who's who or what's what. Right. And you're trying to figure that out. But I mean, when you, as they're combing the area, so to speak, is what they were doing. You find a set of leg irons and there's nothing attached to them. There's no blood all over them. Then they come from somewhere. Yeah, right. they come off of somewhere. That's assuming there wasn't extra. Well, and that they were open. The room, that they were right? open too. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, they, yeah, they were open. The bus site in daylight. This is striking, and it's not every day you can see this, especially when it's done in real case. This was not some CGI creation. This was an entire site that was replicated as a train wreck. Now, they did crash a train into, uh, into the bus, yes. But the rest of the train wreck, all of the destruction and the cars and the rest of the stuff, that was all done post. This is a completely created scene for the most part. Mm-hmm. And you would never guess that just by looking at it. This goes back to a story that Rick was telling us off, off uh, recording here about some photographs that we'll also capture and put in the show notes from the second feature film, U.S. Marshals, about being able to take a building that is brand new. Look, look at the brand new building. And now suddenly, because of the production design people, it looks 100 years old. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of stories and experiential stuff that I love to share because those are real stories. Mm-hmm. It's not about the getting drunk, running into uh, Christmas trees. It's not about uh, who's sleeping with who. It's not the boring question of what's it like to work with so-and-so that's been asked a thousand times. It's the stories of the stories being told that are the ones that people listen to without question. Right. Do all of your agencies still use fax communication? Chris. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It aggravates me because usually it's the state agencies and I'm always asking myself, does, do you not have a scanner? Can you not email it? Do we still have to use fax? I utilize it to aggravate Pat. It just aggravates me. (laughs) Pat, Pat, come to my office. During a time frame of this movie, that's all you had. Oh, yeah. Right. No, without you, you question. You didn't have right. email. There wasn't cell phones. In fact, the first cell phone I had was about that long. <laughs> but let's remember, yeah. this is 1993, people. Get rid of the facts. Okay? Get rid of it. You shouldn't have to fax a 40-page criminal history on a guy Just email it. Exactly. That's Let why me tell we still you something. have to have it. It still comes in handy. People still fax. I have a feature. I, I do work for attorneys now. And there is a court case tomorrow that I had the document with me here. And I have a feature through my phone system that I can send a fax with my phone. Not an email, it's an actual fax. And I can send it to a fax number. And I take a picture of the document, upload it, send a fax, and it goes their fax number. Wow. I mean, it's awesome. When I love that, mostly because it gives you options, which is the whole goal of technology. For those that haven't figured it out, technology is there so it will give you options. Who's up for chocolate donuts with sprinkles? And Rick gets to start. Well, I'm, I'm up for them anytime. Okay, Tommy, I don't need your answer, but you can tell me You anyway. can't say chocolate donuts with sprinkles and not have them here. Where are they? I exactly. almost had them. You know, it's, I it's, almost it's, had them. It's almost, like, it's almost donut time right I, now. I was actually it? thinking yeah. of Dunkin' hey, Donuts yeah. and a cup of coffee. Right, that's <laughs> what know? I'm thinking. It's about that time anyway. Where, right. where are they at? Your Pat's in, and then, of course, Chris. Chris, your famous line when I ask about donuts is? Well, yeah, Absolutely. I mean, it, you know, it's here's here's how it goes. You, you know, you start out in law enforcement, and it's kind of a taboo thing, and you, you know, you don't you don't want to get caught on camera eating a donut, and then you know, yeah, that's ten, twelve years in, but you know, you get to twenty years, 
you don't care. You're going to eat it. I mean, I'm going to take a picture. That doesn't matter. Bring me the donut. And yeah. here's the real reality of it. If you bring a dozen donuts into a police station, oh, yeah. you drop them off, yeah, or guys, right, everybody will, oh, no, donuts. Right. Okay, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah, Tommy will take one, yeah, because yeah, he's that goofball. You, okay, and then I take one, and I yeah. come back 10 minutes later, gone. and all the ones with you chocolate on them are gone. Them, They're all them, gone. You catch them eating them in the closets. Yeah. Yep. And the one with the, the coconut bathroom. still yeah. in the container. All the rest right. of them are gone. Yep. <laughs> A, and I'm certain that there's there's a, a task force for donut inspection slash investigation, correct? There should be, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'd sign up. they got to yeah. be quality. Yeah. When I was in East St. Louis, I had it. Everybody was big eaters back in that day, even though we had a fitness program. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I came from, I lived way out at Arnold. And I didn't have a marshal service assigned vehicle back then. But I knew when I was running late through traffic and stuff, there was a donut shop up Route 3. <laughs> down around Sauger, and so I would hit that donut shop. My chief deputy didn't even know I was late because all he was worried about was them donuts. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. That's a good excuse. Ex- if you're walking in late, nobody you come in with a dozen yeah. donuts, nobody yeah. cares. Nobody nobody even, some donuts. Oh, man, okay. Yeah, nobody even great. looks at the clock. They're looking at the donuts. I mean, you know, <laughs> an brilliant. hour later, where's the donuts? Brilliant. You know, on a poor young deputy salary, but, that you know, that donut gets you a lot of points. That's yeah. right. The difference between entering a hospital then and now. In 1993, I was driving into St. Louis as one of very few male sign language interpreters in the St. Louis area. What I also had was a degree in university educational interpreting. What that means is that just a big giant listing of vocabulary knowledge that most people don't have that can then translate into sign language. That makes Mike a good commodity. Amazingly, don't know how that happened, but it was me. I've been in every hospital and probably every medical facility that St. Louis offers or offered back then. Mm -hmm. And what I found back then was that as long as you had the same walkthrough and nobody bothers you slash you exude confidence through a door, I never got stopped. Ever. There there was no locked door. If somebody asked me for ID, I would show them my interpreter ID and I'd go, hello, I'm here to interpret for thus and such. And I'd walk through. Nobody would stop me to do anything. And what you see inside of what happens inside of a hospital inside of this film and my experiences back in 1993 are a complete reversal of what happens when you go inside of a hospital now. Well, certainly there's I mean, a lot of places have uh, hardened, I guess, for security reasons and such. I mean, it's the same way with the schools, Mm -hmm. too. And they need to be. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've had a cultural change, you know, and I, I, I go into this, uh, you know, as opposed to when I started in law enforcement. You know, we look at uh, uh, things that happened back in the 90s where we have uh, we'd have a, you know, man with a gun call or some kind of somebody that was armed. Mm-hmm. And the culture back then was, you know, that was a high profile, high risk call that you were going on. Uh, typically, if somebody was going into a place of business with a gun, they were going in there to rob people, take valuables. If they were really over the top, they may take hostages. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we've, we have had a cultural change these days. People go into places of business with a gun, and they try to kill everybody. Right. So you're going to see that uh, that institutional change or that cultural change. You're going to see the hardening of these, uh, you know, these buildings and such. And, yeah, a lot of these places are going to be locked up. So you're not going to be able to get through. Yeah. Tommy, you're, the area that you're in is a much more diverse area in regard to policing. And inside of the emergency rooms in your area, what are we looking at in regard to security, just somebody walking in? Even the, even the hospitals that don't have 
their own armed security mm-hmm. will have a police officer that's working as a side job doing security in the emergency room. And there's going to be at least a locked door with a secretary or somebody that's to check everyone coming in. Uh, that's your, your lowest level at a hospital in the Chicagoland area. You'll get somebody in an ER. There's somebody that has to make sure you have a reason to be back there unless you're being brought in by the paramedics. And then you go all the way up to Christ Hospital, which is our level one trauma center. And in full uniform, when they're expecting me, it can take me five or six minutes to go from front door of the ER of Christ Hospital to the room where the person's at because there's so many people that I have to go through and get through locked doors and pass security checkpoints before I can get into the ER. Yeah. Again, that exuding confidence to get in someplace and looking reasonably appropriate was used perfectly inside of this film, especially based on how security procedures and being able to uh, walks in backwards through the, uh, the the back door of the prosthetics department, essentially, right, is what right. we see. And I won't say that those days are long gone, and especially inside of, say, a retail environment, there's still all kinds of holes all over the place. Sure. But the vast majority of places, especially hospitals and schools, right. much more difficult and hardened, to use Chris's term. It's, well, right, yeah. It's the old... If you carry a ladder and wear jeans and a work shirt, you can walk in any public building. And there was a time when that was true. Right. But a lot of it's gone away when you talk about hospitals and schools now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure schools were the same way back then. I mean, once uh, Columbine hit in 99, right, that changed. Being terribly unaware of your surroundings. This is one that I talk about, I think, inside of every aspect of my own life because... I think the one that drives me the most crazy still to this day is when you're walking inside of a grocery store Mm -hmm. or a Walmart or whatever store and you happen to have a cart and sitting in the middle of the aisle is someone that is not doing anything in regard to shopping right in the center aisle of where you're trying to walk through. Mm -hmm. They have no idea who's behind them. They're not bothering to make anything going on to their left or right of them. They're just sitting in the middle and without opening your mouth... They would not move. So you you mean you've run into my wife at the grocery store? <laughs> <laughs> probably. Probably. Multiple times. Is this where I tell you or not? Sure. Okay, awesome. If you take her, though, she's yours. Don't bring her back. <laughs> uh, the, the bottom line is that the, the being sick... All si- the bills and kids, too, right? Yeah, yeah. especially those medical bills. <laughs> yeah. We're sending those along with them. Yeah. Uh, the bottom line is that being terribly unaware of your surroundings is not only unsafe, it's what will probably lead to you not be living, regardless of whether it's a car accident, uh, you being taken in a robbery of some kind, or anything else around you. It's just a matter of opening your eyes and twisting your head around. We're not talking about rocket science here. What's funny, though, is if you look from the law enforcement perspective, we're the exact opposite. Yes. We are so conscious of where we're at. Yeah, It's almost scary sometimes when people always ask, well, why do you sit there? Well, because that exit there there's a, another door over here i'm watching both of them you know it's just it's almost scary that you're so ingrained to that you don't even yeah. think about it anymore and the only yeah, thing yeah, harder than learning it, it is unlearning it yeah right yeah. you walk into yeah. a building first thing you're doing is look where can i get out of here right 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 or, right. or if somebody comes you're scanning you're looking at everybody yeah. and see what looks out of place right right you know what maybe looks suspicious or something and that's and that's really where we uh you know i i had a uh, incident the other day where I was, uh, my wife said, I was reading something about people's negative thoughts and they were trivial to me. You know, it, they weren't, they weren't anything that yeah. I thought. Or do my I, eyebrows I, match yeah. today? And I said, right. right. And I mm-hmm. said, 
is this how normal people have negative thoughts? Because, you know, when I, when I go into a restaurant, my negative thoughts are, who's coming through the door? Who's going to kill my kid or my wife? Or where am I going to go? Or, you know, and, you know, she had to say, well, no, that's, that's not normal. You know, that's, no, yeah, these, these are what normal people have, these <laughs> negative thoughts. Right. And it's true. If you look into our culture, we're not there. We have right. our normal. It's just the where we draw the baseline. Pat's yeah. right. It's, uh, you know, we have this hypervigilance. And Tommy's right, too. You can't unlearn it. I don't yeah. think it ever goes away. Yeah. So that, And other people see it. I am probably the only person who can't score drugs in Jamaica. <laughs> Is it because you're three and a half feet tall? Or? A five foot two inch white guy on a beach with just shorts on in Jamaica. And the guy walks on the beach, Jamaican smoke, Jamaican smoke, looks at me, turns around and walks the other way. <laughs> that is awesome. You can't you just have you a know, look. I, People just have a look. You know, I, I, even, I, they got me coming off the they got me coming off the boat, you know, the cruise. It's, line it's the no hair. I mean, and they were like, it's the no, no hair. No, they offered it to me. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> That's what I mean. It's the no hair. It's and no it hair. doesn't get any easier when you retire. So I mean, you me. get in a crowd of people. I can tell you a little story. It happened just a few years ago. We had a new governor elected in Illinois. He happened to come, and I'd kind of dabble in politics a little bit, and come in, and there was a guy come in and just making some awful statements about the governor. And there was a crowd of people there, and people were coming up to me going, Rick, this guy's saying this, and he's, and he was overheard saying that he, when he, if he gets up close to the governor, he's going to grab his arm. So I'm like, okay. So I tell there were two Illinois State Police guys that were with the and he, and he wasn't the governor yet, although he's elected, and, and he just happened to be there. He's kind of making a tour. So I go up to uh, this trooper, and I said, hey, this is what I'm hearing. They said, well, appreciate it. And I said, have you got very much dignitary protection experience? He goes, no, we were just signed to this. So really, I mean, it's easy. You just stand there with him, and you react if something happens. So this guy gets up close to the to the governor now, and he grabs a hold of his hand. And I told those troopers, and, and one trooper's on the radio, he tells this other uh, guy and, and who's with the actual governor, and he whispers in the governor's ear. The governor comes over and and and's and talking to this uh, fella, and he grabs his arm, kind of a weird way. And I told the trooper, I said, "Hey, if he makes one more gesture, I'll take him out of here, because I've done a lot of this, and I don't have to write a report for anybody." <laughs> right. <laughs> he goes, "Thank you." <laughs> I love that. I love that. Anyway, this is just another awareness note to everybody that's listening. Again, thousands will listen over the course of weeks, ongoing, forever. Just be more aware of your surroundings. It can't be more important. What is the official police code for XYZ? Of course, I'm not referring to any official codes that you guys would use on air because we're not going to share any of those, duh. But I am talking about when one of your fellow operatives slash agents slash officers zipper is down. Is there a code or do you just kind of... No. Lean over with the just finger. Or? Zip your fly up before you go on camera. <laughs> right. I yeah. mean, that's yeah, yeah. There's no code. I don't hey. tell them. No. Yeah. I don't <laughs> tell them. <laughs> yeah. Now, if you're the chief, they definitely don't tell yeah. you because they want you to. You know, they can here's, get a picture. Here's a good of you. story for that's you. A good, that's a good. <laughs> that's Facebook, why I brought it up. Facebook we don't post. Use, <laughs> we don't use the phonetic code a whole lot in the marshal service, particularly back in that day. And we had a deputy. I guess he come out of a police department, and did, and everything was ten this and ten that. And the chief deputy goes. I don't know what in the heck you're saying. Why don't you just talk normal? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. He's always like 10, 19, 10, blah, 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 you know, and all this kind of stuff. Sure, sure. And, I, I, again, I love that. And uh, I thought perhaps there was some magical police code for zip up your zipper. Nah, but it, that I'm aware of. Nah, no. just zip your fly, yeah. man. Okay. Depends Jack- on who it is. You might want to embarrass him a little bit. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I don't tell people. <laughs> right. hey, look at Unless they don't have underwear on. 
If it's clear they don't have underwear on, then you got to tell Oh, them. thanks for having scruples. I yeah. appreciate that. Jacking an ambulance or a cruiser? Is it really that easy? <laughs> no, no, I mean, not, so, a police, can, not a police car. It, I mean, as far well, as an ambulance well, goes, I don't know. That's pretty easy if they leave the keys in it there at, and, the, right, yeah. you know, at the hospital. Ambulances I mean, you know, are very easy. It, it's always kind of <laughs> interesting that... You see people jump in a car, and all of a sudden they pull these wires, and all of a sudden, yeah. in two seconds, they're driving yeah. that vehicle. Yeah. We've it doesn't happen. That. Right. right. <laughs> it doesn't happen. Especially but nowadays, it's just, it's not going to work. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. work. But, you know, I can see an ambulance driver leaving his keys in the bay because yeah. he wants to keep it cool. I've had situations yeah. like that. Not an ambulance being stolen, but other type of vehicles for that same reason. But I don't know too many people that hijack a helicopter unless the pilot's on board. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. right. Yeah. That's going to be tough. Yeah. The, uh, the, the police car will normally have an interlock device, so the car could be running, right. yeah. but the ignition's locked, and you can't you can't get anywhere. Yeah, but those didn't come on. Well, yeah. You didn't have them back in '93. No. But but an ambulance, ambulance are are a huge problem in the Chicago metro area. Mm. We've got a lot of private ambulance companies. In fact, there's a couple of private ambulance companies in the fugitive that are still operating. That I know the owner of one of them, Daily Ambulance, mm. is now Daily slash Buds Ambulance, and they get ambulances stolen. <laughs> All, I, I all the, the time. That's in the crazy. last three or four days, we had a fire truck stolen. Some yeah. kids went out. I've seen that too. Yeah. Volunteer oh, fire department crazy. truck stolen. But ambulances get stolen so much that at least twenty percent of the time, if I run the license plate for an ambulance in the Chicagoland area that is from a private ambulance company, it'll come back stolen. Hmm. Wow. Because some psych wow. patient will get into the ambulance when it's parked somewhere. Or somebody will get in the ambulance and they'll take off and they'll drive it six towns over, get out and leave it. It gets reported as stolen. And some agencies near me are not really good about taking the ambulance back uh, out. Yeah. Yeah. In yeah. fact, they're not very good about taking stolen cars back out, yeah. period. Right. Yeah. The uh, you know police car back in the day when he's talking, you know, we we wouldn't have all the equipment that we have. You know, the big thing is like the computer and that. we got to keep that cool. we got to keep that police car running so they have safety measures that they put in place where we uh, keep them locked and such years ago 1993 we didn't have all that kind of stuff so they a lot of times you didn't keep them running the only threat to that is your lights would eventually wear down your battery and then your car might not start you know or you pull up and you accidentally leave your siren on and you lock yourself out of the car that's happened you know, overheating times too. was an issue yeah. too yeah. you know so just embarrassing you got your, there- light, you got your lights and sirens on and are there it's a second set of keys for every vehicle? I mean, yeah. is it just, yeah. yeah. A lot of them are key alike. Yeah, yeah, they're keyed the same. Yeah. Okay. Okay, interesting. So. Again, great perspective on something that someone would ask and don't have the answers for, and now you do. Uh, which of you has a personal helicopter on standby? Tommy? I'd like, I'd like to believe I do, but I don't know if it's ever happened. <laughs> I, I mean, want to know who is it. It's a little bitty thing. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I'm waiting for the it's day. Made by the manufacturer Matchbox. Yeah, the, I got the same one. I want to know who has the turboprop, the twin turboprop airplane. Right. Standing by at yeah. Miggs Field in downtown Chicago waiting to fly them down to Southern Illinois. Right. <laughs> Actually, the Marshal Service, we even back in 93, there would be a number of times where I would get orders to go get someone. And, and one particular time... There was a guy in a state institution in New Hampshire, and me and wow. uh, my partner, who actually is a warrant supervisor in East St. Louis now, another deputy, uh, we had to charter a small plane and, mm-hmm. and fly all the way to Providence, Rhode Island, pick up this guy and bring him right back to Marion, Illinois. That's wow. awesome. Uh, we've, yeah. we've done wow. that before. And we have a number of planes that would drop in and pick us up. We, I don't know what they have now. Uh, we used to have two Boeing 737s 
Yeah, Chris has one. Saber he's, he's got one on, number on of Saber standby jets. right now. Our air operations right. division is based out of Kansas City, and those aircraft are in the air wing that belongs to the Marshal Service at uh, Will Rogers Airport in Oklahoma City. El Reno, which is a federal institution, we actually built a, a federal institution at the airport, and that's where our air operations, what you could, what people refer to as Con Air, it's called our airlift operations. And, and, you know, if I had to, a lot of times they'd be having to go do something, they'll drop in here and pick you up. Or you may get on a commercial plane, go out there and meet them and go wherever you need. Well, there's another another perspective for you we can get together for in Dukon Air because that's one of the other few movies that has an active marshal inside yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah. And we can, so uh, we'll have to think about that. We can, we can get Larry Lawton on, who's actually flown as oh, a prisoner go. on Con Air. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that would be Larry, perfect. And he perfect, would. He'd come on and yeah. talk to him. Perfect perspective, for sure. I might have handled him. I don't know. Yeah, you might have. (laughs) Where is Barkley's Dam? Well, there's a Barkley Dam in Paducah, land between the lakes. I don't know if that's that dam you're talking about. Yeah. That one, I believe, is in North Carolina, isn't it? The one they put in the film. The one they put in the film? Probably, because it's where a portion of it was shot. Tommy, did you recognize this dam from anywhere inside of your area along with the mountains? Just checking. No. I didn't see the Smoky Mountains or a dam. (laughs) <laughs> you weren't and looking. I definitely didn't see him on the drive down just here. Just weren't looking right. hard yeah. enough. Yeah. 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 Weren't looking hard enough. Perfect. <laughs> your, your your investigatory skills aren't there yet. Illinois mostly flat. Right. As we mentioned the dam, I mean, how can we not mention the dam and talk about what is probably one of the greatest scenes in movie history? Yeah. Where you have Kimball and Gerard face off, literally. Yeah. Well, yeah, you have Harrison I mean, it, Ford and Tommy Lee Jones, two mm-hmm. great actors that right. are face-to-face <laughs> with the uh, with the line that we mentioned before we brought up uh, in discussion, I didn't kill my wife and I don't care. And mm-hmm. it, it, it just epitomizes the characterization on these two where, uh, like I said, going back to Tommy Lee Jones, he's just bitter, cynical, been on the job too long, mm-hmm. and that's the way that they want to portray him. Right. And I think that's why he captures the audience. And then his, you know, he pulled a Peter Pan off the dam, you know, throwing in the, uh, you know, his slang, cop-like lingo. I don't know. I, I thought it was one of the best scenes in the movie, so uh, I think we need to mention it. Oh, it is without question. I like the other deputy's response to it, though. Holy shit, can we go home now? Right. Right, <laughs> right, right exactly. And that that would be most cops' perspective, Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I would have said. Can we go home right after that? Four days, I want to shave. But yeah. right after that, you, you have the state police. I don't know what position this guy held, but he portrayed being the state police commander, I think, out there. And he's like, he's wanting to go home and... And Tommy Lee's wanting to drag the river. Drag and the river, And he says, yeah. he's fish food. And he said, didn't get a cane pole and catch him. Catch him. <laughs> right. right. It was right. great. It was great. And going cool. going back to that, too, dragging the river. You know, we talk about going back to 1993 and dragging the river. You know, how would we do that these days? Um, I don't know. We'd probably call out 10 or 15 drones and send them up and, uh, you know, cover that area, you know, in no time. But back Especially then, with a dude with a yellow suit on. Right. right. But yeah. back, back It's then, running slash walking slash then, stumbling, whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Now, uh, again, it's it's a fantastic scene. It's also where they bothered to use what looked like a reasonable dummy. You know, the arms flail <laughs> like they're supposed to, and it looks like they threw somebody off the dam. Yeah. I, I, I really appreciate that. Again, using something totally practical that is emulating something that, you know, yes, it could happen, but the odds are fish food. Right. right. And that's what yeah, I was wondering, dead. too. How, how, well, you think how many lines like he that? had there? He survived a 
crash. Right, right. Yeah. You know, almost got run over by a train, jumped off of a train. Now he's jumping off a bridge. And like, how many kinds of this right, right, live, yeah. you know? Well, not only that, then sustaining the wound that he's got a he hasn't he doesn't foster it along at all. And I get adrenaline, I get all that, but mm -hmm. eventually that's going to wear off, especially as you sit and rest right yeah. and so the, again the stacking on of peril and the uh, the, the having the hero slash anti-hero take all this on is a piece of the compelling nature of the storytelling well luckily Absolutely. he's a doctor so he goes into this store and he gets the medical right. supplies sells himself yeah. up yeah. when well, I, I also love that the detail is there of doing exactly that there was another movie that we probably should put inside the perspective of view cone it's called shooter and mm. shooter does mm. exactly the same thing yep. where yeah one-to-one -one how to fix your ass when you get shot well it's all in there. Yeah. there there's there's nothing missing from that walks into pseudo general store slash corner jackass store and gets the stuff to make sure that he doesn't get dead uh, i really appreciate that because it it helps to to bring the factors of what happens especially when you get shot like you get shot inside the movie shooter well he went into a, actually a medical facility didn't he and and got some medicine or yeah. Yeah. Sewed himself, yeah. himself up, yeah. yeah. Sewed mm -hmm. himself up, and then uh, I guess hit out. And that was when we had another one of the flashback scenes. And I liked the pacing in that, mm -hmm. where you know they didn't just have him fall asleep. They continued that. They had another flashback scene, and it continued to fill in the details and continued to characterize his yeah. wife. Yeah. The other thing that they added on here inside of this general montage of what happens is that he immediately goes and looks for something to get out of the yellow stuff he's in. Right, right. It's another, you know, you think about it and you go, well, duh. Well, it's something that would traditionally get lost inside of a storytelling element where right. it's just fast, fast paced, got to have a bunch of action. Well, and you forget that you're wearing this giant blaze yellow outfit. You can't, you can't blend in. There's no way. That's intentional. But that he bothers to take the time and he just goes and jacks a, a series of coveralls. Brilliant. Great stuff. Well, right. And if, if they're going to characterize somebody as being smart and intuitive. Mm-hmm. Don't just say it. Yeah. You're going to need to show it. And they actually do. So. There's a couple other things that I think we can throw inside of here, too. I'd written down uh, trigger discipline and muzzling discussion. <clears throat> We're not going to waste a whole bullet point on that. But the gist is that, especially as the ambulance is stalled inside the tunnel, mm -hmm. all of the trigger discipline is out the window. And I get that in 1993 it wasn't on the forefront, especially inside of feature films and television. I get that, guys. But it's something I wanted to make sure we mention. Uh, for those of you that are curious, trigger discipline is where if you're not going to shoot and or destroy something, then you do not have your finger inside the trigger guard. Period. Paragraph. Right, gents? Right. Yep. Okay. Second thing is something called muzzling. Muzzling is when you have a weapon, regardless of whether it's loaded or not, and when being waved around, if it ever comes in contact with anything that you don't wish to destroy, that is muzzling, and it is bad. Right. It is especially bad inside of close quarters, like what we see inside the tunnel. Right. Because in addition to in the tunnel, you might shoot your buddy. Inside the tunnel, all of that is reflective surface. So if you do fire off around, there's a big problem that nobody can determine where everything's going to go. And so making sure that those two things are something that you not only recognize inside of feature films, but that you hopefully will see change. And you do as time goes by. We've done the 1985 review of the Code of Silence. You can see where it's just loosey-goosey craziness inside of that feature right. film. Inside of this, there's a couple of guys who probably are cops or military or something, but the vast majority right. of them, including all of the actors, it's out the window. Right. There's nothing there's, to be seen. There's a lot of gun handling in this movie that's it's it's beyond some of it is for the story and some right. of it is just horrendous, like we didn't right. have a cop there to be like, No, you don't right. you don't do that. Like they're all getting out, going into the tunnel and all of them are jacking rounds right. into their pistol. Yeah. Right. What's wrong with these right. guys? Like, yeah, you didn't right. have a round in there right. to start with? Yeah. What's wrong right. with you? <laughs> right. 
when Tommy Lee Jones is coming down a tunnel in the dam because he thinks Harrison Ford is down that tunnel and he sees the 45 degree angle with the water flowing down it and he takes his hand <laughs> with a pistol right. still in it and puts it up on the wall that makes the police and like tries to negotiate that makes the police trainer in me his head explode because <laughs> this is the stuff that I see guys at all stages in their career lose their mind and do and that's when someone falls and ends up blowing a hole in something or falls and loses their gun and ends up on the ground, which is exactly what happened in the movie. And it's just funny exactly that what happened. it right. kind of plays into his character and it, it sets the tone for the rest of the movie that like he's so he's been doing this so long and he's so loosey goosey with what he's doing on his own. He's searching down this unknown corridor alone outside of any type of communication, walking down this 45 degree angle with the water flowing down, holding the pistol up to the wall with two fingers and ends up slipping and falling and losing the gun, and the bad guy gets it. And it almost gets him killed. Yeah. All, all of that is extraordinary. Um, there's something else I wanted to mention, too, and this is all in that same little area. I'm so happy that Kimball had to find a way that wasn't just a door. Because for anyone that's gone through a tunnel, in particular one that might have a dam on it, if there was a door, I'm sorry you're not getting in the door. Right. The, the, right. It, it doesn't just work where you'd walk up to a door and, hey, door's open. Let's go to the behind the scenes in the dam. There isn't anything like that at all. And, and so I was I was happy to see that they made it where it's it's kind of a, a maze discovery session that Kimball just does not know what to do next. Wait a minute, what's that? Here I go. Being able to prey upon the pseudo planning of, okay, well, what am I going to do next? I'm going to try that. And then he goes. I appreciate that sort of storytelling. You know, in that scene where the ambulance goes into the tunnel there, and they're like, where'd he go? I mean, he just like disappeared out of nowhere, you know. Tommy Lee just automatically looks over there at the manhole and goes, "We got a gopher," you know. <laughs> yeah, and the cool part—the cool part, rather than it being some magical thing, it fits his character. It's that instant nose that you can't quite quantify element, like he did when you do anything with this movie. You're walking down the airplane, all of a sudden, yeah, there's a pen, there's a pen knife or the, you know, the pen gun that was right. used. In the, yeah, so. yeah, I love that. It's automatically look in the right place for. It. Gear check. Who's got a flashlight? Chris? Nothing. Pat? I'm the chief. Not on no. me, no, yeah. No. Tommy? I got two of them in that backpack right I'll there. bet you do. Yeah, and I do. Rick? There he goes. Yeah, He's got a cell phone. Yeah, right. I, phone. And I usually carry a little one in my pocket. Okay. I always have my favorite flashlight, which I've told you about several times because they're a great deal on Amazon, but they're also super tough and durable. I love it, and it's always in my right-hand pocket, and it... I wanted to mention it just because whenever anybody gets gear checked, what's always missing is the flashlight. So for those of you that aren't carrying a flashlight, carry a flashlight. Who carries a backup weapon? Were you glad to see that that was used here? So, Chris, I'm going to guess. Like carry a backup weapon? Yes. No. Okay. Pat, you I, got five I, or six I guns. I refuse to answer that question. Um, yeah, I was, re I was actually glad to see it used. Definitely. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, Tommy? Just one. <laughs> Tommy's actually got 11 guns on him right now just in case yeah, you didn't I, know I, I carry a backup weapon okay, and it, it was nice to see that even though he dropped his gun doing something extraordinarily doing the stupid, water dance that he's been doing the job long enough to know not to do that it, it was very interesting to see that not only did he carry a backup weapon but he carried one that was a duplicate a d of identical. his duty weapon he had, right. he had a whole other gun on him that was 
identical to what he normally used, the, which you don't see a lot. Right. No, that that also had common. available mags. That right. that was also cool. <clears throat> he's got mags on his hip. He's also got mags on his on his lower torso. Also. You know, and that the gun that he was carrying, I remember going into a Hard Rock Cafe and seeing the actual gun, the actual Glock 22 that he carried in that movie. It was either that movie or it was U.S. Marshals. The U.S. Marshals movie, because in the in '93 we didn't have autos. Oh, is that right? Mm. Yeah, we had three fifty. We were. Yeah, they had a Smith three fifty seven or a Colt, but oh, that's wow. not a Colt. Wasn't, uh, wasn't that uh, what he was carrying? It, yeah, it was here? a Glock in the movie. Yeah. It was a Glock in the movie. Yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. Both of them. Both of them yeah. were Glocks, matching Glocks. Backup weapon when you were it, depending on what I'm doing. Okay. I mean, not on a normal day. When you're going to hunt the when I'm going on a fugitive investigation like that. I mean, I'll wear tactical gear and yeah, I'll. I usually would have an auto on one side, and I had a I carried a three fifty seven in the back. Sweet, well, but most of the time I didn't carry a gun. If I ever went out anywhere, I mean, I could. You could just charm them. I was known right? for well. There were three. There were three of us. There were three of us in the office where I worked <laughs> normally, and um, <laughs> one was a runner, and one used to be on the U.S. Army weightlifting team. He looked like a small oak tree. <laughs> and then I was a good talker, and the the joke was is I'd try to talk them out of if I didn't work, and if they ran, Jimmy would chase them, and Clark would fight them. So. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. <laughs> that's awesome. The Warriors 3. Would Richard have been shot if you were Gerard on top of the dam? Rick. No. Tommy? When he spun around? When, it, when he goes, drop the gun! Oh, And well, he turns around instead? Yeah, yes. with the gun. Okay. Pat? Yeah, as you just described, yeah. But just at, after that other part, no, because then at that point he doesn't he's not posing a threat after he. But yeah, initially when he spun spun around, yeah, because he's got your gun, he's spinning around on you. Okay, Chris. I'd say no. Okay, I agree with. Rick. Did you want to I, revise you know, your answer? You know, no, no. Well, I mean, you put a gun. Are, in his are hand you just there, a kind soul? No, I mean, <laughs> no. It's just you know, it's, it's one of those things that you're, you're going to have to make that decision there. Oh yeah, and that's that's why I'm asking it because it, you know. It, 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 it all falls in in a now and the other reason why I'm I'm asking the question is that we live in the world where instantaneous decisions are not only made minute to minute inside of every metropolitan city they are now all videotaped and 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 so that that snap in my judgment is all there. I wouldn't immediately shoot I would try to get him to drop that weapon first in today's world yeah you it's know different. it de- depends you know, you know we've got Law enforcement officers that will hesitate because uh, of the news media coverage and the negativity, and they die. They mm-hmm. might die, yeah. Right. They die. That's and right. you've got to take that uh, into perspective. And Here you're dealing with the person who is not wanted for murder. He's convicted right. of a murder. Yeah. A, a jury has found him, and he's been sentenced to die. He's now escaped. And, and you don't know that his mind, you don't know that person's mindset. Right. Right, and he's got a gun, and he's pointing it at you, and you have a weapon, and you know you're just gonna have to make that judgment call there. Yeah, I would say under the circumstances, the way the movie came about, no, I wouldn't immediately shoot, but he would have been justified if he had him. Yeah, and that's the question. I mean, if you're asking what he's been shot, you're asking what we would have done and we're speculating because nobody was you'd have to be in that situation but the other question is would you have been justified shooting him and oh yeah, absolutely I think you would have. yes there's no question now of course i were i there 
I would have just shot the gun out of his hand or shot him in the leg. Well, that's right. well, here's the other. I thing mean, why wouldn't realize. you shoot re- him in the leg? I would tase him. I remember, I remember you should tase him and then you fall over the dam. One time in training, Damn. we were uh, doing a live exercise. <laughs> it wasn't live fire, but we were using the weapons that we use. That yeah. you, you know, you shoot and they've got a vest on that will activate. Right. And I had a guy come out of a house with a weapon like that, and I hesitate and, and actually got critiqued by the instructors. For hesitating and not shooting, although right. I ended up right. shooting and, and killing him in that exercise, but I had cover at the time, some protection that that allowed me to make that judgment. Here in in the movie, there wide was no open. protection. Right. You're wide open right. there. Yeah. So yeah, you, that's just something that you just really you train for, and you're prepared to do. If necessary, but you're not going to know exactly what you want until you're in that situation. No, I, t- I totally agree. And again, for those that will chime in and say, shoot him in the leg, slash shoot the gun out of his yeah, uh, his hand, real. slash uh, just tase him, bro. That's not how the situation no, that, works. That, that didn't work. Right. One right. thing to think about is this, is this is a person that's already convicted of yeah, a capital offense. Yeah. And he's fleeing now by means of a deadly weapon. He's also been you're, thrown under the bus by Mr. Integrity. If you're right. going to discharge that firearm, that is a deadly force weapon. I'm not shooting to wound yeah, his foot. Yeah, shoot right. Right. I'm shooting to stop him. Yeah. Right. And that is deadly force because that is a last resort oh, item. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. All agreed. Chances of surviving a Peter Pan moment. I think Quick we covered round that. Round at the table. Yeah. I think we covered uh, that. No. I mean, okay. he's dead. Yeah. Pat? That was way too big. That looked, more, that looked like more than seven stories to me. Right. I, w- I would have to go with no. Yeah. Okay. Rick? Uh, uh, you know, anything's possible, but highly doubtful. Okay. Well, look, guys. It's Han Solo. He's living. That's what are you, true. crazy? You know, right. it looked like more that, you know, you jump out there, and he actually rode down the waves rather than jumping over them and, <laughs> right. and landing. He just slid down. But, you know, my experience in a situation like that, there's all kinds of rocks at the bottom. Nothing good. Yeah, yeah there's nothing yeah, good yeah. at the bottom of the I mean, you'd almost have to be 100 yeah. feet deep there. And if doubt. he does survive, <laughs> it's not going to be intact. Nothing good. Yeah. No, nothing good. The question of leaves as a blanket. I know that there are probably many scouts here or ex-scouts inside the room, but there's one that's going camping this weekend that just might use leaves as a blanket. Tommy? No, he won't. Oh. Oh no 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 no. Really? Yeah, that's not that's not particularly not, not smart that bigfoot. Oh really? Not a good. All right, let's hear leaves it, Mister Mister awesome Scout. Leaves as a blanket. I don't think I would go with. Really? Yeah, I. You'd probably be better off, especially in that season. You'd probably be better off just even not having the leaves on you, if your if your goal was to not freeze to death. If your goal was to get ticks and fleas and everything else under the sun, bit by spiders, and you wanted to get a bunch of infected wounds, leaves as a blanket would be a great idea. Well, interesting. I did not anticipate that answer, and it's why I asked the question, because I've seen stuff like that on the awesome kick-ass survival shows. There's stuff, there's stuff similar to that that you can do that'll work fairly well. If you're in an area and you find you can get a bunch of dried grass, uh, dried grass works okay as long as again you're okay with a certain level of ticks if you can get bales of hay you come across a hay bale and you're you're stuck out somewhere you have no idea where you're at a hay bale is one <laughs> you light it on fire and it'll it'll keep you warm for several hours but also but also you sure the hay, the police hay yeah hay will will be able to to insulate you pretty well but are we everybody talk- I've ever seen tried leaves as a blanket it doesn't it doesn't are turn we out talking so about using that to stay warm or to 
hide or obscure oh, yourself. That's, that's a good point. That's, yeah. that's I mean, you know, if you're trying to hide yourself and you're on the run from law enforcement, right. you hide by anything. Anything, yeah. right, yeah. 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 Uh, that's well, well said. I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah, else. you're not worried yeah. about that kind of stuff. I hadn't even thought that. That's great. Leaving an escaped felon on site until the next day? Rick, we got to ask, would you just go, yeah, we know where he is and ah, we'll get to it tomorrow? No. Okay. We, you stay with the investigation. I mean, sooner or later, you're going to have to determine whether or not he's out of the area. Yeah. The, I mean, the, you're not going to stay there forever because you're going to have to make that. I've, I've known, I've been on, uh, matter of fact, this happened in, in Franklin County, Illinois. It was a federal prisoner, and I had him in there. He was wanted for murder out mm-hmm. of Florida. Right. Uh, coming through the state of Illinois and just happened to be in Mount Vernon. The Mount Vernon police officer is going through a local motel up there and sees a, a car with pennsylvania tags and for some reason unknown the police officer just decides to run those tags and they come back stolen well then you you go and, and you do your investigation and puzzle pieces yeah, match well, and before the, the night's over clear. with they got a guy in, a, in the room that's got a stolen car who's wanted for bank robbery and got a sawed off shotgun yeah so that, we get him in federal custody he escapes yeah the, the, if, <clears> if there was one we're on that investigation until we caught him i never went home for four days yeah. What? And um, I missed my chance. I was actually in my office typing up the report because I was going to be on America's Most Wanted the next morning, and they caught him that night. Ruined my chance of going on TV. <laughs> oh, man. That sucks. Yep. But that we developed the, in- the investigation was going, and like I said, you got to work fast, yeah. smart, look for clues, look at the, the person who escaped, look at his past. And, you know, one of the things is, is he had escaped one time before, and we looked at what he did, and we went on a hunt, and that's exactly what he did. Yeah, and what I really liked about this, too, is that there's a, we'll talk about it in just a few minutes, there's a piece of misdirection that's used at least once inside of the storytelling that really, really does work. And really does, it doesn't, it doesn't just supercharge the story, it turbo boosts the story in a variety of different places inside the storytelling. It's really well done. You know, what's, what's Hollywood about this is, is, they just like, okay, we're doing this investigation overnight down here in Illinois and southern Illinois. We didn't find him, so we're going back to Chicago, and they find out he's up there. They didn't. Their investigation didn't lead them to Chicago. Right. They just went back to Chicago, yeah. which is, you know, they wouldn't have been down here in the first place. Right, right, right. Misdirection, very well done. I love the Copeland insertion in place of, look, it's Kimball. Across the board. Kimball gets picked up by a woman inside of a car. There's the mention of a car and that he's in a house, in the woman's house. I, I love it all. I love it all. Even the, even the filming of the shot, until almost the last second, you don't actually know what's going on right. until the reveal where they snap a camera right and they show that it's a black woman inside of a house and then they stream around and then you finally realize oh, wait a second what's going on here that's not the same woman right and again that kind of storytelling helps to supercharge the story but also propels the pace of the entire story right i really like that a lot mentioning i guess we probably could mention this maybe in the bad though but uh, the whole scene with and i know it's hollywood where they had him barricaded and you know he takes that shot with his partner right there and yeah and I think I've got He's talking guy. about the Copeland incident. Right. Well, you know yeah. what's, what's kind of interesting, i got to tell this story a little bit. Before they go in to arrest Copeland where the shooting yeah. takes place, mm-hmm. right. yeah. you see Tommy Lee in out on the street corner with chicken. You know, he's dressed in a chicken Chicken outfit. suit, right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And, and uh, Pat know, has one. Yeah, sure. <clears throat> uses it on Thursdays. Well, the story behind that is, and I, where that came from, we actually had a fugitive operation in FIST to where we would send out. Uh, FIST, I love that. Yeah, fugitive investigative track team. We've had a bunch of them acronyms. you got to have a cool yeah. acronym. That's, it's just, that's, yeah. that's well, the, 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 the ones we've had most recently that I would participate in uh, was uh, – I'll think of it and I'll come back to it. Yeah, but let me get fine. to this story. Yeah, go ahead. Chicken we actually soup. sent out invitations to a Washington Redskin football game with free tickets, and it was sent to the last known address of the fugitives. And they all – I mean, just all these fugitives showed up to get their free tickets at this – hotel in in uh i think it was the marriott in uh, washington dc and wow. there's all the law enforcement all the way down to the guy dressed in the big chicken outfit or the bird outfit uh was uh there and then all the all the you know dressed in tuxedos these are all law enforcement federal agents wow. they get everybody in this room for their free tickets and then they you know we got in trouble with the Washington Redskins. I'll, I'll, over that, I'll bet you did. I'll bet you but we did. And one time we did a thing when we were down in Florida, I believe it was, where they sent out free airline tickets, where they had won a trip, and they go, they send this information to the last known address. These fugitives, it's a, they're gullible people sometimes. Oh, well, yeah. They'll show up, and actually, <laughs> true story. This one lady shows up, and we we got an actual a terminal with a, with a phony airline. And they show up there to get their free tickets and go. And this one lady showed up. She was wanted. And she actually said, oh, honey, can't this wait till I get back? I just want a free trip. She still didn't get it. it was a- <laughs> oh. So we do stuff like So things like that really happen. But, yeah. You know, yeah. Tommy Lee's out there dressed as a chicken. Then you see him, you know, he, he's uh, walking over there and takes his hat off. Keeps the rest of the chicken outfit on, you know. Right. Like he's going to chase somebody with them big feet on. Pat, Pulls Pat that it. shotgun out of there. Pat does it all the time. Yeah, uh, Chris, there's your fix for general bolo needs: is you just yeah. go grab some tickets for the Cardinal game. Absolutely. Good to go. Well, I don't know. I don't know if anybody go to a Cardinal game right now. Yeah, they probably wouldn't want to go. Dude, if they were free tickets, <laughs> not any, even free. Wouldn't even have fugitive <laughs> show yeah. up for that. Not even free anymore. <laughs> you know, everybody wants something free, especially a con. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How many escaped felons get a car out front while holding a deputy hostage? Ever. Oh, well, actually, they, they could get the car out front. Now, whether or not they're actually going to get, get the car, it. they're not going to no. get into it. But, yeah, there's actually been several uh, negotiations where they've, they've had the car come out front or they've done crazy things. Actually, I just watched one not too long ago. They had the helicopter land. What? Yeah, they, really? it was an FBI yeah. one. They had a helicopter land in the field, and as the guy was taking the hostage to the helicopter, they ended up taking a sniper shot on the guy. And, oh, wow. But, yeah, I mean, it happens, but are they ever going to get is in that? Is the solution there? No. Yeah, no, no. Okay. But the illusion is there, yeah. Interesting, yeah. interesting. Called a ruse. Right. Yeah. And they yeah. also have the <laughs> car pull up out front with one-tenth of a gallon of gas in it right. and three pounds of air in the tires. Right, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. And a, and a gas pedal that doesn't go past high Eight idle. miles an hour. Yeah. 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 No one checks the dead guy slash checks the weapon. This is, again, one of those one, two, three steps of being involved with firearm and bad guy is that, yes, the guy looks like he's dead, but let's make sure that the gun is taken care of. Right. And then also making sure that tending to his needs. He's going to get handcuffed no matter what. Right, right. He's going to get handcuffed and then. This also opens up something that I wanted Chris to address. This is where we're going to go to uh, your want to taking the shot when he's. Next right, to the guy. right. Taking that, you know, taking that shot. I, I don't know. I just it came off to me as Hollywood. You know, you're, you've got uh, you've got another uh, officer or U.S. marshal that's 
in the vicinity, you're taking that shot, you know, you're putting him in harm's way. I just don't think that it happens, you know, in a, a realistic scenario. But, of course, they Hollywood that up and, you know, I don't bargain and, you know, was his, his line and he shoots the guy and it comes out okay and the guy's got hearing damage and all that kind of stuff. I just, like I said, reality, it just doesn't seem like it's realistic. But well, it's not realistic from a marshal service standpoint, and I've been a marshal service supervisor. It'd be somebody in a yeah. lot of trouble. Right. Yeah, there's something else. There's liability there, you know, of the officer or the deputy or whatever he is. I mean, you could hit him easily, right? Right. And you right. just did something that caused him. The government's not going to like it because they they've injury. got injury there. Right. Right. I mean, he's got hearing loss. I mean, what? Who's not going to fill out a CA one there? You know. And yeah. Try to when get it, it's one of the most striking pieces here, and I actually wrote a bullet point that we'll just roll into this one. Uh, again, Sam's threat wouldn't fix the permanent hearing damage. Right. Uh, he right, he yeah. literally threatens him at the end of the of the scene, and, and says, "I don't I don't bargain. Great. I don't yeah, care I don't because it's right. not going to fix my hearing." Right. You know, <laughs> something the chief said a while ago with Sam Gerard's thing is, "I don't negotiate." He whispers that in the injured officer's ear. It's not your decision whether to negotiate. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. You're right, a supervisor right. on scene. You're not speaking on behalf of the agency in that regard. There are policies and procedures. And, and maybe there is some negotiation. That's why we have what we call hostage negotiators. Right. You know, right. and, and that that's all Hollywood stuff. Right. Yeah. yeah. Do we put up with Sam because he ends up being right all of the time? But then he's not to offset it. This is something we've been talking about, I think, since the beginning of the review. And it's where you very easily, especially as a law enforcement agent, could go, wait a second, that's just Hollywood. But then because he's right inside of the storytelling, can you kind of just get behind it and ride the train? Because I, I know I can as a viewer. Well, he, I think that his thought process appeals to me, like his logical thought process. And as he, he paces himself through the movie and he comes up with uh, A plus B equals C, wait, that doesn't add up. Right. And he has, he has, and I think he depicts a typical law enforcement thought process. Mm -hmm. That's why I buy off on it. Okay. Um, the ego... The cynicism, the you know, all that is kind of just on the outskirts, but it's that thought process that really grabs me. I like how he profiles people and goes through, you know, uh, the uh, investigative process and such. That's what really grabs me about the character. Tommy? I think that everybody who's worked a case with another cop, any cop that's worked a case with another cop, has sat down and had the type of argument over a table of what this person did or what they're going to do, or where they're at now. We're looking for a guy on a warrant. Where is he at? I bet you he's at his mama's house, because that's where we picked him up last time. No, no, no. This warrant is out of Gary. He probably went back there because he's going to go look for X, Y, Z. Right. And we all have that argument, and there's there's some people that are better at it than others, but you're never going to be right every time. Right. So that actually, that him being right all the time, and being that senior guy and that supervisor that's saying it, nope, what do you know? Sam's right again. Oh, Sam's right again. It's eventually going to, his number's eventually going to come up. He's going to be wrong about something. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah, Rick? Well, it's Hollywood. I mean, you're going to have people that have different personalities and in different work styles. But you work as a team out there. In the Hollywood aspect of this, this is the great Sam Gerard and his team, not Sam Gerard as part of the team. He's obviously portrays being a supervisor position in this movie and 
like he's always right, and he makes it personal. A guy who makes it personal like that's going to make a lot of mistakes. Yeah, particularly with the other people. I mean, you know, you don't go out there and demean the people who are under you. They're your subordinates. And Support it structure. seems like it, yeah. it just seems like yeah. it's 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 not a team structure in there. It's Samuel Gerard, the lone wolf cop, and then these other and guys. And flunkies to get alone. donuts, right? Yeah, right. You know, that's not going to work. That's that's not. Yeah, I, I'm not going to say it doesn't happen, but right. more. No, but it doesn't reality. work. Right, it works. Yeah. It's, I guarantee you it's not going to work. Right, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Pat? Yeah, and that's exactly what I was saying. I mean, especially when you deal with people that are in specialized units or you know different, you know, what do you, what have you, a fugitive or something. It, everybody comes together there's a lot of times there are no egos and you know some people will do just what they need to do to get the job done mm-hmm. and it's it's kind of cool sometimes just sit back and watch when something happens you know everybody just kind of gels and everybody just does the job and it gets done mm-hmm. you know where you don't really see that in this movie because it's all like you said it's all about sam gerard and not about the actual team that's hunting the guy well what i really like about all of this and why i put this way down at the end or not at the end but in this section of the storytelling is because with this incident, with the hearing damage slash threat slash, I don't really care about you. Can you hear me say I don't care about you? Great, because I don't care about you. He may as well have been saying that instead of I don't bargain. Right. You know, they, they kind of portray Samuel Gerard as being the marshal. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know like he's the, he is the supervisory lead of that, that team, that fugitive team. But it's like, if you remember in the beginning of it, when he's talking to the girl, he goes, go find me one of them donuts with little sprinkles on sprinkles it. On he's it. the guy that steals the chocolate-covered donuts. That's right. why he's... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Him and Tommy. Yeah. Tommy's in there someplace, too. Well, and it works. Yeah. It works in a fictional movie. It just oh, yeah. doesn't work in reality. Right. Yes, yes. Right. Where I was going with it, though, is that this is the offset. This is a piece of the teeter-totter. And it needs to be this extreme with the translation of, I don't care. I don't care what happened to you. And the reason it has to be so extreme is because of the whole "I'm right" the rest of the movie. But I'm. Do you enter- follow me? I'm entertained by that. Oh, absolutely! Yeah. I am as well. So uh, it's a thumbs up for sure. Yeah. For yeah. sure. St. Louis now has an elevated train. I just wanted to make right. sure that that was put in here. It, right. We don't traditionally date these podcasts, but currently, as of 2018, there is an elevated train inside of St. Louis called Metrolink. Right. We actually call it an elevated train. I, mean, I don't know that we call it yeah. anything that's written on, frankly, but hey, right. that's my it, opinion. It's not called the L. I mean, they were hearing something that w- they were used to hearing, yeah. and they're like, what is that? Right. Well, it sounds like an elevated train because we're used to hearing an elevated train all the time. Yeah. I wouldn't know what an elevated train sounds right. like from another was, train. Right, right. But they're used to hearing it, and then they hear the bells. Yeah, and it was the, uh, the, yeah, actually, the announcer. They had that down, yeah. It was the, the announcer. The, they heard the phone recording, they hear the announcer noise in the background, which, right. if you remember, they had to, like, they said, dial down <laughs> all this stuff, you know. And, and I want to High-tech yeah. 1993, they got down and just, wait, we just want to hear this part. To be fair, though, an elevated train does sound different than a train running it does. along the ground. I, yeah. I agree with that. And being a sound guy, I can definitely agree with that sentiment. But I can also tell you that even in 93, there were gear that would allow you to isolate pieces of audio. Mm-hmm. Was there the ability to isolate it that much down to rip out someone else's voice? Not nearly that fast. Right. It just, I doubt it very seriously they had it in the marshal's office. They had to send it to the <laughs> FBI crime lab. Yeah, right. yeah. It would take was, six months to get right, it back. Exactly. Right. That yeah. was fairly good creative writing. Oh, yeah. Yes. It, not only was it good too. creative writing, I love the little pieces of deduction that, while definitely not super real world, add to the storytelling and propel the pace. Thumbs up. Right. I like that a yeah, lot. Yeah, we're hoping that we can get some of that equipment pretty soon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Instantly take things from six weeks down to three and a half hours. Yeah, I'll do that. What happens to Dr. Richard Kimball's stuff? 
what I'm referring to here, and it's something I, I I don't know, I didn't think about it inside of other things, but like, okay, Richard Kimball's wife is murdered. A jury of his peers finds him guilty, and he is sent to prison where he'll spend the rest of his natural life, blah. What happens to Richard's stuff? What 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 in general are the legal processes? What, what of stuff that? are you referring to? So like his ho- everything in his house goes so, to his family. Yeah, I so mean, his he still owns it. Right. Yeah. So his wife's I mean, family the only probably thing sues, that, and he then they they're going to get all the stuff because he killed her. There may be a number of things within an apartment that are kept for evidentiary purposes, and it's got to be kept all the way through appeal stages. Right. He hadn't gone through appeal stages yet, mm. at, at least. That we Probably can see or discern, right. right? Yeah, you know, well. and so you know the phones, any weapons, anything like that that might be used. In, but as far as his personal belongings, they still belong to him, right? I okay. mean, you know, if it's his house, yeah. you know, he's probably got an attorney taking care of those personal matters. Okay, uh, I, it was just a, whatever. You know. uh, and then what about when he's exonerated? Does it just then eventually all get given back to? Well, him? there's there's yeah, been a lot of cases yeah. of people that were convicted, sent away for 10, 15 years. <laughs> And later exonerated, and that's why you see major money payouts. Yeah, right? he wouldn't yeah. get his stuff back. I mean, things that were taken from from his apartment that were evidence of a crime, they're not coming back because now you got a murderer who's arrested in the movie, of course, and that stuff's going to be used against him. Right. Yeah. And that's has to he be may kept not forever. be he may not I mean, be able to get that house back for a length of time because it's a crime scene. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And again, it's a question I I know at some point someone would have asked, and now we have the answers. Again, walking around as you see fit in a hospital slash secure area. And the roller skating guy. You ever seen people roller skating? (laughs) You know, got this medical tray and all this stuff on here. Roller skates rolling. Yeah, Yeah. that's very well said. I wanted to make sure we address that too. (laughs) Some of the things you'll never see in a hospital, I vote for roller skating. I don't think so. And I don't think a doctor is going to have the janitor take care of some patient. That just <laughs> right. Yeah, you're talking about medical liability. Yeah. Right? Would you hey, mind going in a room and closing the door room. quick? Yeah. yeah. Right. I don't think so. Oh yeah. A very interesting thing about that is the doctor who told the janitor Kimball to take this patient. Blah blah. blah. He's looking at his medical records or his X-rays. He's going down, and she confronts him about it, and says about reading the x-rays what are you doing in your spare time brain surgery he actually was right yeah <laughs> right yeah yeah. Awesome. yeah yeah well vascular but yeah. i mean it's uh, he did brain surgery he was a brain surgeon too time for your favorite fake id story we have to start with tommy fake id story yep we had a few years ago because i'm right near the border indiana indiana went to ids that were a single piece what you would now see as a driver's license is normal in most states. Mm-hmm. Illinois had a paper inside of laminated plastic with a physical picture inside. In fact, some IDs in Illinois are still done that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, explosive licenses, things like that are still done that way in Illinois. And because Indiana was going to a one-piece ID quicker, we had a whole bunch of people that were getting fake Indiana IDs that were printed out. And we had a big rash of these Indiana driver's licenses, people would get an ID and they'd pass it off. And I remember we actually would always get, you'd almost always tell if you had an Indiana driver's license, you're like, that's fake. And we'd yeah. run into yeah. those all the time. And you, the only way to tell is you could you could turn it a little bit in an, a real Indiana ID, even though it's one piece, <laughs> it has a hologram in it. Mm-hmm. So if you turn it a little bit, you could see the shimmer of the hologram and see if it was real or not. And in the fake ones, we just print it on. But at, at arm's length, if somebody like opened their wallet and showed it to you, you wouldn't be able to tell the Indiscernible. difference. Indiscernible. Yeah. Rick, what do you got? 
Well, this I got to tell you this story because this is actually funny. This is not actually wait a, a funny story from where? This what? is not actually a fake ID, but it's a fake ID. He he actually. <laughs> this was a case that actually That's so real. Was, then you're going to have to help me. This now. is a real thing. This was actually a 60 minute documentary oh, thing. Wow. If you might remember this, okay. In California, there was a an, an older gentleman who was arrested for impersonation of a doctor. He was the medical director of a medical facility in the Los Angeles area. Mm -hmm. He was convicted for practicing without a license. He was doing surgery on people. And how he got in trouble was, is he was in an anesthesiologist. Actually, the guy died, the, the, the patient they were working on. And it's the unorthodox procedures that this doctor supposedly was doing and he you know anesthesiologist starts the investigation he's an fbi investigation now this doctor was a medical director he had done physicals on over 200 fbi agents wow medical physicals so this guy gets convicted he goes to federal prison it's a big 60 minutes thing you can probably google that information well he gets transferred from i think it was lompoc if i'm not it was in the camp out there. He gets transferred to the Marion Federal Prison Camp. Now, when they get a transfer like that, they get a bus ticket. They're on their own. It's a minimum of security. And he gets on a bus. He's, he has to get on a bus at this particular time, and he has so many days to report, and he has to report by a certain time. And if he's not there, then it's escape. We get notified. So we get notified. I initiate the, the fugitive investigation try to catch him. And working with, because he's not in Illinois, but the jurisdiction lies with us because the escape took place when he didn't show up on our end, not he went haywire out there. So this guy is back. When we actually caught him in L.A., he was back working as a doctor with all these fake IDs that look real and everything. He would gotten a job as the director of a medical facility in L.A. and was back practicing as a doctor. Now, this guy looked every bit of just your regular family doctor. He knew the language. He, he had self-studied medical procedures. He was actually a trained pharmacist, went to the Chicago School of Pharmacy or something like that. And, you know. It was it was kind of funny. The judge who had to sentence him, Judge Gilbert, said, I've been having this problem. My bag started talking to him, you know. And the guy was trying to tell the the judge when he was sentencing him to prison for doing all this. So that's my fake ID story. Wow. I've seen all <laughs> kinds amazing. of fake IDs. But, I mean, this has actually took place. This guy, and I mean, you know, and, and it's amazing. Some of the things, you're out here in the middle of the Midwest, nothing ever happens in Benton, Illinois. But you just happen to have USP Marion down the road. And you get involved in all this kind of stuff. Wow. Wow. Pat, what do you got? I can't top that. I'm, I'm done. <laughs> Chris, anything? We had a case where uh, it wasn't necessarily a fake ID, but uh, we had a uh, came out that he had robbed a gas station. Um, it really didn't. What happened was he went to the gas station and he had a, uh, a cordless phone. He, he needed to use the phone. And he ran out the door with the cordless phone. This was out at venue. Mm -hmm. Took off in the car and somehow came out of some armed robbery at the gas station. Anyway, we find this guy. We chase him. Down the highway, he uh, he goes off the road. I patrols there. They get him out of the car. We get him cuffed, and we start asking him to identify himself. Well, he presents a passport, and it's of a woman. And we said, "Hey, that's not you." So he presents another passport, and it's of some somebody else. And we're like, "That doesn't look like you either." <laughs> so I think we get to about the third passport. Eventually, 
we took him back to the station and found out that he was uh, some kind of drug mule from, uh, I don't know, over, overseas. He was from Russia, I think, and discovered that he had murdered these people back in Russia, uh, turned them over to ICE, and they shipped them back. So that was how festive that was awesome. yeah yeah so that was my that's my Chris up, with the feel uplifting, good story. What uplifting, uplifting story uplifting that was wasn't it so yeah fake id uh, maybe i don't know i don't know if he faked him we don't think so using a fake ID, that, was, that works it's yeah. it's in the cone it's oh, it's in the general right. cone i got i got one yeah i stop a car one day normal moving violation guy blew a stop sign or something i don't honestly remember what it was i get behind the car it's a tan buick saber that's that's a lot of cause right there all on its own for anybody that's been a cop. <laughs> this is Tan Buick Saber, and on the back it's got a license plate, and I couldn't identify what the plate was, so I gave it out. It was like 10 digits long. I gave it to dispatch, and I said, you know, it, I don't know what type of specialty plate this is, but it's something. Start running it, and they'll run it through all 50 states, and they'll start working on what it is. As you get closer to the car, it says, Moore Science Temple of the Republic of Illinois, of the County of District of blah, 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 at the bottom. So... I read this off to him. I was like, I'm pretty sure this isn't real. Temple. Yeah, the Moorish Science yeah. Temple. Yep. So I get up to the window of the car, and the guy has a Moorish Science Temple li- uh, driver's license. His name was Bay. Bay, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> we had a whole a whole stream of these guys running around, but this one had everything. All the documentation, top to bottom. License plate, insurance, passport, driver's license, a Republic of the State of Illinois ID. Mm-hmm. That was all issued by this day. this thing. science temple thing. Yep. So this, then he hands me this stack of paperwork about and this is I we didn't know about this up by me. Hands me a stack of paperwork, bunch of mumbo jumbo about UN resolutions. I was like, I don't know about no UN resolutions. I'm just some flatfoot from Chicago, so you're out of <laughs> luck with that. What's your real name? We end up locking him up and bringing him into the station, and he calls the Archbishop of the Moorish Science Temple. Right. That we get on the phone, I was like, I don't care. That's you. The Archbishop can come down here and explain this. Then right. tell, try and tell me that he's got diplomatic immunity because yeah. the Archb- yeah. Archbishop from the embassy, the Moorish embassy. So long story short, we get all the way done with all of this. I find out what his real name is because I do an ID print on him. Luckily, I clear that we have in Illinois is pretty good with that. He had been locked a bunch of times before. Revoke license. ID print him. Write him his tickets to his name. Hand it to him. Kick him out the door. Three weeks later, I get a warrant for my arrest from the Moorish Science Temple <laughs> Embassy Police Department. Right, right, yep. And it had a phone number on it. I couldn't resist. I called the number, and I spoke with the chief deputy of the Moorish Science Temple Sheriff's Department, which was different than the police department that issued warrants, even though police departments don't issue warrants. The courts do. And I told him that he could come into the police station anytime he wanted to come pick me up, as long as I could bring enough overtime slips with me to cover the time that I'd be away from work. And I never heard back from them again. Right. Oh, I can't imagine that. Why wouldn't you, why didn't you hear back from them? But he had everything. And to, that, that to someone amazing. who had never seen it before, it took me a good 10 minutes oh, to figure yeah. out it what he's even tries talking to about. overwhelm you. They're just piles of, yep. here's, well, here's my consulate ID. Right. And I'm like, God, it's the Moorish. Where is, where is this at? Yeah, sovereign citizen. Yeah, yeah we, had, we, had a case, we had a case that went to circuit court, um, and it was, over a, uh, it was over parking tickets. It was a few parking tickets, and... Uh, he got in. He, the suspect got in there, and he was defending himself, which is always a good idea. He told us his outlook was. I mean, his cross examination was basically: Do you uphold the Constitution, you know, United States Constitution? Do you uphold the 
Constitution of the state of Missouri. Yes, yes, that was it. That was his entire defense. And then proceeded to tell the judge he didn't recognize her authority. And that went Always bad. another great move. That went bad. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So. They like when you do that, judges. Yeah. <laughs> All of them do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I gotta are... I gotta talk about this since Go I, yep. I, I it piqued my interest because I was the lead investigator on this case, but you know it's a long time ago, so you don't remember all this stuff. This guy's name was Gerald Barnes. His real name was Gerald Barnum. But I, I want to read this as part of it. He was he has a long record. He was 70 years old at this time. But it says, in 1996, Barnes pleaded guilty to federal charges related to his ongoing impersonation of a physician. Prior to his arrest by federal agents, these were FBI, and he had done physicals the on physical, the physical over 200 right. FBI agents. Well. And a lot of them are thinking, you know what that doctor did? And he did when he was a doctor. Anyway, Barnes had been employed as the medical director of Executive Health Group, a Los Angeles clinic with a client list that included the Federal Reserve Bank, the FBI, and a number of major corporations. As a result of this conviction, Barnes was sentenced to 12 and a half years imprisonment. In August 2000, Barnes escaped from federal custody while being transferred from a federal prison in Taft, California, to one in Marin, Illinois. He immediately returned to Los Angeles, resumed the identity of Dr. Barnes, and obtained employment as a physician with the Family Medical Center, a clinic with offices in Los Angeles and North Hollywood. Barnes continued working as a doctor, earning a salary of $10,000 per month until he was arrested by United States Marshals on August 27, 2000. Barnes was subsequently prosecuted in Illinois on federal escape charges, which resulted in a -a two-and-a-half-year sentence. And you know what was amazing to me? I mean, here's a guy that was so good at phony identification. We call that identity theft in today's world. We didn't have that binocular. Mm -hmm. You know, he had phony documents that he walks right in. He becomes the medical director of another medical facility while he's a fugitive getting $10,000 a month. And it took me and the deputy in California, I forget exactly how long it took us until we were able to find him. But we found him back in that medical facility with his white coat on, being a doctor. Oh, and the guy never was a doctor. He was a pharmacist trained. Amazing. And, again, these stories are the ones that I love to share with people because you that don't typically get That should actually be a movie. Hollywood. It right. should. Yeah, no kidding. And I, I don't understand that why that hasn't been I'm found I'm not yet. so yeah. sure that that hasn't been involved in what, some kind of movie because it, 60 Minutes did a documentary. Yeah, it definitely movie. reminds me of a – I don't know if you guys remember the show. It was called The Pretender. Yeah, and the pretender is where he walks into professionals' lives, like any of us sitting, any of us sitting at this table right here, and they just he he absorbs the knowledge and that whole thing of confidence swagger, and he instantly involves himself in someone's life and just picks up the skill set. I was in the courtroom standing behind him, and it was so funny. I got a I got a district judge who has back problems, and he was he thought it was so funny because this guy looked like the doctor you can invite everything in. <laughs> and, and Judge Gilbert was talking to this guy about you know his bad back, and this guy's diagnosing his back as the judge is sentencing him to prison for. <laughs> I mean, it's like only in Hollywood with this, but it was real life. It was story. perfect. It was real life perfect. story. Perfect. The entire hunt for knowledge and the one-armed man montage is a perfect teeter-totter. Again, montage using flashback and what you see now is usually a storyline for death inside of storytelling. And inside of this movie, they're able to use it wonderfully as a teeter-totter of what is happening inside the story to also run between a variety of different characters and things going on. And it's all seamless. 
I don't know many movies and or television shows that are able to pull something like this off, and I wanted to make sure that we mentioned it. You think back to the TV series, it was always that actor always looking for the one-armed man going from town to town to town to town. In this particular scene, they actually twist that to where they do have the one-armed man, but the storyline is this guy's an ex-cop who lost his arm in the line of duty, right. who is involved with a Big an ongoing pharma. criminal right. enterprise, right. Mm-hmm. basically a RICO going on here, and he's the actual muscle man for these people. Who, you know, it's kind of put that twist on it, which I don't think that was part of the the storyline in the actual TV show. Well, it, it definitely wasn't. Sure. And the, the other thing that was great about the television show is that it essentially is the Incredible Hulk television show mm-hmm. without mm-hmm. the Hulk. <clears throat> yeah. You have Jack McGee chasing David Banner right. inside of the series, and then yeah. we've got him walking next to a, a set of train tracks to the next episode. Right. Yeah. It's exactly the same thing in why it's endearing. Would there be an alert about ambulances potentially being stolen and alterations to protocols issued because of it. So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I would think. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, present, yeah. present day. Yeah. yeah. The fugitive that I talked about escaping from the Franklin County Jail, mm-hmm. we put the word out to all Southern Old Departments. I want to know immediately be notified and immediately in my terminology and some departments terminology <laughs> had two different meanings. Uh because it was like a day late, but I, I want to know if bicycles are stolen, cars stolen, anything stolen. Here right. you got an ambulance stolen. Right. Obviously, yeah. that's a major concern by because a that's a public safety. Yeah, yeah. yeah you got an ambulance you got a public stolen by a murder. Thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Some policies who, who is, are going to change. Who's a doctor with some knowledge? Right. You know, right. That's, yeah. that's right. terrible. I know in the Chicago area, if, if an ambulance, they knew an ambulance was stolen and somebody was getting away with it, it would be put over what we have here is Isburn, which is the Illinois State Police Radio Network, and that would go out to every car other than Chicago proper, and they get it dispatched, a repeat of the dispatch over their band called Citywide. That would be told to everybody. Yeah, everybody our, would be looking for that ambulance. Yep. You'd know the ambulance, what ambulance number it is, what company it's from, mm-hmm. what it looks like, mm-hmm. and it would all be broadcast so that you'd have all of all District Chicago looking for it, every municipality, all the right. railroad police, everybody be looking for it, and they'd rebroadcast it into northwest Indiana and the, the surrounding collar counties. And for something like this, they'd probably go statewide. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you talk about protocols being changed because of it. I can see that happening. Oh, yeah. You know, like law enforcement, because of the electronic equipment is within a police car, and, even, you know, they have the mechanism by which to override. The car stays running, but yet you can't move it. Right. You can't get in it and take off just because the motor's running. And ambulances can be done that way, I'm sure. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you, nothing that would stop your you policies that. and protocols are going to be rewritten. That that Absolutely. hospital is going to get crucified yeah. when the media picks up that they, because of their Negligence. lax policy, yeah. mm-hmm. a murderer got yeah, away in one of their ambulances. Yeah, privately owned they're gonna, ambulance, somebody's going to get talking to the driver why he left the keys. And, right. Oh, yeah. yeah. The yeah. media will just make Beat hay with it. Oh, yeah. How about that for a Polish South Side accent? <laughs> Tommy, I'm certain you want to chime in. Dead on. Absolutely dead on for the the, the mid-50s Polish mother and, on the and, south side. And I will confirm that. <laughs> dead because on. Because I, yeah. I had at least a dozen friends that had that same accent. It's awesome. that They went to that length. Whether they did it accidentally or not is just awesome. And again, total thumbs up. Another note to Hollywood. The tip of your pen from your pocket isn't appropriate for handling evidence. Any comments? I will say it was the 90s, so anything is possible. I agree. Fair? Sure. 
it wouldn't really even shock me today. Right, yeah. I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah. I would be upset about it, right. but I wouldn't be shocked. Like but, I said, when you're doing a fugitive investigation, you're looking for things you're not... Yeah, it it's might a not little be bit different. evidence. Right. I mean, you don't want to touch anything that, that might be an evidentiary thing, and pen's just kind of moving. Like he used his pen like I would do here, just separating the pictures rather than touching the pictures. You don't want your fingerprints on it yet. You know, but so. is that is that evidence of a crime... Or are we looking for the individual? With. Yeah, that right. they're going to charge right. him with. If no, it is, it, then yeah, handling would not be appropriate. But like what he's saying, hey, if that doesn't help me apprehend him quickly, I don't care. It's not evidence. Right. And then, Pat, three, four and a half minute fingerprint check on every single picture there. Pretty much real life, right? Right, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not going to happen. Sure. Showcasing integrity while at the center of diversity is always a winning combination. Something that Chris and I have talked about beyond just integrity is that being able to showcase that, especially when everything has gone sideways, Mm -hmm. is easily one of the most endearing pieces of storytelling that you can throw inside of any story. I agree. doesn't matter where you see it. It doesn't matter what kind of movie you're watching. The instant you take those two things and put it together, you are introducing pieces of storytelling that will be endearing, period, paragraph. Right. Would any of you peel the picture from the forged ID? Around the table quickly, Chris? No. Pat? No. Mr. Tommy? If the there's one, a donut gets, under it, you'd get it. When, when he gets from the yeah. from the doctor at the hospital? Yeah, this is where Sam grabs the badge that's been found, and he goes, oh, and he finds Juan really, Valdez's yeah. photograph if underneath. It, if it looked like it was a real ID that he had just taped a picture to, I would. Okay. Because I'd be worried about the person whose ID that was. Ah, okay. Rick? I probably would not do it there. There's a, there's a place to do that, and... It should be, obviously, that is a piece of evidence, and it should be appropriately packaged and done. And I mean, to just pick it up and go, hey, look at here. Right. 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 I don't think it's an egregious thing. Right. But But if you had the opportunity and you knew and you were thinking, yeah, I wouldn't wouldn't do it like you did. Okay. Stair stepping in storytelling, finding out ways to the prosthetic division in Cook County Hospital. This I love. This has all the hallmarks of storytelling inside of anything that I would be watching ever that makes me instantly more interested at all in what's being shared. It takes bits of storytelling that I would have never thought of. Would you think to go and look inside the prosthetics division to go and find the one-armed man that murdered my wife? No, that's that, was, that me? was brilliant writing. Yeah, it made him look like, you know, that's the he's the brilliant doctor. He's thinking all this stuff through, you know. And like that's, I said, don't, thing. don't just say it. Show it. Show yeah. it. And they did it. Yeah. And not only did they show it. I mean, the only thing I looked at is how many hospitals actually have a department like that where they make prosthetics. Right. You know. And, and they tried to explain that, you know, him yeah. – him, being in the medical digging. field, yeah. right, and digging, right. and mm-hmm. they didn't just, you know, have him haphazardly come yeah. across it. The, the other thing that this whole montage and series of things that are showcased, it shows that they ride the edge of where this is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. This guy is doing this before the Internet was actually around Internet-type searches right. on, on stuff, and it doesn't make much sense. They just rode that edge so that every single bit makes sense. There's right. enough phone calls made. The uh, phone calls to the dead people instantly work. The only time that it accidentally balanced and went way over the edge is when he walks inside the prison. Walking inside the prison, now we're taking what was maybe, what, 30 eyes previously into at least 100 eyes when you're walking into a prison slash jail facility. And so the last guy to watch him walking out is the one that kind of makes the connection. 
Yeah, we'll ride the we'll ride the wave because we've ridden the wave this far. The guy did a Peter Pan off of a dam. Right. So let's just take the pill and, and watch it. So right. that absolutely works. Tommy, why don't they dye the water in Chicago land blue regularly? I think this is the most stolen joke ever. Really? Because it was That's in not this why movie. I used it, I swear. But it was but dyed green. Because yeah. they dye it green once a year. Right. But it pretty well, much stays that color year round. But that not, not that color green, but it's green year round. Anyway. It's like booger green, dude. It's it's, it's bad. It's, it's mossy green. green. If if you fall in the Chicago River, they tell you to go to the like shower and then go to the hospital and get checked for everything. Yeah. It's that bad. <laughs> yeah. It's basically an open sewer. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. It's terrible. It would be nice if they dyed it blue. Anyway, why? Why is there not a budget constraint for dyeing the water blue? We're it's too Illinois. busy. Yeah, we're too busy dealing with other things. <laughs> right. like the fact that, they don't have guns. We yeah. don't. You know, we don't have we don't have the budget to do anything else. So right. why would anybody die the water? Right. Yeah. Okay. Did you know that there was a gate closure function inside the in and out doors of City Hall? Have you been inside that building, Tommy? I haven't been inside Chicago City Hall in a very very long time. Okay. It would it would really surprise me if there was that if there was a bulletproof gate to keep people. In City Hall. Yeah. My dad worked in the Milwaukee County Courthouse for almost 20 years. And I don't think that there was a, like, push button and gates close function inside of it, like, ever. This, I think what they were trying to show would have been him going to Cook County Jail at 2600 California and visiting someone. Mm -hmm. And that facility just wouldn't, they wouldn't be able to have had that in that building. Right. Because the way it's laid out, it's so it's such an open air environment inside. You do have to go into a security through a security checkpoint, but then to go out, it's it's so open the scene would have looked silly hmm. had they shot it there. Mm. And the building's old enough, I'm pretty sure it looked that way in ninety three as well. well so I- they kinda had to do it and I'm sure they were shooting everything else downtown and it was easier to get Chicago City Hall shut down for a day than it was to get 26 well, in California. Especially when they money from right, yeah. someone in Hollywood. Yeah, right. Right. shut down for the day, but I've never seen that. I've never seen a gate system like that at any of... I haven't either. At any of the courthouses, either the major one at 26 in California or any of the surrounding suburban courthouses. Yeah, the one that, out here in St. Charles, it, it, it has what amounts to a, a, a an area portcullis, but there is nothing where there is a gate and now you're shut in or you're shut out. Right. I think the fire there marshal would have that. something to say about yeah, that, too. Yeah, no, I agree right. with that. So this is the scene where... He's fleeing from the courthouse, right? Right, and uh, the scene where he's he's running out the door, and Tommy Lee Jones takes what five, six, seven shots at him. And when we look back on that and we talk about use of force, I'll throw it out to you guys: justified? Not justified. I mean, you could articulate that he's a danger to the right, community the because he's seeing that murder suspect. Right. That's why I love having him here because. As a municipal cop, there's no way. I'm not taking that shot. I mean, I I can't articulate. I mean, he's, he's unarmed. He's running out the yeah, door. I, I, I mean, I want to stop him, but can I, I articulate an imminent shot. threat of life or serious physical injury? Now, can the U.S. Marshals do that? I mean, is there a different use well, of force or level of force? You wouldn't. I, I, you know, the only way, if you can justify that he is an imminent danger to the community. Right, and it has then, to be imminent. Then you could, you could do that, but... With him not having a weapon, okay. I mean, so it's the same. It's the same. You know, he's he's an individual. Use. Yeah, any individual could be a threat right. to the community. He's he's charged with a crime. He's escaped. Right. 
but you know if he had a, a gun or he had a hostage or or anything right it, it'd be that'd be hard to write right and let's okay. put it in perspective. I mean, he just keep he just empties his gun nearly right. on that right. door. The guy's got his foot caught in there. Yeah, right. I mean, it, it, instead of standing there shooting at him, run up there and grab a hold of his foot. Right. You know. <laughs> right. And let's put this in perspective. If it, the the guy got convicted of killing his wife. Right. Had this been Copeland, and Copeland had right. killed fourteen right. people. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And we knew if Copeland makes it out. Copeland's going to kill 25 right. more people. Right. Yeah, that's different. Then, yeah, they're, then a they're better argument make, could be made for this. Correct. Right. I agree. This whole but, scenario is he's killed his wife over what? Money? They don't know. But I yeah. mean, that's right. that's yeah. what the right. assumption yeah. is. Yeah. But, right. You know, it's yeah, her right. money, it not insurance, yeah. Right. Yeah, insurance, insurance money. Yeah, right. So, yeah, he's he's done that. But he's, you know, he's not like a bank robber that's killed a dozen people. Right. He's like not this running Copeland out of the door with a shotgun in his hand or something. Is he danger to the community? Yes. But. With him being unarmed, he's fleeing, uh, you, and you're shooting in an open courthouse. Right. And, uh, that's just not going. That's yeah. that's Hollywood. Yeah. And well, a couple what, months prior, he was out on bond. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. released him. Yeah. Well, I think he he was taken into custody when he was sentenced. Correct. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, what I will say though is that the cat and mouse game that's showcased inside of the general courthouse slash leaving portion, mm-hmm. all of that is just exquisite. It, it, it is the the, uh, the storytelling that's used there. Yeah. It, even though a couple of them are kind of the, I'm not looking just like it was, I'm looking in the right direction and then something cool happens. Yeah. Well, this is exactly the opposite where I'm looking yeah. in the wrong direction and something good happens. Yeah. I, again, the, um, the dichotomy of them using storytelling choices like that inside this movie, right. it, it just amps up the ability to, to, to tell the story effectively. It's really well done. Yeah. I, I mean, I just want to point out reality you know, as far as use of force, I mean, hey, we're here in Missouri. Everybody gets to carry a gun, you know, constitutional carry. And that's just not, that's just not a reality as far as an appropriate use of force. It's not a justified use of force. Right. I agree. E- even being so far back in, in, in history here, that we still had use of force. And it's a little bit different. It's been kind of been rewritten, updated, revised in the last right. several years with the amount of attention we've had with police shootings right. and things in this country. But still... I mean, you're taking a big risk. Huge. Shooting somebody like that. Isn't a felon loose in a parade a nightmare scenario? It's Illinois. We have felons loose in parades all the right. time. That's they, they have it. They yeah, have right. an actual they're parade. 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 Yeah, they a, have an actual a, parade right. for the felons. It's a felon, par- <laughs> it's a felon parade. parade. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, you think that? about that. Half that, the politicians that, are felons. With, <laughs> right. That, par- <laughs> that parade. Just think about it. That parade took place just moments after the shooting incident we just talked about right yeah well are they going to get into shooting out there yeah Yeah. right but (laughs) then again i mean chicago has what how many three thousand shootings a you know year or whatever it is or they're up to what three or four thousand shootings i think it's three or four thousand every hour isn't it tommy but it's pretty high it's something crazy it's It's something crazy it's ridiculous yeah Yeah. it's a lot and i don't think it's i think it's more than three thousand a year is it yeah crazy yeah which of you has rocked a ponytail. Chris. No. I mean, no. I would. If I could grow hair, I'd do it. <laughs> Definitely. Pat? No. Never really? No. Wow. Tommy? No, this is pretty much the only way my hair looks like hair, is yeah. if I just buzz it all the way down. All right. Well, it's got to be so. Rick then. Rick's rocked the ponytail. Well, yeah? I got... You, know, yeah. you could do it, yeah. <laughs> I did two covert assignments when oh, I was in Army City. You got to grow a ponytail with. Hey, that. believe it. Get this. <laughs> you got to do it. You're talking about. I did six months as a prisoner in an army confinement facility. Oh wow! As a covert CID. That's awesome. And then I did four months. I went home 
to my home in Arkansas for three months nearly to let my hair and beard grow down. And I went back to Fort Riley, Kansas, working as a carpenter's helper and facility engineers, and I grew me a ponytail, and I was riding my motorcycle. I got pictures of that today. My kids go, I had this hat, like black jack hat. You know, remember that guy? And yeah, yeah. Had this big, woolly, dark beard. Now oh, it's all gray. Awesome. That Good is man. awesome. Good I was man. so ready to I just did. have I, I, I had, uh, it wasn't a long ponytail. Uh, it's, it's longer than any of us have Now had. I can't so, stand hey, it. My you're like a commercial for like, law enforcement. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I was a, I was... 19, 20, something. That's good. That is awesome. That is awesome. Again, I was I was looking so forward to this. I actually, no, 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 no. I actually went oh. home to Arkansas, and I had that long hair and, and a little ponytail sticking about like that or whatever it was. There you go. And I took my dad, and we went over to Blyville Air Force Base. I was going to take him to the PX. And I didn't even think anything about it because, you know, I didn't have my CID credentials yet. Those are controlled items, not like everybody gets a badge. You, and I have my green ID card military armed forces card and i went into px and the sps came and got me <laughs> security police they thought i was an awol i got reported as being an awol i mean they the i had a little chat with them of who i was they had to make they a believe phone you? call and verify they believe you well they didn't believe you well they 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 didn't believe you. they didn't believe me it's the reason they called <laughs> they called the my uh uh, command sergeant major that was in charge yeah. of me in that operation yeah. they called bob and uh oh that is awesome i just i, I love this i love the diversity <laughs> and the perspectives of this <laughs> show it's just but awesome. i did have a ponytail at one time that is awesome does the tie to big pharma work chris yes i think so it rounded out the explanation i mean i loved how they tied that in so you know i think it was good writing mm-hmm. pat I think it worked, but I'm, I don't know if I can take the jump of the decorated cop loses his arm, and all of a sudden he's the the hitman for this pharmaceutical. I don't know. I don't. I think it might be a leap. I don't know. Maybe one of the compounds that they were trying to sell was to grow a new arm. Yeah, I'm not sure. If they'd added that, know. would you be there? Yeah, probably not. Probably no. not, Tommy. <laughs> it makes sense, and I like the fact that that started off with Kimball. They they thought he had killed his wife over money. Mm-hmm. And it ends up that someone else killed her over money. Fair, Rick. Yeah, I mean they 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 didn't necessarily kill her over money, did they? They killed. They ended up killing they, her because they, they wanted to kill her, him. right? Because he was going to expose the fraud that they were doing with this Provazic, this yeah. drug that wasn't working. In fact, it was doing liver damage, and he had found that out in a surgery. Because it's one of those going back. That you talked about the mm-hmm. flashbacks. They go, mm-hmm. Flashback. They go mm-hmm. back there to where he found this out, in in a surgery. And of course, it was being seen by this this big pharmaceutical company, which I guess the guy was ahead of the board of directors ends up being his buddy there, right. you know, that and stuff. And then, and and this cop who lost his arm, and you know what does security for all the big execs? He says, and uh, he ends up being. The hitman, he kills everybody because everybody seemed like they was getting killed. The one doctor that they were looking for mm-hmm. dies in, you know, an automobile accident up in Chicago. I mean, that probably could happen up there. Yeah, it was very interesting. And it again, is the way it tied in together. Yeah, I'm not traditionally a big fan of involving big pharma in anything because more often than not, it becomes a pseudo rabbit hunt for conspiracy theories. In general, I'm not a big fan of that, especially inside of a movie like this where you're trying to take some semblance of reality and pepper an audience with it. But it works perfectly here. The most important part is something that Tommy alluded to, which is the 
I was going to kill the doctor. He wasn't home. The wife was there. I had to murder her. My murder of the doctor didn't go well. He grabbed my arm. I was able to leave, and I didn't end up killing him, but I left and got away. You know, I like the accidental nature of that because it makes it way more of the crime piece. And it also gives the question mark of, was there ever really a one-armed guy? Right. I, it, because I love it, all it, that. Because it seems, it seems too unbelievable. Right. Just like, just like the crime that we kind of talked about in the beginning of McDonald. You know, yeah. McDonald was a suspect. Mm-hmm. You know, hippies came in and killed my entire family. That was just so unbelievable. We, we, we have so many stories that are around us nowadays, especially inside of criminal investigation stuff. Right. Here's the story being told, and then there is a spike of something that is just so outrageous right? that you go, oh, okay, I, I, I can compute what the words that are coming out of your mouth, but I can't put that with the story you've told us and what the outcome was, and it doesn't make any sense. And then we find out that it doesn't make any sense, but that's what happened. And those pieces of storytelling, I think, are incredibly valuable, and I think that's what some what's showcased here. Did you already know that Nichols was involved, Chris? I didn't. Now you know when I uh, when I rewatched it, yeah, because I've seen it well, before. Duh, but I've seen it before. Yeah. Memory's not right. that bad. Thanks, <laughs> right. Chief. It's not that bad. But no, when I initially watched it, I didn't. I think that that's always a good mark of a good movie. Mm-hmm. If they can trick me, you know. And I like the relationship I that they showcase with him too. There, mm-hmm. I, I don't feel, even as they get towards the end, there's nothing smarmy where you go, hey, look, a mole. Because well, we've talked about well, shows in right. Memorial. Well, they yeah. where they the really mole. threw me because he was covering up for him. Yeah. And he was doing it and, well. And appropriately, right. right. Yes, absolutely. He was doing keeping, it well. Keeping himself out of the cone of viability for blame, uh, keeping out of the realm of blame for harboring, all right. that. He's doing it all appropriately, Pat. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That's what I was saying. I was going to say that you don't even really suspect him because he's the one always kind of covering for him, you know, so... That's why yeah, I didn't really... What I also love, too, there's a piece of misdirection that's used inside the storytelling where he goes, yes, I just saw him. I saw him outside right. at the club. Yeah. I saw him. And again, that jerking of the wheel inside of the storytelling is so much fun, especially when you get to watch Tommy Lee Jones and Joe Pentaleone react to it. That reaction of the two of them is one of the biggest gems of the entire film. And it's such a nothing moment. Yeah. It's just kind of a... It's an accidental line from from Nichols, but it is so impactful. Tommy, I, I didn't know, and it had me. I I was fairly fooled that Nichols was just a friend of his, especially when he they're trying to get him for illicit information from him about where he could be, and Nichols goes, "Well, you're not going to find him. He's too smart." Right. Yeah, Rick. Well, you know, I didn't suspect Nichols at first, but you know, he seemed kind of smart with the agents of the deputies particularly in that scene in that segment you were talking about a while ago where he said oh i just, I gave just him, saw him. i just gave him the money, money out of me. my pocket mm-hmm. and and i'd do it again you know right then <laughs> you get a lesson you, you somebody's better be reading you the harboring statute because what you just you just admitted that you you you're going to help him and that's obstruction of justice yeah he could have actually been arrested there mm. had been up to assistant u.s attorney to make it stick but you could have done it in order to, because you know he's had contact with him. How did he have contact with him? Where did you see him? You know, blah, 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 any any number of questions. But he says, hey, I, I, I helped him, and I'll help him again. Yeah, no, v- very no. interesting storytelling. And, again, it, it's the perfect choice to have the uncover just at the end. And it's something that so many movies don't do. 
there's two or three movies that I've seen in the last I don't know six months. But you got to think about it. he's he he may be the, looking at the doctor and, and thinking about I'm giving these guys. I mean, he could have said, "Hey, I ain't seen him." Right. He said, "Yeah, I just saw him a while ago because he's feeding. He wants him to catch this guy. Right. Right. He yeah. is. I mean, he's behind the. I don't know whether or not the intention was to kill the wife in the beginning. That may have just happened because." He went there wrong to place, kill the doctor, and yeah, she I, just happened to be there. Yeah, I, I got to kill her place. now because she saw me. Yeah, I think it's wrong Type place, wrong time. I don't know. I don't, I, think, I, the, I don't, I don't I, think the intention was to kill the wife at all. I think that toward the end, I mean, the, what I was getting from Nichols is I don't know if he wanted him caught. I think he wanted him dead. Yeah. Because if they caught him, then he, he didn't know how Yeah, he didn't know yeah. how much he knew. Yeah. And but, he knew he knew who he was that, going to be visiting. I mean, he t- he tells him to go to Bones. I'll call Bones and tell him to get you anything you want. Right. Okay. Right. Well, now what? Yeah. So, it, was, it was it was a good it was a good yeah. puzzle. He's feeding them, you know, yeah. information yeah. that gives them gets the trail to where he can catch him. Yeah. Where I was going previously was, I've seen so many movies in just the last six months where, I literally look at the screen and I go, "You got to be kidding me." Because it's so blatant and thinly written, there there's no veil at all. It's just, hey, look, I've got a black flag and I'm waving it. I'm bad. Right. Okay, well, yeah. I'm looking for something way more deep. You don't have to fool me, and you don't have to have the gotcha moment. Right. You know, I've but, done a number of investigations where I'm asking somebody, "Have you seen so and so?" And you guys have too. And and you know, here's somebody who, yeah, I've seen him. I gave him money. I'll do it again. No, you're not going to do that again. You know, that's obstruction of justice. You're going to jail, and that's, you know. Yeah, so. yeah, a very interesting call. The other thing that's cool there, too, is that Sam just goes, he kind of plays it by ear and wants to, wants to milk him for more information, which is awesome. But he also just lets it play because he knows that there's more storytelling he's going to get from him than turning him around and putting some cuffs on him, right? And Sam gave him a little gig there when he's talking about, you know, the picture on the wall of the of uh, the medical Fishing. yeah he said and, he, and he, the guy was talking about Nichols was talking about how smart Kimball was Tommy Lee goes he's smart as you are like he knows he's holding back information yeah and, and he throws that little yeah I, now I love the draw of information like that it's something that Tommy Lee Jones excels at yeah. right anytime you put him in that position inside of a role of just about anything you're gonna get gold out of it and, and obviously Hollywood knows that aren't you happy that Richard finds it out before we do this is something else that hollywood does not do where we find out that there's something bad typically before the hero or anti-hero finds out about it this was incredibly more satisfying can you imagine if imagine some of the the scenes are moved around inside the storytelling and you eventually find out that there's a phone call between andreas kutsalas who plays the one-armed man and nichols and now you know he's bad before Richard finds out, that would be terribly unsatisfying. Yeah, right. And Things so the, come together for Richard, and he and he, he finds out that his friend is behind all of this. Yeah, the facial expression it, that he has yeah, there right. is a, it's just gold. It's, yeah, that is yeah. Harrison Ford gold, where he doesn't have to say anything. I, I just uh, wasn't accidental. I love going back to watch other movies. I forget exactly. What was that? What was it that made him realize that Nichols had done it? What, I, it was the Can't liver samples. The, the, liver the liver samples. samples. Yeah. Goes back to visit the woman and finds they were, the liver samples. They were changed or something. Yeah, there's only two play. people that knew me and oh shit, mm-hmm. and that's yeah. that was it. That that was it. It's uh, like oh, I know now. Yeah. yeah, but I don't know at that point. Do you think he knew at that point that yeah. Nichols was behind the killing of his wife? He knows that he's wrapped in and how yeah. he wouldn't yeah, he's know. Think so. yeah. yeah, that's yeah. why he goes to confront so. him at the hotel. Yeah. yeah, if it was your wife, would you care? 
whether he was the one that did it or yeah, he was the yeah. one that was involved with it. I don't care. You know, I'd be he really knew pissed. At this point, <laughs> he knew at this point he'd been set up. Right. Yes. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And his friend, who he's confided in and went to see when he got back in Who has town, helped him. Who right. has helped, who's helped him, him is the one who's been instigating this all along. Yes. Yeah. Now, I, I, I loved all of that. Uh, I just recently went back and watched Witness. That's with Harrison great, Ford great and yeah, my yeah. God, is that yeah, a movie? That is a great movie. That one's got all kinds of terrible <clears throat> police officers in yeah. it as well. Right. But it, it, the storytelling inside of that propels you through all of it. It is wonderful. Does anyone do Weary Hero better than Harrison Ford? No. Regardless of what your favorite movie is of Harrison Ford, there's one thing that Harrison Ford will always be known, especially for me, for. And it is showcasing a weary, injured hero. Right. Regardless of what the property is. Yeah. My favorite probably is Indiana Jones. Right. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. I like the, what's the one where he's the president? Uh, uh, Air Force One. Yeah, Air Force I one. love that one. That the, one's a great show. Great movie. Yeah. The, the value of all of that is that he plays, I am not feeble, but damn, I'm hurt really right. well. Yep. And the, I think that where it comes out the most, and it's such an endearing moment for River Phoenix is inside of the third Indiana Jones film, where River Phoenix is approximating what Harrison Ford acts like. And River Phoenix was an adept actor enough to go and grab the physical gait that Harrison shows when he is this weary, injured hero. And he showcases it perfectly inside of everything that's inside of that initial train scene. Again, it's another one of the terrible tragedies of having someone like River Phoenix die way too soon is because not only was he a gifted actor, being able to grab general traits that are just physical traits by watching somebody, incredibly difficult to do inside of the realm of acting. It's not just something you go and grab, and it is a skill set, and River Phoenix showed that, but he showed it because inside of just about every single movie I can think of that's good for Harrison Ford, he showcases this weary, injured hero perfectly. It's spot on every time. My God, we're running super long. It's another Marathon Perspective review of 1993's The Fugitive. We will be right back. Editing podcasts can be, ugh, rough. Everyone knows that you'll spend at least double the time you use creating the podcast when editing it. Then there's the control freak factor and the gotta get it right the first time factor. And well, it's time to shove all that out the door and make your podcast soar with the editor core. The Editor Core is a talented, experienced team of podcast editors that have edited tens of thousands of hours of podcast content, and they're ready for yours now. Check out EditorCore.com because it's time to make your podcast soar. EditorCore.com. That's EditorCore.com. Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can. With perpetual advertising, here's how it works. Magazine, radio, and television ads are efforts that people might see or hear once, and then they're lost forever. Perpetual advertising provides you with the chance for repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, even years after it's originally inserted inside a podcast. So even if your advertising is included in a podcast years ago, those efforts are still impactful, providing you with true return on investment, real impact, thanks to perpetual advertising. Are you ready to change the way you and your company or organization advertises? 
Find out more and launch a unique perpetual advertising effort now by visiting twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors. Don't miss the next live free field training session online. Come and learn with Officer Tommy Model during his live capture featuring you. FreefieldTrainingPodcast.com. That's FreefieldTrainingPodcast.com. Do you remember the movie Code of Silence? If you don't, Chuck Norris wouldn't tolerate it, and you'd already be dead. <coughs> Check out the Perspective Review of 1985's Code of Silence, where we tell you what Hollywood got right, what Hollywood got wrong, and clearly, where Hollywood wanted to evoke Chuck Norris's wrath. Check it out now at WhatCopsWatch.com. That's WhatCopsWatch.com. Hi, I'm Chief Mike Force, and you're listening to WhatCopsWatch.com on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Everyone, welcome back to the Perspective Review of 1993's The Fugitive, directed by Andrew Davis, starring... Harrison Ford, Tommy Lee Jones, and a bunch of people that weren't yet famous. Every time we come back from break, it's time to turn tables and head towards the bad. <coughs> the bad is where we look at little pieces of the storytelling, something else that struck us inside of the story that ends up on the negative slate. We'll start off with Super Duper Chris. Chris, what do you got? Not too much in this film. The only thing that really stuck out to me was that scene where they were shooting at the guy as he was heading out the door. I, just, it, I thought it was, uh, like I said, we discussed it. I don't think it was an accurate depiction of use of force. Does that bother you more than shooting the shooting, shooting the, Copeland shooting the bad the guy through the next to him? Yeah. I, don't know, I think it's a toss-up. I didn't like. Mm. I didn't like either of the. Well, I won't say I didn't like either of the scenes. As far as a fictional action movie, it's okay. Okay. But as far as the depiction of reality, of uh, our profession, mm-hmm. maybe not so much. Okay. Pat, so. what do you got? Yeah, there's just a couple things. like We, we kind of already talked about some of the stuff, like the fingerprint stuff. They wouldn't get that stuff back that, that quickly. The His his uh, skin underneath their fingernails, they'd probably never know that. Um, just little really nitpicky things. I did Google what the average foot speed is, and it is not four, four miles, miles an, an hour. hour. It's really? 3.1. 3. <laughs> So Tommy, oh. Lee, Tommy Lee Jones was wrong on that, you know, by point nine, you know. So hey, when you have an ego that big, you can kind of just right. rattle so, off numbers, yeah, and people yeah. believe you, right, Chris? Absolutely. Right. Okay. Right. See, I mean that—that's all. I mean, like he said, as far as a fictional movie, it wasn't bad, but for some reason, I, I came into it thinking it was better than what I thought it was. I don't okay, know. and I want to probe that a little bit because there are other movies that have done the same thing for me. So one I was watching recently called Working Girl, also with Harrison Ford. Do you guys remember this one? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's a top executive, um, Don Johnson's former wife. Yeah, it yes. was, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, is the other is the female star inside of that film, and they have this repartee, and the movie begins and ends. And inside of that one, it's the same thing where I go, why did I really enjoy this movie when I first saw it? And now that I look at it as a 48-year-old man, I'm like, I... I don't know what I found endearing about this film. So I, that that always is present. Tommy, what do you got? There's nothing that I see particularly bad about the movie that doesn't make it a better story. Mm-hmm. There's some movies where the bad thing is thrown in there just to turn the audience in a particular way. Right. And I don't like when it's something that's stupid in the movie that's done for no really good reason. And in, in this, obviously, we can't get 
fingerprint evidence and DNA evidence back, but it's not going to be a great fugitive story if they're waiting six months to find that out. Totally agreed. Everything ends up pushing the the story further down the road so that we can we can get to the end of it. What I think is bad about this movie is that people who didn't live in Chicago in the 90s have no idea how good it is. Because if you didn't live in Chicago in the 90s, you have no idea that all of the newscasters in this movie were the actual newscasters that were living in Chicago. Oh, wow. When they talk to reporters, mm-hmm. I'm watching the movie, says, that lady looks really familiar. That guy looks really familiar. And I realize that guy's 50 now and he's still on TV. Mm-hmm. All of them, when I look back, all of the newscasters in that movie are actual newscasters from the city of Chicago, from major networks. I dig that. that. took time away to do this movie. And it's something that, for a movie that did, what do we say, 300 and something million dollars worldwide, mm-hmm. the vast, overwhelming majority of people that watched it have no idea that they went and paid the newscasters from Chicago to be in this movie. Yeah. Doing scenes at City Hall, in front of the Picasso. They could have done that anywhere and said it was Chicago. With anybody, right. They mm-hmm. could have done, and they could have made anybody the newscasters. They could have used any payphone, but instead they used the payphone that up until a few years ago was still at that L crossing at that bridge. Wow! Like those locations actually exist. That's where they really are. If you there's <coughs> websites where you can look up the locations, and when they said the one guy, the one hand, one arm man was at one one two five six, I think St. Louis Avenue. If you look up one one two five six St. Louis Avenue. That's the house they were at. Mm-hmm. They used the address for the actual locations and the entire Chicagoland scenes for where they were really at. I dig that. You mentioning that the newscasters from the city were used. I love that. In fact, throughout the 90s, there were a variety of movies that used nationwide newscasters. So the people from CNN, the people from Fox News. That, that, and that, that trend really does kind of accidentally continue, especially when you have something like an alien invasion movie. Independence Day, I think, is yeah. also where I remember seeing a lot of that, where it wasn't just a CNN logo and then some crawl. There were actual people from CNN that were on. So, that, again, it helps bridge the storytelling into something that's real. Even though we're talking about aliens, it was it still really feels cool. more real. It was really cool in this movie, though, because at the time, those are the people that those are the actual people that would have been there interviewing them. Yeah, it wasn't they found someone that does the five o'clock news. These were the junior people that would have been sent out to talk to someone on this story at the time, and now they've all grown into a career and they have movie credits to their name being in this movie as themselves. Yeah, They'll play I, themselves in the movie. It was really cool to see. I dig that, especially the locations, too. There, there are so many cities that will now have the cop out of, well, we're going to Montreal. Well, we're going to Vancouver. And then they'll call it insert name of city, but it's not. That they bothered to take the time. To, the phone booth is a perfect sample. In fact, that they had a phone booth inside of this is also some really great educational material because I'm assuming that those are also going away. Tommy, Yeah, yes? it's all gone now. I, yeah. I actually went over there and tried to look for to see if that phone booth was still there because there's a spot on the ground where it stood. The post was. That wasn't a a prop that they put there. They went and found a phone booth near something that they could identify and worked it into the story. Okay, and that I love that. That that really does show the extra mile in regard to storytelling, but it also takes that that hint and waft of realism and throws it directly at the storytelling that's being made to help sell the idea. And I love all of that. Rick, what do you got? Bad sort of film. Well, one of the negative things that I think happened in this, and we didn't really talk about it, but mm-hmm. toward the end of the show, particularly 
when Tommy Lee's up on the roof and Chicago PD continues to fire knowing he's up on the roof. Mm -hmm. uh, get that chopper them, out of here. Get that chopper out of here. And they say, why? Because I don't want to get shot. You know, he talks. And then at the end, <laughs> it seems like there's a lot of animosity Huge. between the Chicago PD guys, right. the two detectives there, and the Marshall's Fugitive Task Force yeah. that's working there. And they're not working together to try to catch him. It's it's like Tommy Lee's trying to catch him and Chicago PD's trying to kill him. Right. Right. It's the jurisdiction you know? war again. And, and right. It, it, it is. Right. And I mean, until you almost, you know, they get to the hotel at the scene and I forget which one of them said it was like, said arrest us or something like right. that. The Marshals are going to go in and they're going up to where Harrison Ford's at and I guess Chicago PD is going to stop them or whatever. Right. And you got that, and I don't think that made it look good. It looked, it made it look like the general public that there's war between the. And I've worked with Chicago right. PD a number of times. I've never, we never had any kind of those kind of issues. Yeah. So, I don't, I don't. Do you remember meeting like those two detectives? Because I'm certain that they actually work there still. Actually, I, I never <laughs> did, but uh, you know, it's possible I ran into them. Uh, it's possible that I was at the Palmer House about the same time. They were <laughs> Because it was filmed at the bomber house. That's there, awesome. So. That's awesome. We got to try and if they're still alive, I haven't even checked to see if they're still alive. But if they um, are, we'll need to see if we can capture some ideas. Well, it looks like he's about half dead in that photo. <laughs> so. Yeah, the, the one with I'm the dark sure. gla the glasses. He's he's no longer with he's us. He's gone. <laughs> the other guy was the guy with the white Ron, hair. Ron Dean, I think, he's still alive. Yeah. Okay, that's excellent. Yeah. That's I excellent. just didn't like the way they portrayed the end of it with between the two departments. Okay, I don't right. think right. that really existed that way. Yeah, either. there's a couple of things that. As what always happens inside of these perspective reviews, there's a wonderful chemistry set. And I don't know what half of the things on the periodic table are that you guys bring up often. And the splash education that I know I get from stuff like that is warming to me. It, it is why I do these perspective reviews. And something I, I didn't, I neglected to talk about, and it, Rick, you've kind of alluded to it, it is my big bad inside of this film. And it is. <laughs> The assumption that somehow, because somebody has killed a cop, there's now more blood in the water and zeal to then murder them right now. Right. And again, to, to spin back to what happens inside of the integrity call, it's to make sure that justice will out rather than, and now it's time to go murder people. Right. And well, that is Kimmel, what's left. They had that is Kimmel the concept automatically killing the cop on the train, and when he didn't do it, you know. Right. 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 And again, it's that depiction and the the teeter totter off of the blood in the water concept inside of this movie is the fact that Sam is right and helping the weary injured hero throughout the entire tail end of the well, story. After after the cop gets shot on the train, you know, and, and the comments made in the police car with with him and what do you do? Kill a cop? Now, all of a sudden, Chicago PD is after blood. This is a kill on sight, shoot on sight, no due process, no nothing. Right. And well, that's just not realistic. And it, right. it questions right. the integrity of our profession. Right. Yeah. And that's just not reality. Well, it, what it also does is it makes both of those actors and anybody else that is, quote, on the Chicago PD side, it makes them look like idiots at the end of the film. Right. Yeah. And again, what whatcopswatch.com, our, our entire podcast set, as well as everything we do inside of the perspective reviews, where I bring in law enforcement people just like you guys, is to help you understand that there are standards inside of law enforcement. But more importantly, the vast majority of people operating inside of law enforcement hold integrity first. Right. 
It well, is absolutely it, there and palpable. It, it looked more like they took it personal than they were following the facts. Yes. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah. you know, they got it wrong. Whatever. Yeah. I know what the movie was, but the cops uh, had the information they thought. They presented it, apparently, to a jury. The jury convicted Kimball. They sentenced him to prison. And, you know, it comes back that it unfolded a whole different way. The cops didn't like that. Right. And so they want to they fight against it. Right. A lot of times it, that's a Hollywood go-to, though. Oh, yeah. You know, it's a Hollywood right. yeah. go-to yeah. to say that, you know, the, it's not saying that, hey, it's not a reality that we don't have corrupt cops out there. But what it's saying is the majority of the profession can will go down a, a path with no integrity. And that's just not reality. That's right. not the that's truth. True. The majority of the profession are good people with a lot of integrity and honor, and that's why they do this job. Right. Well, it, it also reminds me we that— We don't do it for the money. That's right. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but most, most detectives that you meet, if they had worked a case, found a bunch of evidence, got somebody convicted for murder— and then found out that someone else actually did it. They'd go after that guy. Oh, yeah. Just as oh, yeah. bad. Oh, yeah. they'd be more they they'd be pissed off. Right. This guy wrong. scammed me. Yep. I'm totally yep. coming back yep. after him. And they'd be totally just going after yeah. that guy. Because you got to know that Dr. Nichols was interviewed right. by those cops in the beginning. Right. Or you would assume that that would be the case. Well, they interviewed Being the real police man. officers, we right. would. Absolutely. They interviewed yeah. The, yeah. the guy that ended up being the killer. They interviewed him and, and crossed him off the list. Yeah, because he was clear to that a long time ago, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Fooling cops is not a great standard. Yeah. And then it's showcased prevalently inside of this film at least multiple times is not so much fun because it makes you guys look dumb and you're not i, I again it's another one of the tenets inside of what copswatch.com is that cops are not dumb <laughs> just because you have some lettering on the back of your jacket does not instantly make you stupid and uh, again I'm, I'm so appreciative of the perspectives that you guys share inside of stuff like this it's just awesome The franchise. This movie made a sequel, which eventually we'll have Rick back to talk about the sequel. I can't wait for that. That's, oh, that's uh, a great one. Not, not only is it a great one, and again, it's something that all of us have kind of talked about behind the scenes, where it, in many cases, is a better film. Uh, the storyline is definitively in different directions that don't take the same path as this film, and I, I really appreciate it for that. The international splash inside of that is, frankly, a lot more fun. Where this went for franchise, we know that it went to a sequel. And I'm glad that it didn't have something follow-up to that. I think the two films put a, a decent mark inside of what we're seeing here. And frankly, what inside of either of these films hasn't really been done by something else with some different moniker. Right. Which and, I'm almost not surprised, though. It's been long enough that they haven't done a reboot or something. That's what the, that's mm-hmm. what the new thing is now. And I'm surprised they haven't retooled this and tried to sell it out as been, another fugitive. It's been 20 years. Right, yeah. yeah. Uh, in 25, I think the, the most important part is that it cannot be stupid when it's redone. Right. Uh, again, the, the want to involve technology, I'm okay with that as long as you don't show me a bunch of computer graphic ridiculousness trying to put 3D representations of his wife being murdered into some sort of evidence set. Uh, that's just going to destroy everything that's here that needs to be based on actors and storytelling. The great thing about this franchise is that both movies stand on their own. Mm-hmm. You don't need one to understand yeah, right, the other yeah, one. Right, in fact, I, I saw U.S. Marshals in theaters because it came out significantly later, and I had no idea The Fugitive had been made yeah. when I saw U.S. Marshals. And if they did another one now, they'd have to do it the same way. This yeah. came out when you, were, when you were 11 in Little League, right? Something. This one this one was out when I was 10. Mm-hmm. The U.S. Marshals I remember seeing in theaters, so I had to have been older. I know it came out significantly later. Yeah, I think, did you say that it was five years later? 
98. Okay. okay. I didn't realize it was that many years later. That's interesting. In fact, that it is that much later, I'll bet you that's why it's a, almost a complete standalone movie that just so happens to also include Sam Gerard. Yeah. I actually got invited to Hollywood for the premiere of the U.S. Marshall movie. I'll bet you enjoyed the hell out of that, Well, right? I didn't end up getting to make it. But no way. Dan Roebuck, who is one of the actors that played the Beggs. Pon- ponytail guy, right? No, 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 no. no. Beggs. can't remember his first name. Was he the guy with the cop stash? Uh, Maybe yes. Okay, yes. he had your hair. The difference you is that it was Cosmo, colored. Cosmo, who's Valentiano, <laughs> right. and and then you had uh, Dan Robot play Beg. Okay, that's him. Yeah, he's yeah uh, guy. He, he's a real nice guy. Very very nice guy. Unlike some of the others, I might add. <laughs> but I actually got him. You know, we have these Marshall lapel pins. He wanted those, so I got him fifty of them. Wow. He was handing them out to people. You know. Awesome. I don't know if anybody liked that in headquarters, but I really don't care. I'm retired. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. This is another one of the stories when we get to franchise where I loved it. I love the ending of the franchise because one, it is not milked to death. Right. There are so many film franchises. The one that is the go-to fun to rip on currently is Star Wars, where obviously sharks aren't appropriate inside of the universe, but damn, if some aren't being jumped. Right. And the need to not go back to this as a franchise is terribly endearing. I hope that we're able to not experience an incredibly age-old Sam Gerard now trying to instruct the next generation of fugitive hunters inside of whatever the hell the film's going to be called. Because we don't need it. We, we just well, really Well, you know, don't. they've had other fugitive movies that involved the Marshall Service since then. Mm-hmm. Which, which of them one. didn't suck? You actually had one. Um, who's the guy from Louisiana down in the bayous that was a Marshall that... Uh, Justified, I think, was... Oh, Justified. Yeah. Okay. And Justified's a decent yeah, series. Yeah, it's it's definitely good, got yeah, moments, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, you know what? I don't even include that in the into the, the swath of Marshall Service because it gives you so much storytelling. Yeah. that, that That's really excellent. What did you, uh, Quick, what did you think of that series? Did you dig I that series? I didn't watch it a whole lot. Really? You Is know, that intentional? It wasn't realistic Is that intentional? Do you just not want to know? or No, I just didn't have a chance to really watch it that much. Okay. I've I've gotten yeah. three but seasons. The ones that, that I did, I mean, you know, you don't work by yourself. You're not John Waning out right. there like that. Yeah. We you never go you never transport a person by yourself. And you always have them, you know, completely secured up. Or you should. Now there's street arrest, well you may not that may not happen, but uh it, it just wasn't realistic to me. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very interesting series. I got three seasons into it, and then I, I bailed on it. I didn't get back to it. I need to. I need to because uh, my dad and my bonus mom said that it was awesome. Uh, anyway, so there's the franchise. Ah, the rating. The end of our perspective reviews where we rate this film, The Fugitive, 1993, directed by Andrew Davis. The scale works thusly. A 10 is on top of the heap. The dive from the dam where you make it. One is on the bottom, not so awesome choice of jurisdiction. A seven is an average. The numbers go up with positives. The numbers go down with negatives. And Chris, Pat, Tommy, Rick, there are no halvesies, no point fives, point sevens, none of that, just straight numbers. Chris, what do you got? You know, I went into this film, like I said, kind of critical. I wanted to, uh, you know, I had talked to Pat. He had watched That's it Pat's first. Flash. I don't yeah. call that. He, I don't call that real. He watched it first, and he said, "Hey, I uh, I rewatched this, and you know, it uh, different perspective now." So, you know, I kind of went into a, uh, I kind of went into a critical thinking that, uh, you know, it was going to have a lot of bad, uh, but it didn't. You know, it was still entertaining because I think uh, it had 
great acting. Great acting, great writing. So I'm going to give it a nine. Good, good. Pat, what do you got? Yeah, like I said, I don't know if maybe I had too much hype for it. I don't know. Maybe I remembered a different movie. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not real sure why. But yeah, remembered it, a different it, movie. It didn't hit me like I thought it was. Because I'm in my, in my I head, remember. I was like, oh, I, Tommy Lee Jones, uh, Harrison Ford, this was great. Yeah. I don't know. I just didn't didn't feel it. So I, I'll give it a, a seven. It wasn't a horrible movie. Mm-hmm. But like I said, for some reason, I was expecting more. I don't know. Okay. And uh, tell me again, how old were you when this movie came out? 93? So I just, so I was a sophomore in college. So 20 something. 22-ish. Okay. Okay. Tell me what do you got? As a person who doesn't really like watching cop TV shows and cop movies, unless they're funny, this one was trying to be serious. And in being serious, it caught some moments that struck a chord with me because they're funny because I'm a cop. And because of that, I give it an eight. It's. I really liked it. I liked the. Well, he just did a Peter Pan right off this this dam right here. <laughs> Holy shit! Can we go home now? <laughs> like those types of moments. That's what made the movie for me, and that's that's why I give it a, a higher than average score. Interesting, interesting. Rick, what do you got for this film? Well, I thought it was overall pretty good. It has a good storyline. I mean, I think very highly of, of my former chief deputy that was involved in the the, the making of this movie. And, mm-hmm. I know how much he liked it, and I give it a, a solid eight. You know, there's some things that just really way out there, but they were trying to portray the Marshal Service, I think, in a in a good light. To, to be quite know. frank, they were trying to portray the Marshal Service. Period. I mean, be- yeah, before well, this, I when mean, was the Marshal Service uh, depicted? You know, everybody thinks of gun smoke. You know, and there's a long period of time, even though the U.S. Marshal Service is the oldest and you might say the senior law enforcement officers in the nation because our authority comes from the Constitution, unlike any other law enforcement officer, including FBI, Secret Service, ATF, whoever, mm-hmm. they get their authority virtue of statute. The authority of the marshal comes from the Constitution, and we're constitutional law enforcement officers. That's the reason no matter who you're working with, task forces all over the United States, anytime you go out of one state to another, if you're not deputized by the U.S. Marshal, you got no authority. Mm. That's the reason all task forces that that we do that are federal funded all are special deputy U.S. Marshals. And I'll give you an example. When they did the inauguration for President Trump, they had all these law enforcement up there in a big National Guard hangar. Mm-hmm. Every one of them all sitting in their, with their uniforms on before they do the, the, the big protection detail for those festivities that were going on. All had to go in there and all had to raise their right hand and swear because they were all sworn in as special deputy U.S. Marshals to enforce federal law. Did they get those cool pins from someone that stole 50 of them? You know what? I I didn't steal them. I had to buy them. (laughs) You know, they're they're available. I had to borrow those things like that, you know, but uh, they're a little giveaways. And I got some things like I've got some couple of t shirts and some I have, and I've got a hat somewhere. I don't know where it's at, but it was a white hat. With a blue bill that I bought at the academy at one of the stores, and it has a silver marshal's badge on it, and I have everybody's signature on that hat. Oh wow! Does I don't it, know where it's at exactly. It's at home somewhere. Does it have fishing sinkers on it by chance? It does no, not. It doesn't. Okay, well. <clears throat> but then I got they had uh, parking placards that were issued to all the vehicles that were allowed on the movie set with mm-hmm. U.S. Marshals. Wow. And there was a Marshals badge right there in the middle, and it said a Copelson Entertainment production. It was a black placard, and I got several of those, and mm. I was giving them out. To, to <laughs> sure. Movie props. Like Everybody, Hollywood. You know? Everybody loves that. Everybody loves I that. I, I think the special thing about I US... have to tell you one funny yeah, story. Tell though. me. Yeah. 
the sheriff in Saline County, his name was George, and he was a great guy. He decided he didn't want to go that long way around, and he knew I was on that movie set, and we were good friends. You know, he's one of those old, crusty sheriffs down in southern Illinois. Great guy. He decided he was going to go down there and see that, and he was just going to float down the Ohio River, but Coast Guard had barricades set up. <laughs> he gets into a confrontation with the Coast Guard. I get a phone call. From the Coast Guard, it was back when we had bag phones and hanging around. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Had a bag phone. I get a phone call, and it was from the Coast Guard, and they said, do you know a Sheriff Henley from Saline County? I said, yeah. I said, boy, he's a cranky old dude. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Well, one of, the, one of the very special things about The Fugitive is that it marks another period of time where I knew things were going to change because I was moving here to St. Louis. The first place I saw this film was here, inside of St. Louis, my new home. And so that's kind of the perspective that I bring to this, is it was the launch of something new with a touch of something old, which I think is why Star Wars also endears with me, or at least endeared to me, because you're taking something that was old, i.e. Harrison Ford and the sprinkle of everything we love Harrison Ford, in with something new, or moving to a new area. What it also brought to light was... Effective storytelling, especially as a 48-year-old man now, it provides effective storytelling that is wrapped inside of goods and positives that eventually wind up being good, which is not what happens inside of most modern-day storytelling. Anytime you want a spin-off of anything that's good, it usually ends up tanking it because there's way too much bad that's inside of it. Or they want to show everything that's real and has bite or is going to be way more real world than anything you've ever seen before. And it ends up being completely unrealistic that you don't engage in, which is really what Hollywood needs to focus on, is making engaging properties that make people want to go back to see it again and again and again. We all just watched this movie again, and I'll bet you in a couple of months, you'd all watch it again, correct? Maybe. Yeah, probably. Except for Pat that hated it, I'd apparently. probably watch it again. Maybe Subliminal I hate it every time thing. I see it yeah. on. I mean, I'd, yeah, just, it, it, I'd this, probably watch it again. This is, if, if I was still tethered to cable, which I'm not, cut the cord last year, January, so more than a year, year and a half now. If this was on and I was walking by, I would be sitting down to watch the rest of it, right. regardless of where it I is. Agree. And that's not the hallmark of a great film, but it's pretty close. Yep. It really is. Uh, I give this movie an eight. That's where we ask you guys, what did you give 1993's The Fugitive on a scale of 10 to 1? Let us know what you think by going to our website. Again, that's over at whatcopswatch.com. Click anywhere on the right-hand side of the page. Fill out the quick web form and tell us what you think. Wow. Another marathon perspective review finished. Thanks to everybody that came out today. Rick, thank you so much. You're welcome. Can't wait to do another one. It's going to be a great time. You have at least, we talked about it while you'd stepped away recently. We know that there's at least another billion stories that you can tap us in on for the next movie. So we're definitely going to have you back. There is all kinds of stories. I used to be a deputy sheriff in Independence County, Arkansas. Oh my goodness, awesome. I was working the night shift as all young new deputies were. (laughs) Right. And I'm driving across White River. There's a big mountain called Ramsey Mountain. You come down. This blue Corvette passed me like I was sitting still about 2 o'clock in the morning. Turn on the blue lights. I go over. They pull over on the side of the road. I was 23 years old, fresh out of the Army, first civilian law enforcement job. And I pulled over, and this license plate on this blue Corvette said, Arkansas State Police Commissioner. I thought, I'm fired. (laughs) (laughs) And there's a long story to that, but to make a long story short, uh, the governor 
was in the passenger seat of that vehicle. Wow. They were probably up at they were up at Arkansas College and probably having a lecture at two o'clock in the morning. If you know Bill Clinton, and that's who that was in that car. Wow. So I tell wow. everybody it's my fault. The country's ruined. I should have locked him up when I did. <laughs> <laughs> at least you know who to blame, that's a right? Great story. Yeah. It's like like my story in Benton. I'm going around the square in Benton. It's one of those towns where you have a town square mm-hmm. courthouse. Barack Obama standing on the corner with a group of people, and I'm coming around the square. Could have saved the country a lot of aggravation. Run over the guy. <laughs> See you there. Yeah. I think no, don't say that. Now we still have a secret I'm service kidding, come, right. show up and I'm talk kidding. To you. Yeah. It's all a joke. They'll show up at his place. Right. Yeah, right. You just lost your security clearance. Right. <laughs> I'm retired. <laughs> when you say former deputy, he's already changed his name twice. Uh, right, Tommy. Always great to have you. Your insight and knowledge, as well as, well as the skill set to share it with people, is always appreciated here on whatcopswatch.com. Well, I was happy to come down. I would complain about the drive, except that Rick drove a whole lot further to go. Yeah, here. I've got to go back and go to work. I've got to, yeah, got to drive him. two hours tonight to get a little sleep to get up to drive another hour in the morning. Oh, my wow. goodness. Well, thank you again for coming out. I really appreciate tomorrow, it. Tomorrow and the next day I have to do some stuff yeah. for the state. Maybe attorney. you can give Tommy a portion lift back. He's hitchhiking, so maybe you can help him okay. out. <laughs> okay. All right. Pat, always great to have you. Your insight as a negotiator is always valued. And, I, again, I, I love the perspective that you bring to this especially because of that puzzle piece fit into so many different organizations over the years of your career. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was good. Uh, good conversations. Uh, we learned a lot, you know, especially having the different perspectives on this one. I think it was really good. Yeah, yeah. Chris? Mike, thanks for having me. I appreciate it, but I want better food next time I'm here. Okay? You, you will definitely get yeah, better we, food. We ran out of candy. I'm not sure. We're the $1,000 grandfather. The Coke in the water, but coffee's nice. Yeah, if I don't see at least <laughs> 15 donuts own. next time I'm here, to. I'm out. All right. That's awesome. It's a go-to food. $1,000 bars, right? I will remember for next time, as well as donuts with sprinkles. Chocolate donuts with sprinkles. Sprinkles with sprinkles. Okay, great. Thank you again for coming, everybody. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. This is the end of your tour of duty. Another episode of What Cops Watch has been filed in records. But another scene is taking shape. So many dirtbags, so little time. Check back again soon to whatcopswatch.com and join us back in the squad room for your next assignment. Don't be late. This isn't a request. Are you a cop? You want to tell us about what you watch and why? Contact us by visiting whatcopswatch.com. There you can interact with us on Facebook and Twitter, subscribe to us via iTunes, and get regular briefings directly from your duty sergeant. Thanks for listening, and remember, after your tour of duty, hang up your duty belt, grab some coffee, kick back in that recliner, and listen to the next episode of whatcopswatch.com.